All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our new un yet untitled and probably won't be entitled till the till the run is finished uh, season series, holiday series. I'm thinking it'll be like North Pole stories as an, I, 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 I had it on my to do list to brainstorm this because I had as the North Pole turns. I think that might be it. As the guiding northern lights of the North Pole turns, like, and you can probably get the wordplay already. As the North Pole turns, uh, there's like, a, like, a, as the guiding light of the North Pole turns, uh, I don't know the other ones, uh, but so this is our new holiday series. It's a, uh, soap opera, or I guess it's inspired by the soap operas, uh, cause it's not sponsored by soap. And I really think you like uh, soap operas. I didn't watch a lot of them as a child. I watched, like, I think I talked about this one other time. One time I was home with my mom, and, uh, like, for two weeks from school, and I think I watched uh, soap operas then. And I kind of got into it. Maybe in the summer I could see, like, oh, geez, I can see the appeal to this. It's very adult, and, uh, like, I like the cliffhangers. So this bike is one of those things, uh uh, but, but like, and then I read, I've read a couple of good articles. There's this New Yorker article I talk about that I can't find right now. And it had to be the early aughts or just the end of nine, like 99. It was probably the aughts, uh, about, uh, soap opera writing. And I said to myself, uh, like I, like I had heard of like, uh, about this, uh, like I said to my sleuth self, I have sleuth self. I said, uh, I said, I wonder if there's anyone keeping track of like, uh, like if there's any old archives or anyone kept a journal or even audio recordings of the North Pole, it, particularly in the 1950s, because I said, well, I'd like it to have, uh, like, a like, a, like, a, like a, and, and I, I tracked someone down. And I guess for, for everything to make sense. So this is our, uh, you're not a narrator. Come on in. Right, good to see you. This is a Jack Frost, and I'm going to get Jack Frost and mic'd up here. Uh, but Jack Frost uh, uh, has these, uh, like, uh, has helped me uh, put this together, this series. And, Jack, you're not exactly a narrator. You're kind of like a voice of conscience, conscience like kind of like I would hear on some of these radio broadcasts. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, Jack Frost here. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm not the uh, narrator per se. Uh, you may call me the voice of conscience or uh, I like to call myself the place setter. Like I'm there setting the table for the characters. Uh, and yet these North Pole stories, they were recorded in the 1950s. Very, very popular in the North Pole. And there has been some debate, and I've kept the files as secret as I can because a lot of people say, well, is this fiction or nonfiction? And, you know, we've agreed to just play them as they exist, uh, uh, these North Pole stories, which you're calling, uh, Jack, I'm calling it As the North Pole Turns. And, Jack, you know, normally I have Antonio Banderas introduce things, but I'd love it if you would... Uh, so you're going to you'll you'll do the play setting. So every scene you'll set the table for us. So as listeners, uh, 
Like it'll be, it'll be just because the podcast, sleep podcast is usually accidentally confusing. I mean, the listeners don't know that, uh, but I say, well, this totally makes sense. Uh, that's when I know I have myself a sleep hit. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Am I making any sense, Jack? Uh, you're making a little bit of sense. So yeah, I'll set the scene and I'll try to give some clarity. But remember, this is a radio uh, drama, they call them. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit different. I've checked out your other podcasts, and this will be a little bit different, but very similar. And I think it'll put people to sleep. Now, Jack, now they have you here, you're not going to be nipping at anyone's nose, are you? Uh, no. Oh, because there's a song. Like, what about uh, like toes like Eskimos or something? Do, do, do you know anything about that, Jack? Yeah, I don't know what you're referring to, but uh, I'm excited. Uh, to be a part of uh, As the North Pole Turns. So that's that's the title that we've settled on now, Jack. Uh, so, Jack, why don't you tell us, actually, let's help in, like, uh, so why don't you tell us about a few of the characters uh, that we can expect this season in As the North Pole Turns. Okay, well, we have uh, Donner and Blitzen uh, play a big part in this uh, season of uh, these stories here, uh, two of the reindeer. We have uh, uh, Reverend Molding, who is a uh, uh, or, or like an American who is uh, uh, working with the North Pole, and it, it plays a big part. Uh, we have Ginny Jingle, uh, who's the uh, head of uh, production for the elves, kind of the leader of uh, of the Northern Pole elves, and her husband uh, Jangle Jingle. Okay, so we have Jing, Jenny Jingle and Jangle Jingle, Donner and Blitzen. A common and Cupid appear at all? Uh, let me tell you about a few of the other characters you could expect. Is uh, uh, Fiona Fireside, a reporter uh, uh, for Elf News 1, and her partner, Rolfine, who is uh, like a head caretaker and trainer of reindeer. And Jack, what about Santa and Santa Claus? And so this is the 1950s in the North Pole. And I didn't really pay attention to history class. Like, is it so? Is this anything like Happy Days, uh, Jack? Oh, now I know why you're on the. Now I know why you're on the. Oh, my on the naughty list. Uh, like, it, just being a buffoon can get you on the naughty list. Uh, is Fonzie or Fozzie in this? Okay, do you have any serious questions? Because I'm ready for North Pole stories to, as the North Pole turn, you know, I'm ready for what we agreed upon to begin. Well, is Santa Claus or Mrs. Claus in this story? Uh, you know that uh, we can't reveal those things at this time. Okay, well, uh, I'm very excited to see. So this is the 1950s. Can you set the mood, like I've never been to the North Pole but I can picture like uh is is there like a beautiful snow falling? Yes, there is. Uh, there's a chill in the air, but it's not too much of a chill. And the pine trees grow uh, as the shadows grow up in the north. But the northern lights uh, also bring joy to your heart, and the joy in the heart of the elves preparing for the holiday season. And everyone at the North Pole, whether it's 1950, 1951, 2, 3, 4, 5, or 1999, or 2017, uh, everyone there is preparing for a happy holiday season.
uh, to spread good cheer. And uh, but at the same time, everyone's uh, also just living their lives. Uh, but that's the part you don't see down here in the netherworld, as we call it. Uh, but uh, we're here to give you. Can we start, please? Okay, Jack. Well, I'm just trying to, you know, maybe set the, like, uh, does it smell like gingerbread at the North Pole? In some places it does, near the gingerbread, like, uh, also smells like pine, uh, cranberries in places, uh, turkey, who's stuffing even at the uh, cafeteria. Is uh, stuffing aside every day at the cafeteria, like I can get, I can picture 1950s, so I go to the cafeteria if I'm an elf, uh, also, are meals included with your uh, service? Uh, they are. Like, so I can go, like, I go into a cafeteria. We don't really have cafeterias anymore. Uh, I mean, like, uh, that I know about, except at schools and stuff. Uh, but so I would get a scoop of mashed potatoes and a scoop of stuffing in, like, an ice cream scoop. Uh, we call it a stuffing scoop, a scooper, uh. And a mashed potato scooper, but yes, you could do that. Uh, could I still, do you have like throwback nostalgia, like 1950s uh, cafeteria still there? Actually, you're very uh, forward thinking. We do. Uh, yeah, but, but I'm not here to like uh, give you a two. Okay, thank you. Um, so I guess that's it. I guess I'm here with uh, Jack Frost, and we're here to present the first episode of As the North Pole Turns. Hey, good morning, Miss Jingle. Uh, you're going to go downstairs. You could smell that Blitzen's already prepared breakfast. Uh, and you know Blitzen wants to talk about returning to active duty. But there's something in your oven, your cookie oven, that says different, doesn't it, uh, Miss Jingle? But there's part of you that doesn't want to say anything, huh? Is it because you're worried about uh, what Blitzen will say? Or is it that you're worried you're wrong? Well, I'm sure everything will work out just fine, uh, Ginny. Uh, why don't you go downstairs? It sounds like Blitzen's uh, finishing up breakfast. Oh, hello, Blitzen. Thank you so much for making breakfast, uh... Well, I know you have a big meeting today, uh, and I want you well-fed. Oh, thanks, Blitzen, yes. Uh, and how are you feeling today? Uh, here's, your, here's your eggs. Here's your eggs, Jenny. I've got them uh, just like you like them, over medium. And uh, how am I feeling? I'm feeling full of that holiday spirit. Uh, I feel like a sugar plum. I feel like a vision of a sugar plum dancing, dancing along at a sugar plum dance. Uh, oh, well, that's good, Blitzen. Did did you have you heard from Doctor Ross? What did Doctor Ross uh, uh, say about you dancing? Oh, there was a, oh no, the toast the toast burnt. I'm sorry, Jenny. I'm just excited, or nervous, excited. I guess. Oh, about going uh, back to duty, huh? Yes, yes. So, sorry. Here, the toast is, uh, I'll make another set of toast. Uh, but yeah, I know I can't dance. Uh, uh speaking of dancing, what do you think Santa's going to say about this? Uh, I was reading uh, this article here. It says this plastic stuff, uh, that the toys, it's really made from oil. Is that true? Like oil, 
like the geysers uh, at the Texas Goo. Oh, uh, yes, I'm supposed to get a briefing on that today, but it is uh, it is a composite. Yes, I, I think uh, petroleum is one of the main ingredients in plastic. Yes, uh, yes, what's in it's also one of the the main appeals, I guess. So it's not metal. It's not wood. I heard that it, they're, they're going to use molds. Uh, what all the elves uh, think about all that? Uh, injecting uh, goop into molds instead of crafting toys. Well, Blitzen, I, I think, you know, we'll build consensus as we always do. Uh, but, uh, you know, just because we're at the North Pole doesn't mean we don't have to come to grips with reality. And uh, sometimes that means things change. You know, we all know, we all know what it means, uh, change or progress, uh, kind of like the progress you're making with, uh, Dr. Ross, uh, oh, geez, the ring, 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 the phone's ringing, uh, excuse me. Oh, I'll get it, I'll get it, Blitzen, you, you do worry about the toast. Uh, yes, hello, uh, oh, yes, hello, Donner, it's good to hear from you, yes, yes, uh, oh, yes, I'm terrific, thank you. No, no, I'll pass the message on, no, no, you have a good day, Donner, uh, what's the toast, the toast is burning again, Blitzen, oh, dear, I'm so sorry. Okay, well, that was Donner, and, uh, Donner said to have a good day back at work, uh, Donner might not be there when you come in. Uh, Ginny, is everything okay? You seem, you don't seem to be yourself, uh, is there something you're not telling me about these plastics and the, uh, the representatives that are here to work with, uh, uh, management? Oh, well, Blitzen, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's just that I want the best for everything and everyone. But I really, I'm here to mainly represent the interests of the elves and the elven workers and, uh, our co-workers, uh, that the best thing for everyone, but when we share a vision, I don't know, you know, compromise is very hard, Blitzen, and, and like we just said a few minutes ago, change is even harder. Uh, and I just worry about everyone. You know, I really, really worry about uh, people accepting change and, and while we'll have to accept the change of the plastics and, the, you know, the less metal toys and less wood toys and the wood carvers and the metal crafters, uh, I don't know how to get them to accept the change. They, would you have any advice uh, for them? You know, when things change, uh, maybe they can't go back to the way they were. What would you say to them, uh, Blitzen? Well, that's a good question, Jenny. I'm not sure. I'm, uh, I'm trying to keep an eye on this toast. Uh, and it's really hard, uh, because what if you don't want things to change? Uh, and then they do, and you don't like it. Uh, yeah, it's just not fair. And I thought, uh, you know, what are we up here working for all the time? Uh, if we don't get what we want, uh, and I know that's a kid's way to look at it, uh, but I just think that maybe that's what they're thinking is saying, well, I'd rather not change. And now, uh, this change happened anyway. And now what am I going to do? Maybe I'll just, uh, uh, you know what I mean, Jenny? 
Oh, yes, I'm just trying to watch the toast, too, but it looks like the toast is almost done. Yes, it's odd, but, uh, you know, I have to run along now, so I'll, I'll take that toast to, to go. Just pop it out now, and I'd rather it be underdone. Uh, uh, you have a good day, Blitzen, and, and I'll see you later. Okay, you have a good day, too, Jenny. Well, Fiona, uh, Jack Frost here, your conscience, uh, this is one big interview. I hope you're ready, because this could be a big break, uh, a break you've been waiting for. But there's something nagging at you. Is it the disagreement you had at home with Rolfine, or is it something else? Well, you better get ready for your interview, Fiona. Yes, this is Fiona Fireside, here live, uh, for Elf News 1. Okay, great. So, like, okay, let me see. Can you can you hear me in the headset? Okay. Uh, okay, can I have a few minutes, because uh, I want to do some, uh, is, is uh, Reverend Molding in the building? Okay, just send him in and cut our mics. I, I want to just have some quiet time with him uh, to build some rapport, and then I'll be ready. Yeah, hello, everyone. Let me just do one run through before he gets here. Okay, just cut the mics, please. Uh, no. Uh, okay, whatever. Just send him in. This is Fiona Fireside for Elf News. Elf News. What? Oh goodness! I guess I am a little nervous. Uh, Fiona Fireside reporting for Elf News One. Oh, Reverend Molding. Hello, right over here. It's good to see you. Yes, I'm Fiona Fireside. Oh, you do recognize me. Thank you. Uh, what is this you have here? Well, uh, Fiona, I've brought you and the rest of the station staff. Uh, these poinsettias, uh, poinsettias, uh, some people say. Now I see you recoiling, because uh, I heard you were allergic to poinsettias, uh, poinsettias uh, but I want you to hold this one and to take a good look at it, Fiona, because uh, I don't think it's going to bother your uh, allergies. Oh, oh, uh, it's, it's lighter than a... No is this... Uh, this isn't a real plant, is it? It looks so real, and there's even little snow and water crystals on it. Uh, is this what they, I've heard about these? Uh, but this, is this a silk poinsettia? Oh, no, Fiona, this is a plastic poinsettia. The uh, latest uh, thing we're working on uh, at a Molding Industries, and uh, I thought I'd bring some of you for the, some for the station staff to bring home. Well, particularly, I knew you, you, you love uh, the color, but I had heard you had an allergy, and I figured it would be, I didn't mean to, you know, frighten you and worry about you sneezing. I know we're about to go live on air. Oh, no, I think this is terrific, Reverend Molding. This will be good uh, for, uh, we, okay, we're going in uh, live in a few minutes. Uh, you're all mic'd up, Reverend, right? We'll have a seat. Uh, and I know I'm not allowed to ask you, you call yourself Reverend Mo but I know I won't be covering any, uh, any of that, but I'd be more interested to just talk to you one-on-one -on -one about, uh, kind of reverend, you know, not on the air. Yeah, that's fine, Fiona. I'm glad you're curious. Uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I'll, uh, why don't you put the poinsettia in your lap and, uh, and, uh, okay. Thanks. Thanks, Brad. Uh, yes, this is uh, Fiona Fireside here for Elf News, Elf News, Elf News One. Nobody's perfect, right? And I'm here live with Reverend Molding. You may be, uh, of reading some things about uh, 
the future of uh, toy production and uh, the worldwide uh, demand that's increased. And, uh, you know, Santa's, but, but I'm here live uh, to ask some questions of Reverend Molding, who's consulting with Santa and how we can increase output and increase joy in the world. And you might see here, uh, if anybody knows and they follow me, uh, if anyone uh, has been read, read about, read up on me, you know I'm allergic to poinsettias. Uh, but uh, Reverend Molding, you have a poinsettia in your lap, and I'm not sneezing. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, thanks, uh, Fiona, and thanks everyone here at the North Pole for being so welcoming and so forward-thinking about the future of spreading joy at the holiday season and all year round. Uh, and yes, this poinsettia on my lap is uh, made of plastic. It's a, you might call it an imitation uh, poinsettia, but even you, Fiona, you thought it was real, did you not? Oh, yes, I did. I was, uh, there's even little uh, snow crystals on it. Uh, and are there sparkles uh, hidden? I'm noticing it's sparkling a little. Yes, Fiona, we have snowflakes and crystals and sparkles. Uh, I don't know if you can see it at home, but uh, this poinsettia, has even more holiday cheer than a living one, I think. Uh, and, you know, no digging and no planning. You just put it there. No sneezing by Fiona. Thank you for having me on. Uh, now, Reverend Molding, I guess I want to get right into this interview and ask you some questions. Uh, there's allegations of a work slowdown here at the North Pole related to, to Santa's uh, Plastics Initiative, which you are the lead consultant on. And some of the trade unions have expressed uh, a lot of objections uh, to using the word work slowdown and that there is no work slowdown. So those are allegations, as I said. Uh, but they, they even calling into dispute uh, the, 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 your argument or the argument being put forth of uh, sustainability in meeting a demand in increasing Santa's, uh, increasing the joy, uh, that was his 20-year 20, uh, plan that we're in the middle of. Uh, and there's also this uh, recent paper by uh, uh, Dr. Puffybeard, who says that uh, loss of these tactile skills of uh, the craftsmanship of uh, woodworking, metallurgy, that a lot of these things are being lost in the pla with the plastics initiative and that they won't be able to be recovered and uh, th that it's going to have an impact not just on the elven economy uh, but on the elven way of life and uh, well-being of the elves that are the craftspeople. And I wonder if you could comment on that. Well, thanks, uh, Fiona. You know, I'm here at the North Pole because I believe in Christmas joy in the holiday season and I'm working very closely with Santa and the leaders in the Elven community, uh, the leaders in uh, other communities and even the uh, crafts uh, unions uh, uh, to try to meet the demand to increase Christmas joy across the world. Uh, you know, we live in something that's being slowly called a global village and, uh, I want to see happy faces on all of the villagers in the global village. And as many reports have also come out, uh, uh, the beliefs in the North Pole and Santa Claus are uh, plummeting. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, and at the same time, uh, 
you know, output, uh, whether it's a work slowdown or it's just reality, uh, uh, that we can't keep up with demand here at the North Pole. What would happen in which, uh, is a lagging indicator and which is a leading indicator? Is joy down because belief is down or is belief down because output is down? Uh, but Fiona, I wanted to talk about the other thing you said, which is, uh, the tactile skills and, uh, I would put forth to, to all of the uh, elven people watching uh, this report uh, and to those wise, wise leaders that said, what about these tactile skills, the joy of woodworking, of metallurgy, of painting, of crafting, of building, uh, that I'm not here to threaten any of those things or to make them go away. I'm here to say that that's a higher calling, Fiona. And while that will be mass production of toys will move away from that, uh, that could be a good thing uh, to open up these crafts, people, uh, to putting more time into it. Instead of it being an industrial process, it could be a process of of joy for themselves uh, as a pastime, and they could take all the time they need instead of trying to meet output schedules and... Uh, you know, we all know that down there in the the, the lower lands, uh, they think that this is all accomplished by magic and not by hard work. But we know the different, don't we, Fiona? Oh, yes, yes. So, so could you elaborate a little bit more on what you're talking about, uh, about these precious skills uh, to, 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 to the elven people? Well, you say, I mean, I believe working with your hands is an important thing. And that not only could they start to create... Uh, you know, a higher impact uh, pieces and maybe models that we could model toys after, they could also become teachers and pass this knowledge on uh, to not just elves, but the children of the world or the adults of the world, because, oh boy, do those adults need something to do down there. And, you know, I, I come from a, quite a background, Fiona, and I've learned that uh, self-determination of being a bootstrapper is uh, just as important as having vision and Christmas joy, right? Uh, am I right, everybody? Okay, well, I, you know, Reverend Molding, thank you for that. That is a brilliant answer, and I think that'll uh, settle the hearts and the minds of many of the people listening. Uh, but I have one last question about the toys and and the movement to plastic production uh, and away from, uh, wooden toys and metal toys. And, you know, while we have a tiny bit of your plastic, uh, in, in some of the toys here, we've always had something here at the North Pole and it's an unofficial rule, but it's called the Andy rule. Are you familiar with the Andy rule, uh, Reverend Molding? Um, uh, well, Fiona, well, we use a little Andy, as maybe you're all familiar, I'm not sure, but uh, anyone that's listening, I think everyone knows, but little Andy is a little Earth boy, and we use him as a model uh, for toy usage, and not exactly the ideal model little Andy is, uh, but we always go on the assumption that whatever we make here at the North Pole, little Andy's going to put it in little Andy's mouth. And he also, not only will little Andy put it in his mouth, he'll chew on it, little Andy, and he'll do many other things. So we ask ourselves, what would little Andy do with this? Uh, and then we do a little, little Andy's teacher or his caretaker, his mother, his father. Say, what did you, why would you do that with that? Uh, 
Why would you take a wooden duck and do blankety blank? Uh, why would you take a metal? So I'm just wondering if plastics pass, have passed uh, the little Andy test uh, or, or, or what you're thinking about that, because that's an essential part of the North Pole uh, thinking is that even though we're mass producing things, uh, uh, there's a lot of thought that goes into it where this is systems based uh, economy. I think that maybe I read that somewhere. Uh, it doesn't take in this uh, little Andy factor. Uh, so I guess what I'm asking, well, Fiona, let me just stop you right there because I think I hear what you're asking and I think I can tell you uh, that I don't know what movies you've been watching or what you've been reading in your spare time. But I think I can say in the words of uh, uh, a very popular person with children, uh, it's a great big beautiful tomorrow, Fiona. The future is a wonderfully safe place uh, where people that are allergic to uh, poinsettias, for example, could have a home full of poinsettias. And where children like little Andy... They could have all sorts of toys, and they could pass the toy test, or maybe little Andy would find his new toy so interesting, uh, so engrossing, so immersive, that little Andy wouldn't even put them in little Andy's mouth. Uh, because when you start to think about what the opportunities that plastics allow us here at the North Pole, Fiona, uh, they unlock things uh, beyond the imagination of uh, simple craftspeople, uh, maybe like a child, a uh, little elven girl who always dreamed of a furry octopus. And you get it because I have a gift for you here, Fiona. It's in this box right here. A girl that always told uh, Santa Claus, uh, I'd like to have an octopus I could pet with fur. Uh, oh, wait a second. Uh, is that what's in this box? Oh, my goodness, I'm opening it up. It's a furry octopus. And this is fur. No, Fiona, that is a plastic. That octopus is of many different types of plastic or plastic-based products. And not only does it feel like real fur, does it not, Fiona? Oh, yes, it does. Oh, I can pet this octopus. And uh, it's also a little bit squishy. I can even hold it. Uh, it it's nice. Uh, that's right, Fiona. It's a nice, uh, it's a, uh, it's an octopus. So that's, I think that's all we have. Thank you, Fiona, for having me on. And, uh, I'm glad I can see the Christmas joy on your face. Uh, and I hope uh, to work with everyone here at the North Pole to replicate that. Okay. This is Fiona Fireside for Alpha News One uh, reporting. Hey, Donner, this is Jack Frost, uh. Looks like Rolfine said uh, she's really looking out for your uh, best interests, huh? Uh, but if uh, flying reindeer were born to fly, or reindeer were born and then given the power of flight, so in some sense they were born to fly, why does Rolfine uh, seem so set on uh, keeping you from flying, Donner? And what does this have to do with Blitzen? What really happened? Oh, here she comes. Uh, good luck, Donner. Uh, good afternoon, Rolfine. Uh, how you doing today? Oh, hello, Donner. Uh, how good to see you. Uh, 
His slate seems to looking very good from uh, the reports I see from training this morning. Uh, that's very good. Have they been? I don't see any reports though on following uh, my uh, uh, bedtime uh, uh, sleep protocols. Uh, do, do you have those reports ready for me, Donner? Well, I uh, uh, the team was a little bit uh, uh, tired. They said they didn't need your bedtime routines uh, to sleep. Uh, we we found it a little bit. Uh, like uh, get, putting the cart before the for the horse, as they say, Rolfine. And really, like all this running and, and stuff's got us tired. And uh, I wanted to talk to you, actually. Uh, Blitzen's supposed to be back to work today. And uh, it's a little bit uh, awkward, you know. Uh, and I was hoping we'd get to fly to uh, welcome Blitzen back. Uh, well, you can't possibly expect to fly if uh, you uh, if you haven't slept properly or followed the sleep protocols. Uh, and I've been paying strict attention to your calorie counts and your food intake of the entire team, and you seem to be setting a terrible example, Donner. Uh, this isn't a laughing matter, and I know you're smirking at me as I speak, but uh, uh, you you are a team. Uh, and I am the manager of the team. I, I am your superior officer. Well, I mean, I'm a reindeer and you're an elf, Rolfine, no offense. Uh, and I know you're, uh, part elf and part, uh, uh, snow person, but, uh, you know, we don't take orders. We, uh, we work as a team with our team leader, uh, Santa Claus. Well, uh, Actually, you don't anymore. I, I'm in charge, and I think we've gone through this. And with Blitzen, uh, Donner, uh, there won't be any flying today, and there may not be any more flying, period. Uh, and I know you say, well, what about Christmas, or what are we going to do, or go fly? You know, I know what you say about me behind my back, and I'm only here to help, uh, to help all of the reindeer and all the other creatures in the North Pole. And let me ask you another question, Dana. Are you a beast of burden? Do you consider yourself a beast of burden? Or do you consider yourself like a uh, a, a bird that likes to fly higher than an eagle or whatever it is? Well, I don't know what you're trying to say, Rolfine. And, and I don't understand. Uh, you seem to just be, fo you seem to focus on the details and lose focus on the plan. On uh, the big picture, which is uh, flying the sleigh Christmas Eve and working the long nights. And uh, I've been assured by Santa that this plastics initiative is going to lighten the load by 88%, uh, which will counteract all of the stuff you've been working so hard, the dieting, uh, the, the training, muscle mass, the sleep. We don't need any of that because... Uh, we're not going to be carrying as heavy loads, and uh, this is what we're, we we do. We're Santa's reindeer, and I don't know why you're standing in the way and claiming it's uh, like that. You know what's best for reindeer when you're not even a reindeer. Well, you know what, Donner? I, I do. I I don't uh, claim to know what's best. I'm trying to learn what's best. And again, you might have one impression of what. Uh, uh, Santa Claus wants, uh, 
and I may have another. Uh, but when you look at the chain of command, uh, it, it, it has me at the head of the sleigh uh, until Christmas Eve. And, you know, uh, you're not the only team of reindeer that can fly anymore. And I realize you have these veteran, this veteran attitude and all this experience and and all this knowledge. And I'm here to try to help you. I'm not here to keep you from flying. I'm here to keep you flying long into the future. I'm just wondering uh, the difference between right and wrong. And, uh, you know, just because a kid loves candy doesn't mean they can eat candy all of the time. Well, I don't like to be talked to like I'm a child, especially uh, when you have someone uh, who's... Uh, I mean, I, you know, I realized with, with Blitzen, you know, you, you know, I don't know if you caught the news at lunch, uh, but there's someone in someone else's life out there, propaganda, plastic propaganda. Okay, we'll just leave my wife out of it. I don't want her, I, you know, this is none of your business. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to do my best. Uh, I have a vision of uh, sustainability for reindeer, and that's my focus. And yes, my focus must complement uh, what you as a reindeer team wants and what you feel is best for you within the protocols that I've developed. And you know, Donna, I, I don't mean to, uh, uh, you know, point fingers, but I think if you were following my sleep protocol, you wouldn't be so grouchy because I think this might be a part of it. Maybe your judgment's off because, uh, Maybe your judgment's off because you haven't been sleeping well and you've been eating too much junk food. Oh, oh, hello, Blitzen. Uh, sorry, Don, Donna and I were just uh, uh, having a discussion about, uh, you know, I'll leave you to excuse me. Well, hey, Blitzen, it's uh, good to see you. Oh, yeah, it's good to see you too, uh, uh, Donna. Uh, how are things over at... Uh, uh, Jenny Jingles' house. Uh, are they treating you okay? They are. Uh, I was hoping to get up flying today. Did you? you it doesn't sound like Rolfine. Did, did, did Rolfine say you've been only eating junk food and not sleeping? Yeah, Blitzen. Uh, you know, I've, I've uh, missed you and uh, miss hanging out with you and having to be a part of our team. And I missed your friendship and I'm sorry. And I thought I'd uh, talk her into uh, letting you fly and let us all fly today, but we're grounded if, uh, until all the reports go back, uh, get back on what happened exactly. Have you remembered anything since you've been over at uh, Jangles? I've been having these dreams. Um, I've been dreaming about, uh, well, it is just these strange dreams, uh, you know, like, uh, the, the kids and Christmas, you know, the, the, how they dream. I've been dreaming. I'm a kid dreaming on Christmas. Uh, and that uh, I'm starting to dream. And then these sugar plums come. And they put me on their shoulders. And they say, you're the king of the sugar plums now, uh, Blitzen. And I say, no, 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 I'm a reindeer. And they say, no, you're you're a little boy. And you're the king of the sugar plums. And then I go off to a sugar plum land. And I realize uh, 
that uh, the sugar plums are, uh, they say, we care about you. We look, and they make me feel good. They say, wow, tell us more. And everything I say, they seem impressed and interested in. And, and I start to make friends with all these sugar plums. And I feel like a leader. I feel like I'm producing. And I feel like I'm flying on the inside. But really, I'm just there. Uh, Working with these sugar plums, and it's a dream, so everything happens kind of fast. And then, uh, all of a sudden, the sugar plums, there's a big chaos. And I say, What's wrong? What's wrong? And they say, There's uh, somebody that likes eating junk food, and they've arrived in our world, and uh, uh, their favorite food is sugar plums. And it was you, Donner, and then you've been having the dream. Uh, guess that's why I asked why you're, drink, you're eating so much junk food. Uh, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, that's weird, Bullets. And, uh, but I got to get back. I got to go check the rubric. Maybe we could talk about this some more later. I'm sorry I couldn't get you a fly today. Okay, well, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to take a break, I guess. Uh, and I'll talk to you later. Okay, good night. Uh, I mean, good night when you go home to the to the jangles uh talk to you soon and this is jack frost everybody uh saying good night uh as as your uh, world turns uh so does the north pole jack frost uh, uh saying good night and kissing at your nose all right hey everyone jack frost here the scooter gave it right over to me going to be a smooth transition and this is the second episode of uh, as the north pole turns a uh, he's called it's an actual account of uh, life at the north pole in the 1950s uh, he's calling it a me- like a melorama uh, or a soap opera uh, but it covers uh, some people's lives at the north pole uh, particularly rolfine uh, fiona uh, Ginny Jangle, or Ginny Jingle, I, uh, my notes, uh, uh, the scooter wrote my notes, even though I should be good. I'm Jack Frost, uh, uh, filling you in. Also Donner and Blitzen and Reverend Molding, uh, who we've met so far. And we know this much, uh, Ginny seems to be the uh, elf in charge uh, at the North Pole. Uh, Fiona, Fiona Fireside, is a reporter for Elf News 1. Uh, her partner, her wife, is Rolfine, who may be the lead of the reindeer teams in the North Pole. Uh, Donner and Blitzen, you, you may recall, they're not the most famous reindeers of all, but they're pretty darn famous. But Blitzen seems like uh, uh, Blitzen's been going through something, something we're not sure about. Uh, I don't know if it was a strained antler or uh, what, uh, but Blitzen's been out of duty. So there's a little, you know, the Melorama level tension there. And then there's the mysterious Reverend Molding, who uh, seems to be a North Pole consultant uh, from the plastics industry. I don't know if his name was once Benjamin. Maybe that's his first name. Uh, hint, hint, joke, joke. But uh, he is there, uh, I guess, uh, we don't really know, representing the plastics industry, maybe. And that's all we know, because all we're doing is peeking in. If you're a little taste of the North Pole, uh, as the North Pole turns, Jack Frost, uh, 
giving you, like, uh, setting the table. Uh, that's my job, Scooter says, uh, as the North Pole turns. Reverend Molding, Reverend Molding, it's Jack Frost. Uh, Reverend Molding, you're dreaming. You're tossing and turning. But you're in a dream, Reverend Molding. Uh, what are you seeing? It seems to be something that's got you, uh, your limbs. Are you akimbo? Uh, Reverend Molding, this is Jack Frost asking you. What are you seeing? Uh, do you even know you're in a dream, Reverend Molding? Oh, oh, where am I? He says somewhere. Oh, I forgot I'm at the North Pole. Eternal night is here. And, uh, huh. Yeah, what, why, uh, why am I dressed in my pajamas? Uh, put my robe on at least, and this cap's keeping me warm. But why am I outside? Why am I not even colder than I? What, what's coming towards me? Those reindeer. Hello, uh, Reverend Molding here. I'm a bit lost. Uh, uh, hello. Oh, hello, are you uh, Donner and Blitzen? I've been around the reindeer enough uh, to know you two. Hello, Donner. Wait a second. Uh, there's something strange about you, other than you're not greeting me like humans greet one another, or elves, and, you know, the, the uh, social... Uh, you look strange, uh, the two of you. And I feel strange. I've just found myself... Wait, uh, Blitzen, are you made from wood? Are you carved from wood, or you reindeer? Why aren't you speaking? Do you mind if I touch you, Blitzen? Yes, you would. I remember you as a reindeer. This is strange. Is everything okay? What is it, Donna? Donna, you're made from metal. Oh goodness! Uh, maybe this is a dream. You want me to follow you? Uh, well, I could. Could I ride on one of your backs? Uh, I prefer the wood one because the metal's going to be quite cold. Uh, sorry about that, Donna. Thank you, Blitzen. Blitzen, Donna's running ahead. Where are we going? What's that? Uh, there's a stomping noise. What's that? Uh, where are we going, Blitzen? Why are you wood? Is this a dream? Blitzen, please tell me if this is a dream. Oh, I hear... Sounds like the elves, they're chanting. What are they chanting? Oh, hello, elves. Uh, what are you chanting? I can't quite make it out. It's like a you muffled uh, somewhere. Little, little Sandy, little Andy. Are you chanting little Andy, little Andy? Oh, uh. That was what Fiona Fireside was talking about. The little—that's a metaphor, I think. Else, uh, oh, look at the northern lights rising up there. Oh, we're in a circle. Thank you. There's a fire there, Blitzen. I'll get off and now I have a chill, but it's not from the cold air. It's from the chanting of these elves. Oh, but uh, why? What's that? Again, there's the crashing. It feels like a thumping. Wait, the elves are changing the chair. Little Andy waits. Little Andy waits. Little Andy. Should I chant with you, elves? Uh, little Andy waits. Uh, little Andy waits for, for what? Uh, is little Andy coming? It feels like, are those little Andy's footsteps? Uh, is little Andy coming? Oh, dear. Is little Andy coming to taste? This must be a dream. I must wake up. But the thumping, the thumping. 
Oh, no, I can't wait. Well, my, I'm, I'm made of plastic now. What is happening? My, okay, Reverend Molding, this is a dream. This is a dream. This is a dream. Tell yourself that this, I still hear that thumping. Yes, Reverend Molding, it is a dream. But now you're awake. Yes, yes, I'm awake. Uh, I don't know what that other voice was, but there's still thumping downstairs. Uh, or outside. Uh, oh, it's a storm. Oh, no, but that must be the gate uh, for the sheep. Uh, oh, quickly, I'll run downstairs here, running, running down my stairs. Uh, grab my stocking cap, uh, my robe and my slippers. I'm going to find myself right back in the dream. But that's the the gate for my sheep. It's it's oh dear! It's a oof, it's quite the wind out here. I went to bed so early. I wasn't feeling well. It's uh feels late, but it's not quite late yet. Uh, not quite midnight. Oh no! My sheep have gotten out of the pen. Uh, the gate must have blown open in this uh, storm. It's just starting to pick up. I better go inside and put on my boots and find my sheep. Uh, uh, I'll go back inside and get dressed and head out uh, before the storm really hits. Yes, Reverend Molding, Jack Frost here. You should go catch your sheep, a tender of sheep. Uh, a reverend who has an actual flock of sheep. Uh, all the elves have a good laugh at that. Uh, is we still don't know why you're called Reverend Molding. But yes, it looks like a storm is brewing, or has already been brewed, and is just spilling out across the North Pole, Reverend Molding. But it hasn't come yet. You'll be able to find your sheep. You won't be like little Bo Peep, because uh, uh, we can see the prince in the snow. But what did that dream mean, Reverend Molding? What did that dream uh, say, was it the, uh, oh, wait, uh, there's more going on here at the North Pole. Look, uh, here at, uh, what the Jangle House, uh, it's a game night. Uh, I can hear laughter and cheer coming even out the windows, even with the coming storm and the missing sheep of Reverend Molding. Oh, look inside the window. There's Fiona and Ginny and Rolfine. Uh, uh, drinking and laughing and snacking and uh, what are they saying what are, are you having a disagreement uh the rules clearly state that uh there's no uh je there's no sounds allowed i'm sorry so i have to uh rule is that i'm sorry rolfine it's i'm very sorry but i have to rule that that was an illegal maneuver and I have to give the points to Jenny because you can't make any sounds. It's not fair. Oh, Fiona. Oh, I can't believe you. Oh, uh, that was funny though. Did you, did you, did, did, did you get that sound? Everybody got it because I couldn't help but make it because it's like, uh, it sounds like, and I said a horn sounds just like that. <laughs> oh, oh, well, I'm glad I won. It looks like I'm, I'm getting ahead. Uh, at this game, but yes, sir, thank you, Fiona, for sticking to the rules. Rules are important. Uh, we should we should pick up. Uh, I think I, we could declare a victory for Ginny because uh, you know I, I and I don't like to win by rules. I mean, Mister Ginny, oh my beloved, he was a stickler for the rules. Uh, always he was always going by the rules and tradition, and then being uh, 
having to to uh, be a contrarian at the same time. It was always so frustrating playing with gam- games with him. I mean, I remember uh, when we had our partnership celebration and the two of us came together. He researched all of the traditions uh, all the way back into the furthest elven archives and got out to other elven communities and tried to look at other partnership celebrations and the traditions within the North Pole region and comparing all of it uh, and saying, oh, Ginny, look at this beautiful, this is the meaning behind this. And this is why this must be done this way. These are why these rules are here. These are the traditions behind them and even the story behind those traditions. And he would talk about it and he would plan and he would get into all the details. And I'd say, well, I would prefer not to wear like a, he said, why would I wear sappy branches? Uh, I don't prefer to wear a, a, like a headpiece of sappy branches. It's not, uh, and he said, well, well, and, and we would, we would debate these little things and all these traditions that he held so dear because he was researching and getting into it. But then when it came time to talk about the celebrant, uh, uh, he did not want Santa to be our celebrant for our partnership celebrant ceremony. And I said, well, tell me a ceremony that, uh, I said, what about Mrs. Gloss then? Because uh, I said, tell me a ceremony, a traditional ceremony that doesn't have Santa. And I said, well, we're more progressive now. And Mrs. Claus, uh, uh, and he said, yeah, that's no choice. Uh, and I said, but it's a tradition. And the reason it is a tradition, you know, when we went to the history of the clauses and all of those things. And he would not, I said, okay, so you want me to wear a sappy branch because it links to the power of a, the tale of the uh, thirsty earth or whatever, but we can't have a Colossus. Uh, I, I said, what about Edgar Colossus? Uh, and he said, who's Edgar Colossus? I said, Santa's brother, you know, and I, I joked. I said, there's no Edgar Colossus. Uh, and he went on about royalty. And I said, what's, uh, and we, and I, it was exhausting. He said, what are they, queen and king? And, uh, you know, that's why, we, Things have been so hard lately with, uh, I mean, you both know that he's involved with the resistance somehow because of this need to hold on to the traditions almost uh, too tightly that I've lost him. Uh, I mean, uh, he became so attached to the minutiae and to being both for and against. uh, I don't even understand it myself. I find it all... If I wasn't directly affected, I would find it amusing, but I, you, you know. Oh, Ginny, I'm so sorry. Well, it's not uh, here, no. The... Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Uh, it's just that uh, now it's uh, everything that I hold dear uh, seems to be being threatened, uh, you know, in, and I still love him greatly, so it's, it's, it's a confusing thing, but... Uh, uh, what's that noise? It sounds like someone's at the door. Oh, it's Blitzen. Blitzen, come on in. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, hello, everybody. Uh, Blitzen, it's a good, oh, Rolfine, uh, uh, Ginny, um, uh, Fiona, hi. 
Just been out uh, out on the town. Uh, celebrate. I'm full, I'm full of holiday spirit. Sorry. Oh, Blitzen, have you had a little bit of eggnog or something? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, we were having a great time. I was singing. Uh, we were doing some karaoke. We did some Halloween karaoke. And then some joyful holiday tunes. Uh, how's the game night going? Who, what did, uh, Rolfing, did, uh, did, uh, did you win? Uh, no, I didn't, Blitzen. Oh, bummer. Yeah, so I'm having a great night. I was, uh, then that we had, uh, uh, like, uh, I was down at, uh, the, the, the empty, the empty nose, you know, and, uh, it was a good time. If there's a storm coming in, though, really, like, I don't know, if it's like, can, can you feel the house? It's almost vibrating a little bit, uh, really coming in fast. Uh, I don't know if you, maybe you should all stay here because I got to get to, I think I got to go to bed, though. But if I was, there's one, two, three of you. Well, Jenny, you live here. And I kind of live here, though. I would like to move back, uh, but Jenny's keeping an eye on me, keeping me close. Uh, and, you know, I appreciate it so much, Jenny, and just, you know, uh, well, it's okay. It's okay, Blitzen. You've had a little bit to drink. Why don't you, and, uh, could you do me a huge favor? Rolfine and I'll clean up. Uh, uh, Fiona, Rolfine, I'd prefer it if you stay here. If, if uh, Blitzen, if you could help Fiona get the, uh, guest room ready. Uh, for, for, for Rolfine and uh, Fiona and, and just make sure the bed is made and, uh, and help her turn it down and then get ready for bed. And, uh, Rolfine and I will clean up down here. How's that sound, everybody? It sounds, uh, come on, Fiona, let's get this, let's get this bed made. Now, Jenny and Rolfine, you're cleaning up and cleaning up the game night. Uh, but your thoughts, uh, they don't seem to want to go away. Uh, there's some thoughts, uh, you can't just uh, uh, soak away with uh, dish soap, is there? Oh, I'm sorry about getting so emotional, Rolfine. It's just, uh, you know, uh, can you pass me those glasses? I'll do those, and I'm going to soak those, actually. Red wine, and uh, yeah, thank you. Well, Ginny, it's okay. I mean, I understand uh, that uh, it's a confusing time up here in uh, I think everyone's having second thoughts and or first thoughts or third thoughts, you know. I mean, I've been having second thoughts about Blitzen and Donner and the whole, you know, the whole idea of the reindeer and the workloads. But it's been more second thoughts about the whole thing, you know. It's like, uh, are we being called to understand Christmas magic more? Is Christmas magic waning? I mean, the whole plastics thing, I can't imagine with uh, what you're going through. And it's true what you say. It's like uh, things are changing here in a place where maybe we thought they'd never change or maybe that was just a way we were brought up to believe uh, with our kid-like minds. But now it's like I don't even get it in... All these decisions got to get made, and I'm supposed to make the decisions around the reindeer, but I still have second thoughts, and I have second thoughts about my second thoughts. And, oh, well, Rolfine, I understand what you're saying perfectly. It makes perfect sense. Uh, You have a very important job, 
and a job that you care about and you care about the reindeer and you care about doing your job well and I don't think those things I don't understand it either it's like they're independent and interdependent at the same time and we've learned that the way we've done things for a long time isn't going to keep working and there doesn't seem to be a clear path forward and yeah, even I, I, I guess I always thought Santa and Mrs. Claus had all the answers and they made all the decisions. And anything that was odd, you'd go in and you could uh, talk to one of the Clauses and they would have a hearty laugh and put it all in perspective and give you candy cane and send you on your way. I mean, isn't that what we uh, signed up for? We were younger then, I guess. Uh, oh, I was younger. You're still Rolfine. You still have your whole uh, career in front of you. And I think uh, you got to decide, too, if this is what you want to be doing. Maybe is that part of your second thoughts about your job? Wow, Jenny, I never thought about it that way, really. I mean, I've risen through the rank of reindeer trainer and... I mean, I remember my first job was just, uh, like, uh, watching the right field boundaries for different reindeer games. And then I moved up and I learned new things. And then, you know, as the North Pole has become more integrated with the teachings from the rest of the world, like learning about the biomechanics of reindeer and, and then doing my thesis on wild reindeer and, Learning about the dynamics of, of light and ma magic, uh, what you can understand about all that. I guess I always thought I'd just be in the reindeer business uh, forever, but I don't know. I, I, do you think I'm too? I mean, I mean, is that the second thought? Like I'm too close to my job. I care about the reindeer too much, uh, but at the same time, I don't care about Christmas. Or presence uh, any less. And I'm just worried, you know, about what other people would say. Like, what would they say about Rolfine? Well, Ginny, I mean, uh, it's got to be hard for you with this plastics thing. I, I, I didn't even see how similar what we're dealing with is. Uh, but it, it kind of... It, oh, yes, Rolfine... I guess we're two peas in the pod, huh? Uh, two, ooh, it was really windy out there, really blowing. But yes, I, I uh, it's uh, so confusing. At least, uh, and I don't mean to say this in a way, uh, I'm so glad, I guess is what I mean, that you have Fiona. And I know you and Fiona probably talk about these things, but maybe, maybe that's good why we have friends, too. Like, maybe Fiona's there for you to rest in her arms and and to get away from all this. And maybe I'm here uh, for you to talk it out with. And I'm glad you can have both. And I don't even know. Maybe I'm just projecting Rolfine. Or maybe I'm just a little bit lonely. And, uh, and you have to hear the brunt of it. Uh, but I'm not telling you to appreciate Fiona uh, anymore. 
was saying, do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm fumbling over my words here because I'm scrubbing this, uh, this, uh, uh, cake, uh, cake is caked on this pan. No, Jenny, I understand. I'm, I love Fiona so much and, and you're right. Uh, we do talk about a lot of this stuff, but sometimes we talk about it in, in a rules way, like kind of like the game and in a puzzle way. And then I need a break and I guess, uh, uh, there's a different kind of listening and it's like, kind of like, uh, maybe we're two peas in a pod for a reason. I just wish we knew the reason and it wasn't full of second thoughts and third thoughts of like, okay, well, why can't we have unlimited rain? And what, what, what is this? So, you know, what is this power source? What it, I just wish, I guess that that myth was true, that someone had all the answers and they could just, uh, I guess I just want to be a baby elf sometimes. Well, you could be a baby elf with me. Would you like a, like a candy cane, Rolfine? They're up there in the cupboard there. Go ahead. I don't, I won't tell anyone. You don't even need to brush your teeth. Uh, get one for me too. Yes. Yeah, so you know what? We'll, we'll leave the rest of the dishes too. We're going to be children and as childish as we wish. We're going to have candy and then we're going to go to bed. And tomorrow we'll see how it feels, uh, Maybe we do need to be more kid-like and say, hey, it's tough. Uh, uh, yes, uh, we all want all the answers, and we all want it to be clear and not so... Wow, just really blowing out there. We should uh, we should shut down for the night, and, uh, you know, you should go check on... Wait a second. Uh, I'm hearing a sw- swishing. I wonder if it's those two upstairs joking around. And upstairs... Uh, Fiona, you're making the bed, and uh, Blitzen's being a little bit helpful, but it can be confusing uh, when uh, someone's acting full of cheer, but you can feel it right below the surface, uh, uh, tugging at both of you. Uh, There's songs about it, The Tears of a Clown, and many others, uh, Fiona. But maybe your job's not to uh, suss it out. Maybe your job's just to keep the cheer going. Uh, so that Blitzen can get a good night's sleep, or is it to uh, just make the bed and to talk to your friend? It can be so confusing sometimes. Uh, right, Fiona? Oh, right. I mean, Blitzen, get out of the bed. It, it's uh, we're making the bed, and not getting it. This is this is a bed Rolfine and I are staying at. I'm sure you could go off to your room. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry, Fiona. I'm just confused, Blitzen. Always confused, Blitzen. Uh, Blitzen is slow on the uptake. They say, I'm getting out of bed there. Let's, uh, let's, uh, I wish I had a mint to turn down the pillows for you too. Oh, Fiona, you're such a good friend, and you, and Rolfine, and Jenny's kind of like a bossy friend that, uh, like a kind of like a mother for a friend that's also your mother, that's also your boss, uh, and, you know, uh, does, does, does Rolfie never talk about me when, when you, I know I'm not supposed to ask this to Fiona, but like, I'm going to sit in this chair here. Like, does Rolfie never talk about me at home? You you don't have to tell me, but you could. Oh, Blitzen. Um, I can't, you know, I can't talk about what Rolfie and I talk about. I'm, I'm, 
I'm there for her to listen to her, and that's not anything against you. And you know Rolfine cares about you deeply and the whole team. I mean, she's been involved with all of you uh, for almost her entire life. And she loves the job. And she takes it very seriously, and it's not easy for her, you know. Uh, but I can't, I mean, I, I don't even know what I'd tell you. I really don't know anything about reindeer teams except what I read on the news. Uh, I mean, I guess it, like, because I don't report that stuff because it's uh, kind of like a conflict, uh, just kind of like this. I'm your friend, and yeah, Rolfine's your friend and your boss. Uh, but as your friend, I can tell you that you, we know you've been through a lot these past few months, Blitzen, and we care about you. And Ginny cares about you, too. And not in some way, shoulds or woulds or coulds, uh, in a way that's uh, right here, right now. Like, did you have fun tonight? Or uh, what, what, what was, uh, or is there something else on your mind? Or is there something you want to know? You want me to confirm? Uh, I don't know. I, I want to be here for you, but I also need to respect my relationship with my wife. Well, well, Fiona, I'm just confused is all. I mean, I'm not kidding when I say that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I had to go out tonight and blow off some steam. It's just been hard because I, uh, I don't know. Am I, am I like, uh, am I down too, you know? When people talk about feeling down, uh, do I need to get back to work or do I need to take more time off? Uh, uh, will being back at work make me feel better? Or am I just pushing it? Uh, or is it was is it time for me to move on? And it's confusing for me, and it's confusing time here in the North Pole with all these changes and everybody really being on edge and saying, no, that's not, uh, I don't know, Fiona, I never told anybody this uh and I hope that because you just showed me how strong your boundaries are, that you won't listen to this as a reporter, that you won't listen to this as anything but my friend. But uh, I, I like I was, uh, I was out one night walking and thinking, and I was hoping that the northern lights would appear and I'd be out on the edge of the woods. There's this like meadow. And there's like all these night rabbits that come out there. And it's the one place where I really feel okay. I mean, a little cold. It's a little cold out there, even for me. But I like to go out there and I like to stand at the edge of the meadow. And the pine trees are rising above it and a couple of the hills and some craggy rocks. And then right at the uh, edge of the sky, you know, sometimes the northern lights will go up and... Uh, I don't know, it's nice to look at, but it gives me a reason to be out there alone, looking at the sky. Really, I'm there to kind of watch the night rabbits and listen to them moving around and, and be alone and at peace, away from my thoughts, away from it kind of being like, what am I going to do? What, what does it mean to be a reindeer? What does it mean? What is the solar, you know? I mean, I get the Christmas spirit. I have it. Uh, but the rest of this stuff, it doesn't, and things with me and Donner and the rest of the team, it's like, uh, 
I don't, I just don't understand it, any of it. And when I'm out there, none of that matters. Whether the northern lights are there, it doesn't matter. But I usually stay for less time because I'm always thinking if somebody came up on me and saw me, and they'd say, what are you doing, looking at night rabbits? Uh, or, But if you say you're looking at the northern lights, they don't ask any questions. I say, oh, cool. But, you know, really, I just want to be out there. Uh, but uh, that wasn't what I was going to tell you, Fiona. I'm sorry you started to talk. But uh, uh, I was walking back, and, you know, it, the meadows on the edge of the Colossus Ranch. And I guess I was kind of curious. uh you know, like everybody is, to peek in on Santa, you know, off, uh, kind of off-season, off-duty, and the window was open, and I was listening in, and Santa and Mrs. Goss were talking, and I don't know what they were talking about, but I know I heard, I don't understand it either, I don't even know what to do, and... I'm at my wit's end, I heard Santa say, I'm at my wit's end. And it was like they were, like, uh, disagreeing with each other about something, like, they couldn't figure out, too. And Mrs. Goss was like, well, I just wish, you you know, you're supposed to just trust your gut. And Santa said, I don't know what my gut says. So, you know, it's like, uh, and I was supposed to see that side of the Colossus, and it just kind of let all of this uh, sink in, like this myth I had in my mind, and uh, that somebody had all the answers, that had the Christmas magic, that could just say, boom, there's a toy, when you start to realize, no, there's uh, resources by, you know, this whole transfer of resources, and... Oh, well, is this uh, like the future or is this something, uh, do we know it? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry for sharing that, Fiona. I don't know if that, uh, I mean, this Reverend Molding, right? It, it, like, didn't, that interview with him was pretty good. Well, thanks, Blitz, and thanks for sharing that with me. And as, a, as your friend, I didn't hear it as a reporter. But I can tell you that uh, as a reporter at Elf One News, Fiona Fireside reporting here with my friend, just, I'm just kidding. It, well, it's actually like muscle memory. You know, everyone thinks I have the answers, sure. I have all the insights, and I've heard rumors, um, like similar to what you're telling me. And, you know, elves and humans... Uh, Nobody has all the answers, uh, Blitzen, Reindeer. None of us know what we're doing, really. We're just doing our best, and sometimes I guess maybe there can get to be uh, a sense of somewhere that not everybody's... Tr like, I don't know, It gets. you're right, it's confusing. Like you said at the beginning, confused and confusing. But I don't know everything, and everybody acts like my life is, oh, you're on the news, Fiona. Oh, you and Rolfine are so close. So, you know, you you should be so happy. And you talk about the times when you're at the field looking at the night rabbits, and, you know, sometimes I think I'm not allowed to have times like that because I have a good relationship, because I have a good job. 
I'm just supposed to feel great all the time and have all, like, I, I'm supposed to know everything. I'm supposed to know how to, uh, help Rolfing solve things at work, or I'm supposed to know the right thing to say to Ginny, uh, to make her feel better, or I'm supposed to know how to help you, or maybe we could break a report on something that would help San and Mrs. Kloss just, you know, but I, I don't have all the answers. And it's like these limits uh, we're coming up against all at once up here for some reason. And what does it mean to be limited? I don't know. It's not easy, right? And um, you know what? I'm really glad I have friends like you, Butts, and, uh, you know, because I know I'm not perfect. And you know I'm not perfect, <laughs> if that's what you're going to say, uh, Fiona. You're right, though. I'm glad I have a friend like you, too. And what is that? Bang? There's a bunch of banging downstairs. Oh boy! Uh, what do you do? You hear that? What is that? It sounds like somebody's uh, like. Uh, is that Mr. Jangle or or so I hear another voice downstairs? Oh, we better let's go downstairs and find out. That's right. You better go downstairs and find out, Fiona and Blitzen, because uh, down there, uh, there's some noise and it's uh. A guest is seeking shelter from the storm. The noise down there, dear Fiona and dear Blitzen, is the arrival of one uh, Reverend Molding. But Reverend Molding's not alone. Reverend Molding has a flock with them. Oh, Reverend Molding, come on in, come on in. What, what have you... Uh, but you come, come in. It is storming out there. That storm is really blowing. What are you doing out there? Oh, th thank you, thank you, Jenny. Thank you. Uh, it's uh, it's quite a storm. Listen, I need a huge uh, favor. Yeah, I'm outside. Uh, what's that? What's that noise out there? It sounds like uh, it sounds like uh, what? It, what is it? It's a, is that buying? Yes, it's my sheep. They're buying. They got. I know this is. Uh, is there any way I could bring the sheep inside? I know this is. Uh, I hate to do this to your home, uh, Jenny. And I know, uh, the, like uh, this is totally. Could you please bring my sheep in too? Uh, they're stuck outside, and and I just uh, just got them all together. Oh yes, Reverend Molding, send your sheep in. Come on in. Oh, look at these beautiful sheep covered in snow. A uh, little bit of hello, hello, hello. One sheep, two sheep, three sheep, four, uh, five sheep, seven sheep. Uh, how many more? Oh, 12, okay, 32, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 14. Okay, that is it. Oh, Reverend Molding, I didn't, I had heard you keep sheep, and I, we all have a laugh at it. Uh, a Reverend with a flock of sheep is so hilarious. Yeah, uh, but, uh, like, no, they say literal sheep. Uh, uh, but, oh, you'll have to teach us all their names, and don't worry that they're tracking mud and water, and it's fine. Come in, sit down, Reverend Molding. Sit down, sheep. Uh, I guess you do as you wish. Uh, uh, Blitzen, why don't you uh, bring the sheep into the living room where there could be the fireplaces on there? And, uh, you know, we we're going to redo that carpet anyway, so let them in there. The Reverend Molding is like, fine, the sheep could sleep on the carpet in the living room. It's very warm in there. 
and I'd love for you to be our guest. It's no no, no storm to be outside tonight. Uh, you could tell us all about it. It seems like it came out of nowhere. But Reverend Molding, you could, if you want to sleep with your sheep, you could have the couch. Otherwise, uh, we could figure out arrangements. We were all staying here tonight. Uh, are you all right? Uh, here's a, oh, thank you, Rolfine. Yes, yes, Reverend. Here, have some uh, hot cocoa. Uh, beautiful sheep, they are. Oh, you have a curious look on your face. Are you curious to the sheep? Uh, Reverend Molding, what's this, the look on your face? Are you still worried about your sheep? You seem, uh... Yeah, it's a storm, uh, Ginny. It's not like anything. There's something strange going on out there. It, it uh... Well, I had this dream, so maybe my judgment's off, uh... And, uh, Blitzen, you were in it. Uh, you were made of wood. And I don't know if that has me off tonight. I'm sorry. Uh, that's why my look seems so distant. But, uh, well, there's something seriously not right about the storm. But the storm itself was strange to begin with. It came up quick, but, uh, I don't know. I just, my gut was off. And then... As it got thicker and thicker, I started to sense uh, that not all the snow was cold. And if you look in the back of my hood here, look at this. This is shredded plastic. It's not snow at all. But there is snow. You can see the water everywhere from me and the sheep. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, this is the plastic in the plastics warehouse. Uh, so something strange is, uh, Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, Rolfine, you're the only one with clearance to know this. But at this point, uh, uh, the storm itself is uh, a result of the North Pole. To the North. It sounds like your gut was right, and it does seem uh, that it could be uh, the North Pole defense system. Uh, we do have uh, weather-making technology, and that'll be part of your NDA that you signed anyway, Reverend Molding. And that could cause a storm like this, and that would only be in a situation, you know, to obscure observation or something else. Some other event could have triggered it. Uh, uh, but the plastic, like uh, there's plastic in the air out there. Let me open the, oh my goodness, like there's snow and plastic mixed together, and it looks like even thicker snow. Uh, Fiona, is your phone working? Are you, are, you, are you in touch with anyone? Yeah, it's, uh, right now everybody have a seat. It's, uh, it is the defense system and there's something else happening. It seems like, uh, uh, the rebels, uh, the resistance, uh, has gotten into both, uh, the wood, the metal and the plastic, uh, storage warehouses and, uh, uh, something's happening, uh, but basically it's just a storm. I think uh, no one knows. They say it's just a really bad storm. Uh, but Reverend Molding, well, my dream, there was a giant Andy coming. Is, uh, is that part of uh, uh, what's happening? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, uh, oh, my sheep are buying too. And as your sheep buy, Reverend Molding, and as you check your phone, Fiona, Rolfine, 
and Jenny as you rack your brains, and Blitzen as you nod off. Uh, we all wonder what's happening here at the North Pole, what's going on uh, as the wind blows the snow and plastic around. But you're all here together, and you're all here to help one another. And you're all snuggled in a warm place uh, full of uh, nice uh, fuzzy sheep. Uh, so maybe the answers will come in the morning after a good night's rest. And, oh, you seem to be listening to me and nodding and saying, okay, okay, well, the storm's too thick. Uh, so let's all go to bed and get a good night's sleep. Ginny uh, really is a leader. Sending you off to bed. Nice job, Ginny. And Jack Frost uh, is nipping at everyone's nose that's outside right now. But also nipping at your toes to tell you, hey, go to sleep, uh, sweetie poos. Uh, good night. All right, so we're back with another episode of uh, As the North Pole Turns. Uh, but I did want to mention Lauren had some good, uh, good, the cold and the beautiful, the sleighs of our lives and the young and the festive, uh, uh, which are great titles too. And uh, so let's see, where do we leave off last? Well, we're at the North Pole. I know that much. I do know that uh, it, when we started last episode, it was game night and uh, at the... Uh, Either the Jingle or the Jangle household. They, they like Ginny, Ginny Jingle or Ginny Jangle. Maybe it's Ginny Jangle, Jingle, Jingle Jangle. Maybe that is it. Maybe it's a hyphenated last name. Ginny Jingle Jangle or Jangle Jingle. And she had over her friends Rolfine and Fiona uh, for game night. And they played some, they were playing a game and Blitzen came home a little bu buzzed, heavily buzzed. Yeah, right at the edge of it. Then a storm came. Oh, also, uh, Reverend Molding had had a bad dream. And then Reverend Molding's sheep had got away. But then Reverend Molding found his sheep and, and had sought, sought, sought solace uh, at Ginny Jingle Jangle's house, or Jangle Jingle's house, um, from the storm with his sheep, uh, and then the group realized that something was amiss because a lot of the storm was made up uh, from shredded plastic. And also maybe the storm was part of this North Pole. I don't know if they had a chance to do this exposition. That's a good thing about this uh, beginning part, uh, especially in a sleep podcast. Is, uh, so there, there's this North Pole defense system. I think stage one is just a heavy storm. And that way... Uh, you can't see anything because, uh, you know, so like this is 1950s. I think they even had spy satellites back then or the U-2. And uh, so they could cover it up. Uh, so you can't find the North Pole on Google Maps, maybe. I mean, you can find the North Pole. You know what I'm saying. Uh, then they realized that the uh, underground uh, or the rev like uh, resistance, I can't remember what they're called, but they, they had a... Uh, uh, like they were up to something as far as like the shredded plastics. Uh, oh, also, just in case you're totally new, you really don't need to listen to the other two episodes. I I'll give you everything right now. Okay, so we're, it's a North Pole in the 1950s. Uh, this is a soap opera, but it's more of a melorama than a melodrama, which means lots of talking while events unfold in the background about, you know, mild personal uh 
life. Uh, in the North Pole in the 1950s, uh, right, the main like uh, thing is that the North Pole is getting ready to transition to its main uh, natural, like not natural resource, obviously, but its main produ- uh, production. I don't know. The main thing they make toys out of is going to go to plastics from wood metal uh, because of market, you know, just because of, uh, I don't know. That's, I guess, one of the reasons that uh, people, there's a resistance because they say, you don't know about this change. Wooden plastics pretty good for toys uh, since when, or wooden metal. So they think that's about it. So the characters are Reverend Molding. He represents the plastics industry in some manner, like a consultant at the North Pole. Uh, Ginny, Jingle Jangle or Jangle Jingle, she's the lead of the Alpha Unions, I believe. Uh, Fiona Fireside is a reporter for Elf One News, and her partner is Rolfine. We didn't talk about it in the last episode, but I believe Rolfine is... Uh, is like a, like a, she's part elf and part maybe snow person, uh, but I'm not sure on that because uh, it, it ended up not being essential to the plot, <laughs> the plotting plot. Uh, uh, but she is a lead reindeer trainer or in charge of reindeer training. Then you have Blitzen. Blitzen has been through something we're not sure. It was something mildly, you know, mild life event. Uh, and moved in with Ginny Jangle, Jang, Jing, Ginny Jing, Jingle Jangle, uh, to kind of, you know, kind of like a rehab recovery thing. Uh, Blitzen and Donna are particularly close because they're like, uh, like uh, Donner, you know, Common and Cupid, Donna and Blitzen. Uh, so Donna appears in the episodes, uh, but Donner's kind of a ter- I'm not trying to throw Donna or anything, but you know, Donner's kind of a tertiary character. So I don't really know too many deets about Donner. Donner cares about Blitzen, um, but maybe could be more sensitive to Blitzen's needs if, you, if you're asking me. But I guess maybe I'm closer to Blitzen, so that's where I'm coming from. Also, I don't know if Jenny Jangle's husband appeared in the first episode, or but there's been talk of him being with the Resistance or the leader of the Resistance, uh, which is an interesting wrinkle. And so when we last left off, everyone was at Jenny Jangle Jingle Jingle Jangle's house, uh, uh, dealing. Oh no, they went to bed because they said, "Holy cow, we're gonna have to deal with this in the morning." Uh, a revolution at the North Pole. I don't know if it's a revolution, more of a chaotic disruption, and uh, you know, snowing plastic and a, a storm, regular storm, supplemented by shredded plastics. Uh, and we think communication and power has been cut off too. So that's where we we open our new. Well, we're going to jump ahead though. So I'll just prepare you for that. Uh, we're going to jump ahead. Like you'll be able to fill in the details. But basically, we're going to be going to planning. They're going to be in a planning meeting. And Ginny Jangles, like of course, the lead on that uh, planning. How they're going to deal with. Uh, uh, what they've found out is going on, uh, which all that should unfold. They should be able to do a little backwards exposition with this uh, planning meeting. And I'll turn it over to uh, Jack Frost, uh, who does this place, sets the table for us with these episodes in a faux, not a narrator or conscience, but something in between. Uh, Jenny Jingle Jingle, uh, 
leader of the elf trade unions, but can you lead Jenny as you go uh, with your friends? Uh, can you lead when you don't know where you're going and you're doubtful you even know what to do, Jenny? Uh, because seems like the North Pole needs a leader right now, but a leader that's uh, maybe a little more clued in than you. Is that what you're thinking, Jenny Jangle? This is Jack Frost and nipping at your ear. Okay, okay, Fiona, go back over. What do we know now? Okay, here's what I've been able to get from my sources on the phone and from the reports at the station and the paper. Uh, the resistance has joined with some, uh, some, some, they're supplemented by something. And they took out that first plastic warehouse, which Reverend Molding has told us is just a backup, uh, uh, for full production for next year. And they're headed to all the completed toys because this is our last uh, full season of metal and plastic toys. And it seems like they're setting out to, to, to get rid of all those toys. And I don't quite understand it, like, uh, uh, what we know, uh, but we know that they've launched the wooden soldier brigades. And those, you know, those wooden soldiers move slow, but then terribly, the two main pieces, which has always been rumored about uh, the North Pole Defense Force, is a giant, uh, the giant wooden, like, uh, I don't know if you remember as a kid, because even though they were the North, these were always decorations as well, with the giant snow person statue. Uh, with arms and things is actually like can roll on that. It's made from wood and it is wreaking havoc in the, in, in it's disrupted most of the assembly plants and it is headed to, 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 to deal with, uh, and everything's in chaos. So no one even, these are the main things we would use to stop these things. Uh, but it's headed towards the metal toys. And then there's a giant metal, uh, I think you, Rolfine, you said it was aluminum or some, like, I don't know. It's some sort of metal, uh, remember they said, uh, oh, in the future we'll have Christmas robots. So it's present by 2000 and it looks like stacks of presents, but also a robot, uh, from the movies and those motion pictures. And it is, uh. It has a giant spring in its back, but I think Rolfine said that now it's a, did you say it's diesel powered now? Uh, but, uh, whatever. So, uh, that's headed for the wooden toys, uh, completed toys ready to go, uh, for Christmas Eve. And I just can't believe that it's in, in, in like, uh, that, that, that's what's happening. So that's what we have, Jenny. What do you think? Okay. Well, we went through that. Thank you for going through that again, Fiona. And here's what we have planned. We're going to deal with this, and it's going to be fine. We have plenty of time for the wooden soldiers, and we've charted out the wooden soldiers' path, and we expect them to head to the plastics facility. Uh, I don't know why. The I guess it's not time to ask reason why, because uh, I don't know why the, uh, they're doing this. Uh, they're going to disrupt all of the holiday season. Uh, but here's what our plan is. Uh, we're going to split up into groups and we're going to, uh, uh, we're going to get this done. And we, I think we have developed a pretty good plan. So we're going to try to deal with, uh, the, the metal. The, don't worry. I know the ins and outs of the metal, uh, uh present by 2000. So that's going to be taken care of easily. 
Uh, so you two are going to go deal with that. Uh, then the four of us are going to, to go uh, deal with the wooden robot. I mean, the wooden, whatever, defense uh, snow person. Uh, because it's going to be a little bit t t t tough cause just because of the density of the wood we used on that. Uh, and the fact that that one is also, we, we were working on upgrading it. Uh, so it's uh, like uh, it, ha it has uh, some... I don't know. We'll deal with it. I have, I have, we have our plans. Everyone knows their roles and their team member. We're buddying up here, buddy, buddy. So let's, uh, let's get split up and let's head out. And, uh, Reverend Molding, I think we're going to, we're going to bring your sheep. Uh, well, we'll come back to the house and get the sheep because we're going to use the sheep, uh, uh, for the final stage. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah. So let's, uh, let's uh, get this dealt with and then, uh, yeah, let's go. Let's break. And break they did, Donner. And you headed off to help. Uh... Now, Donner, did you ever think you would see the North Pole in such chaos like this? Uh, not that it's a surprise with uh, the chaos that goes inside of all your relationships, uh, Donner. And your need for order. Uh... It's strange, Donner, that your need for order causes such chaos. Uh, and the harder you've tried uh, to make everyone fit into the reins, as they say, for you and for poor Blitzen, the harder you've tried to squeeze everyone into those round pegs. Uh, the hard Oh, did Jenny say? Actually, Jenny's talking to you, Donner. You better listen. Uh, Donner, I said, hand, can you hand me that blanket? Thanks, Donner. You looked like you were a thousand miles away there. You got a lot on your mind? Uh, no. Oh, what was I saying? Well, these blankets. We're going to put these blankets over them and see. I'm just going to staple it in here. These blankets will hold uh, hold better because uh, uh, these are uh, these are the kind of blankets we use for the uh, the, the smoke brigade. So. Anyway, Donner, while I'm putting these on, and you keep handing me blankets, uh, we, uh, we, 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 we were noticing that Blitzen came home pretty, bl Blitzen was blitzed last night a little bit, Donner, but a happy, according to Blitzen, oh, so happy a buzz, uh, and, I mean, I don't know, I was thinking about it, uh, and I know probably now is a nice time because it, it, all of uh, Blitzen's happy actions made me feel a little down and a little sad. Uh, and I know it's really not my business, uh, Donner, uh, to get involved in your business. Uh, but I'm your friend, and I'm Blitzen's friend. And, I mean, I guess I learned this the hard way. You're talking to someone on the outs. Uh, you can't make Blitzen be happy, uh, Donner. You can't, uh, even Blitzen can't make Blitzen happy. And maybe it's not about being happy. You know, it's about, uh, finding, finding it's like, what's going on here? And, uh, but maybe, I don't know. I was just thinking like, uh, even though it's not about being happy, what would make Blitzen, like what puts a smile on Blitzen's face or, Okay, hand me, hand me a couple more. We got to get these done. We're, we're doing good. You know, then we're going to, we'll pack it in here and we'll be ready to go. Um, 
Like, you know what I mean? Is there any time you remember the lights uh, really coming on in Blitzen's eyes? Because it's been a long time. I don't know, Ginny. Well, when was the last time you talked about uh, uh, something and you felt like Blitzen was almost a Christmas tree? You know what I mean? Yeah, go ahead and relax. I'm doing I'm doing the work here. You're just handing it off. Uh, well, Ginny, there was this time... Oh, I almost forgot about it because it didn't seem like that big a deal. But we were on an overnight with uh, the Colossus. Uh, we were out there. We were doing undercovers at these uh, fake North Poles. Uh, we were filling in on the, like second and third shifts. Uh, and we were fake reindeer. And, you know, Santa was uh, uh, Santa Claus with the great beard and everything. And. Hey, you, oh, you even came with your own Mrs. Claus, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, Santa likes to check in on those operations. And this one was a little bit interesting because it was in a cold area, too. And they had this big log cabin uh, main lodge called the Coffee House. And everyone in there, you could go in there and you could have coffee. You could sit by the fire. And in this particular time, you could just tell Santa what you were looking for for Christmas. We even had the reindeer inside. And while this was going on, they had a little stage and everything. And people were playing those acoustic guitars. I don't know if they were, some people said these were beatniks, Jenny, but I don't know what that means. Uh, and they were just doing carols. And some of them were a little bit more political carols, uh, Oh, yeah, I remember your husband was there. Uh, but a lot of it, it was just a spirit. There was a spirit there, and Blitzen was enthralled uh, with the whole thing. The wood, the guitars, uh, the environment. Uh, I just remember uh, his eyes uh, looking around the room. And, yeah, he was smiling, and he said, what is it, uh, he said, this place is great. Uh, and every once in a while after that, I would wake up and I would look over. And he would have that same look on his face. Uh, and I said, what are you, what are you thinking about? Uh, and first he'd say, you. But then he'd say, the coffee house. Uh, and the first time I said, what coffee house? And he said, the one at the North North Pole, uh, silly goose. And I think he really liked that. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, anyway, Jenny, I'm sorry, but but I, I don't know what that has to do. Is it not like a, I mean, we have coffee here at the North Bowl. Okay, yeah, yeah, Donner. That's thanks for sharing that with me. That's powerful. I'm almost finished here, and I'm just thinking and wondering uh, how things are going with Blitzen and Reverend Molding uh, right now. Jack Frost here, Blitzen. Uh, Blitzen, oh, Blitzen, who is this Reverend Molding, and why do his sheep follow him with such long eyes, Blitzen? What is he up to? What is a consult? Why, uh, why these plastics, and why the sheep? Uh, none of it makes much sense, does it, Blitzen? Even more confusing... Uh, then before, uh, well, Blitzen, these uh, steam plows are amazing devices. Uh, we're really going to pick up the uh, plastic in no time. 
I can't believe that outside the North Pole they don't have... Now, you see these are going to transition. The engines are going to change. Uh, but it's a steam-powered uh, plow with hot steam in the plow. Like, why wouldn't they put all the boilers of the plows uh, in there? And it's raised a little bit out the bottom uh, to relieve the pressure. Uh, but the plow is so hot, it's just melting all the snow. We're just picking all the plastic right up. But I just don't understand... Uh, uh, how, why this would work? Why this wouldn't work anywhere else, Blitzen? Yeah, it's a it's a steam plow. Yeah, rubber molding works with boiling water. No, no, Blitzen. I'm I'm saying why didn't it? Why doesn't? Uh, why do haven't any of the other pl uh, plow companies uh, uh, just put a steam boiler, uh, run their plows on steam? And uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, well, because it, what it does is it boils the water in the back, uh, but the water pressure builds up in the plow. Uh, the plow is airtight except for the steam holes at the bottom, you said, right, for the pressure and to melt the snow. Now, if it gets really cold, uh, you know, they, they'll occasionally clog up, but not really because it's so hot, and then we can relieve the steam in the back. That's why I'm, that's my job. You're driving. And I'm making sure the steam doesn't build up too much and that we can, I can let off the steam by pulling this lever out the back, uh, like the steam hole in the back. It's just like train, almost uh, rubber molding, but, uh, you know, with the boiler in the front to melt the snow. Couldn't do that with plastic, I guess, huh? Oh, we could, could not, maybe not. I don't know, but it's in... Uh, but it looks like we're going to have, uh, we're got a, it looks like we need more plastic. So let's just keep driving here. We got a little bit of time for a chat. Uh, it's great to spend some time with you, Blitzen. One of Santa's reindeer, one of the legends. Uh, it really is an honor to be trying to help you uh, deal with whatever's happening. A giant wooden snowman. I never thought I'd be dealing with that. What's well, a snow person, actually? Uh, because it, it's just a statue. It was just a, a statue that would move for, for the kids. Uh, okay, Blitzen, that's terrific. Uh, Blitzen, how, like, uh, despite what's happening now, how have you been feeling about your future? You know, I'm, I was Reverend Molding. I look to the future. And, uh, you know, I'm always thinking about the future. You know, that's why I'm here, is I believe plastics are the future. Uh, for not just me for, or the North Pole, but for the whole world. And uh, how's your future looking, uh, you know, up until today or yesterday? But listen, because I noticed you, uh, you're a little frowny. You know, Reverend Molding, my future is not feeling so great. Uh, uh, but shouldn't we just, like, keep collecting the plastic and not talk? Uh, I need to focus on this. I can't let this steam build up too much. Uh, Otherwise, you know, I have to let off some steam. Oh, Blitzen, you're talking almost like you're talking in riddles. Uh. Oh, Blitzen, tell me, come on. I'm here. I'm uh, because I'm a reverend. It means you could talk to me, uh, and I see it on your face. Uh, you're wanting something else, uh, Blitzen, uh, something different. Uh, just go ahead and tell me what, what it is you want, if you're comfortable, or what, what do you wish? Uh, where do you wish you were right now? You know, feel the motion of this plow, the chugging, the you know, whatever these tr tracks are called. Uh, 
as we go here, we're on it uh, on this nice uh, uh, thing. Where are you, Blitzen, if you're comfortable? Where am I? You know, Reverend Molding, where I am, I'm standing. Uh, I got a mop in one hand and a mug in the other. And I'm just taking a sip of uh, my latest uh, cocoa invention, uh, Cran Cocoa, maybe. I don't know. That one I haven't tested out yet. And uh, and then I'm getting ready to mop uh, the floor. Uh, and it feels good. Uh, that's that's where I am. A wood paneled floor with oil soap. <laughs> oh, reindeer from Santa's reindeer blitz and... Uh, to clean up crew, hey, that's where you are. Uh, maybe you're just comforting yourself by picturing something so different from our current circumstances. Or are you more of a like a business person, Blitzen Janitorial? From Santa Slay uh, to, to take your cleaning blues away or something like that, Blitzen. Uh, uh, is that what you're getting at? No, no, not a... Uh, well, yes and no, uh, Reverend Molding. Uh, uh, not a janitorial service, but a coffee house, uh, a cocoa house, a house of cocoa with uh, wood, kind of like a log cabin where you go and you drink cocoa or coffee or tea and people can perform uh, and play music and and uh, do poetry they call it like uh like uh where people can snap and and get down to the beat uh maybe even some jazz music uh on friday nights well that sounds like a little bit like a rev revolution uh what, what uh well no it's uh it's like a place of my own blitzen's uh blitzen's house of coco or coco house uh it's a place where other people can get on stage and I can be behind the cocoa bar or cleaning or shining or polishing. Uh, I don't know. Just It's just, you're right, uh, Reverend Molding. It's just a dream I had. You asked me what I was, where I'd want to be, and that's where I'd want to be. Uh, just feeling the weight of that mop handle in my hand. Well, 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 I guess it's a future you've envisioned. That's great. Uh, yeah, speaking of the future, Reverend Molding, uh, is this plastic really the, what you make it out to be? I mean, we're getting a lot of it here. Uh, I think we should start pushing it towards where uh, Gin, Ginny and Donna are. Uh, can it really be, is, uh, uh, like have all the benefits of wood and metal? And I realize they can't have all of, all of them, but uh, you see just the benefits and not all the downsides, but, uh, and I don't understand how you say it's a, a fix for limited resources. Doesn't it come from oil or something like that? Uh, or, or what? Uh, well, Blitzen, it is, it's, uh, it, it is in plastics, an amazing thing. And that's the warehouse Gin, Ginny and uh, Don are in, right? Uh, you just watch as we, uh, come in here. We're going to take this plastic, uh, which has been shredded, uh, and I don't have time to explain everything, but we're going to heat it up, uh, 
and we're going to put it in those uh, giant snow snow pulps, uh, snow pulps that uh, Ginny designed uh, that they over-engineered uh, uh, for snowball competitions. And then they said, well, maybe we could use these to defend the North Pole. And they said, well, snow catapults, uh, it's a good thing you still use them uh, for, for, well, yeah, we used them for the elves wanted to, uh, we figured out a safe way to use them for the, the elves wanted to put on these Olympics. But yeah, anyway, uh, I'm sorry, Reverend Molding. Well, I'm just saying, so we're going to heat up these, uh, and then we're going to light them like, uh, like a beautiful candle. And then we'll launch these giant uh, plastic snowballs in some sense at the uh, the wooden snow person, and they'll stick. Uh, but they'll keep the ca- the candle going, and we won't have. Uh, oh, there's a see, uh, giant. That is a giant uh, wooden. I'm glad they painted it uh, the color of snow. It's really shaking the earth. Uh, let's get in here. Hey, Jenny. Uh, hey, Donner. It's me and Blitzen. Well, it looks like we should enact our plan, huh, Jenny? Yeah, we could just, we'll just, uh, I have all these pots here. So we'll put all the plastic, start putting it in these giant pots, uh, and they're all on burners. And then we'll melt the plastic and dump them into the cat snow pulps. And then we'll, uh, we're going to be all set. It's going to be great. I just hope things are going well elsewhere. Uh, Rolfine and Fiona, uh, together at last, uh, working. Uh, together uh, to try to uh, help the North Pole. Uh, but can your differences be helped? Uh, can, can what's uh, left unspoken between the two of you find words? And is now the right time, or is it not? Will the words uh, push you further apart, or will they bring you closer together? Uh, what is it, Rolfine and Fiona? Uh, okay, Fiona. The, so the saltwater intake is right, right where Jenny said it. Uh, so we're going to run it right into... Uh, this is just like... Uh, I remember to the uh, when people feed their lawns. Remember we were reading those articles about uh, uh, green grass and uh, how the American suburbs are blooming with this unnatural green grass and they use all the fertilizer. So it's going to run, the salt water is going to run into the corrosives tank. And that's the tank they use uh, to test on all the metal to make sure that the paint uh, is uh, is on there. Because otherwise it will corrode the metal right away. Uh, but when we spray it with the salt water, uh, that'll chip the paint enough that the corrosive can get in there. Additionally enhanced by the salt water. And uh, so you do you have that screwed in there, Fiona? Yes, I do. It's uh, it's screwed right in, and it's looking good. Okay, so uh, and then we just plug this other hole in into uh, into the the uh, ladder truck here, right? And then all we got to do is spray the bot uh, with the the hose. Uh, the only question is, uh, how do we get the? Uh, I mean, how do we get the bot over here? I think we've got it under control. I just got to think for a minute, and I just have so much, uh, like, everything with Blitzen and Donner and now Ginny. I don't know. It's just got me. It's, it's, I've just been thinking about it so much. 
Well, yeah, it's, it's been quite a night, uh, Fiona. I'm sorry. And I know I've been really consumed with uh, stuff at work and everything with Blitz. And, I mean, uh, on a professional and personal level, it's not been easy. And all this, I think it's all this change up here. Maybe it's got us trying to not think about change. Is there any, and I know I've been saying no to a lot of stuff. Uh, is there anything that I could say yes to that you think I'll say no to? Uh, maybe that'll get things, uh, you know what I mean? Is there anything you've been meaning to ask me or you've been thinking about, uh, like with all this change, uh, I don't know if you want to do it to him. Am I making any sense at all? Oh, Rolfine, you're making more than sense. You're making music to my ears. And, yeah, I do have something I've been meaning to ask you. And I was positive you would say no. And it's something simple. And it, I, it was it's silly that I didn't just ask. Uh, and then I kept not thinking about it uh, or trying to. And you know what happens when you do that? It seems even more and more appealing. And then I started to think about it and research it more. And then say, no, Rolfine's too busy. And Rolfine's uh, not into it, wouldn't be into it. Um, well, go ahead and just ask me, Fiona. It's okay. And it's okay if I maybe I'll say yes. Uh, but can you trust me to say yes or to say no? Oh. Yeah, I guess I can. I don't know. You know, I'd, what I'd like to do is uh, go square dancing and not just go square dancing, but take it. There's uh when we were in uh, Cheyenne, they have a competitive uh, square dancing. And I thought, like, I know you don't like it, uh, but I thought maybe the competitive part would get you. And they also have... Uh, because then I was like, oh, maybe we could also do that. We're, like, I thought you might like the calling of it, too, even though, because you do that silly voice when we're in Wyoming. You call it Wyom, Wyoming, right? Remember that, uh, Rolfine? Like, would you want to take square dancing lessons with me? Fiona, I would. I would love that. Uh, and I love that idea. To be honest, I've been really feeling stagnant, too, and... I've been afraid to ask you because I've been wanting to do something competitive. Uh, and I'm started to feel like, uh, even with the, uh, I don't know, uh, I've wanted to get into something that I could focus on. And, and I don't know, I've really missed the compet. I think that would be fun. It might be hard at first and I might get grouchy. Uh, but I think, oh, wait, I forgot. Um, I also, I just, I, I, I yes to the square dancing. But also, I just thought of an idea. What if you call in, I think, remember we were talking about that, uh, like one of the managers at the station is probably with the resistance. Uh, what if you call in a report uh, is that there's a hidden, uh, where, where we are right, oh, that's what I'll do, I'll do that. Uh, and then as soon as you call in that report, the the, um, the present bot 2000 will come and we'll just hose it down. And then, uh, then, then they'll rust and be locked up, like just like Jenny said. And then all our problems will be like then. Then we'll have to go meet them uh, to cut off the wooden soldiers. 
Well, yeah, I, I like that plan, uh, and I love you. I love you, too. Okay, l l I'm going to call the station and tell them that uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to be reporting live from this. Uh, I, I guess I can only do a phone report uh, where we found a hidden backup cache of uh, wooden and metal presents below this warehouse. Well, that's brilliant, my uh, uh, square dancing partner. Thanks. Uh, you're my country time lemonade. Well, now, Jenny, Jack Frost here. And it seems like your plan is going as planned pretty darn well. You've gotten the uh, snow person wooden uh, defense bot or whatever it's called. Uh, Rolling around, who would have thought uh, that it was something would roll around in its own sphere? And that would be an effective way to cross through snow or sand uh, quickly. Maybe one day it'll be made of something other than wood. Oh, but oh, those plastic snowballs! They—they—they uh, 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 they they took care of uh, that. Uh, snow person won't be. Uh, you know, messing up any toys in the near future. And Rolfine and Fiona really hosed it down Present Bot 2000. And Present Bot 2000 is not going anywhere anytime ever. Uh, the combination of the salt water and the corrosives uh, shut that bot down. And that present won't be re-gifted, Ginny. Don't mind me uh, joking. But it looks like that was all a trick because the wooden soldiers, uh, they seem to have been upgraded with ice skates and skis and uh, whatever those things are, mushing shoes. Uh, and they've already gotten to all the wooden toys and all the metal toys. And now... It uh, doesn't look great. Uh, it looks like uh, they're headed. Uh, uh, where would they be headed next? Uh, you've tried to guess. Would it be the plastic toys? Uh, or would it be uh, the Colossus house? Uh, nobody knows. Uh, nobody knows why we haven't seen Santa or heard from Santa or Mrs. Claus. Uh, but something uh, needs it to be done. But Reverend Molding has an idea. But there's something about Reverend Molding, uh, Jenny, isn't there? Okay, Jenny. So, uh, just like the uh, the the snow pulps, uh I think we could put these uh, uh, these things on my sheep, and we'll we'll make them because these were for. Uh, Remember, originally these were for uh, like uh, like horses, uh, play horses, to make them for the uh, the GI bills uh, uh, to make the horses, and they have little launchers and stuff. And I think we can fit them. We just have to. Uh, we 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 can. Uh, I'm already molding some. Uh, Reverend Molding is molding. Uh, I've injected some plastics here, and the sheep are ready to go. And these sheep really listen to me. So what we can do, even if uh, the wo they're just wooden soldiers, right? So if they she see sheep that look like they're uh, weaponized to sheep, I guess, 
uh, we could just uh, cut them off, and the only thing is we don't know where they're going. Uh, uh, like, uh, oh, there's, here comes Fiona. Maybe she knows. Uh, Reverend Molding Jenny, I, I, I think they are headed to the Colossus house. That's the best guess we can get. Um, but Rolfine went out with uh, Blitzen and Donner, and she's going to be back any minute. Uh, but that's everything at the stage. Oh, here, they're, they're, they're flying back in. Hey, everybody, it's me, Rolfine. Yeah, so it looks like uh, the, the Colossus house, uh, I don't think they're there. I don't know where Santa and Mrs. Colossus have gone. And uh, I only came back because uh, I promised uh, uh, Fiona I would. But I think they're headed to the reindeer. They're going to try to get rid of all the sleighs and... And uh, that's the only place they could go, so we have to get moving. Uh, do, do, do you almost have these sheep ready? We do. Uh, we we will have the sheep ready, and we can get walking. We could still move faster, even with them on. Uh, uh, I can make up a plastic sleigh. I have an assemble your own plastic sleigh for uh, photographers, and uh, it should be light enough for two reindeer. Uh, so we could fly. And my sheep, believe it or not, are very quick, uh, so they could walk. Uh, if we could only delay uh, the uh, the uh, wooden soldiers' uh, uh, time enough uh, to, to get the sheep there on time, uh, then I have a feeling the uh, sheep will save the day. Uh, so if we all get in this, see, so you just put tab A into tab to tab B there. Yep, okay. Uh, we'll get going, and we can... Uh, we can cut off the uh, wooden soldiers and, uh, in the, also there was, was there any tin soldiers? I'm surprised. But anyway, let's get moving. Yes, let's get moving, Reverend Molding. Uh, get ready for your journey. It'll take you a little while to assemble that sleigh and prepare it. Uh, but we'll see how your plan works out soon. And if Christmas can be saved, uh, good night. All right, welcome to the uh, final episode of our uh, ongoing holiday melorama soap opera. It takes place in the North Pole as the North Pole turns. And if you haven't listened to any episodes, I'll catch you right up. You don't get, you don't really have to listen uh, in any order because I'm gonna go through everything and get you right caught up. Uh, so, how, like, uh, what is it called? As the North Pole Turns is, uh, like, it takes place in the North Pole in the 1950s, uh, right at the height of, like, uh, when everything was going great, uh, you know, but then they said, well, should we shift uh, from, uh, you know, metal and wood-based toys to plastic toys? That's kind of the way the world's going down south of us. And just like any change, uh, there was uh, various uh, opinions about it, and, it also triggered when when you're faced with one kind of change, it, it, it kind of makes you like, this is what's great about it, not a melodrama, but a melorama. It kind of forces you to look inward. And, and we've been following the stories of some North Pole residents, and we've seen the reaction to this change and the other changes it's brought up. Uh, so we've been following uh, the, the lead, the elf in charge, the EIC of, uh, I guess, in everything. Uh, and her name is Ginny Jangle, Ginny Jingle Jangle, or Jangle Jingle. And she kind of uh, seems to run like the trade unions, like uh, for the elves uh, that are involved in toy production and delivery, I believe. 
and she is uh, has an estranged spouse uh, who's part of. Uh, we haven't uh, met him yet, uh, but he's part of an underground. Uh, you know, I, I guess like a like a like a, a movement that says, "Well, geez, I don't know about this plastic. Maybe not. To, I don't. I don't actually know. I don't have their um any of their leaflets or manifesto handy." But it seems like they're saying they're questioning the change and maybe more broader changes. Uh, but in our end, it's like, oh, that, like that creates a strain. Uh, like, uh, with so that's with Jenny Jangle. That's Jenny Jangle. Uh, then we have uh, Rolfine and Fiona. Uh, Fiona Fireside, she's a reporter for Elf One News. And her wife, uh, Rolfine, I believe it is uh, part elf and part snow person. I don't know if that's the same as, like, uh, that dude that had to get his teeth fixed in that one Christmas movie. Uh, the snow snow person. I think it is. Uh, and she's the lead, lead, like, lead of the reindeer team, Rolfine. Uh, and, you know, they've kind of reflected, which is, what does this, all this change mean for our relationship? Uh, and then we're following Blitzen. Uh, one of Santa's reindeer, who kind of seemed to have been going through, uh, like a like a super in, in, insular reflective moment after I don't know uh, uh, some tough times, and Blitzen is partners with uh, Donner, uh, who's also on Santa's reindeer team. I, I don't want to like uh, Donner seems like a tertiary character. No offense, Donner. I uh, hope you're not listening anyway. Uh, but you know, concerned with the 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 the, uh, the flourishing in the health of uh, his partner uh, Blitzen. Uh, then uh, there's a mysterious Reverend Molding in his sheep. Uh, Reverend Molding represents the plastic interests at the North Pole, uh, but seems to be willing to help uh, because what the backdrop is is the the underground or the resistance. Uh, is kind of put a kibosh on presence, and our team, the group of characters, is banded together. As uh, at first, they went against a couple, uh, uh, um, like a like a giant snow person and a giant uh, like wooden uh, something or other tree. I think uh, they were trying to take out all the toys in the North Pole. And I think they kind of they took out a lot, but not the plastic toys. I think I think that's what happened. Well, let's just say let's just agree to say that's what happened. Uh, but the wooden soldiers were also dispersed, and it seemed like they were going to uh, the Colossus House or to the reindeer, the sleigh storage. And all our heroic characters uh, seem to be racing to cut off the wooden soldiers uh, and save uh, what I would assume is Christmas. Uh, well, like, uh, what, what, what uh, kids care about the delivery of the toys. Uh, I, I don't know if there's, I think there has been a mention of the spirit of the season and, uh, that kind of stuff. And maybe that'll come up now because it's the last episode. Uh, there's also Jack Frost, who isn't the narrator, but, uh, uh, like a distant voice, uh, disembodied, but it's Jack Frost who has the body who kind of narrates every scene, like sets the place for every scene, helps make the internal dialogue even more internal uh, or the interpersonal dialogue. And I think that's it. So right when we open, like there's did have some stuff happen, which I'll fill you in on now. 
uh, like Ginny and her team uh, decided they stopped it. They figured out that the um, uh, the wooden soldiers were headed not to the Colossus, but to take out all the sleighs. And like, and of course, Blitzen and Don are like, "What about our reindeer pals?" And what they did that we didn't like, we don't need to cover it. So like, uh, there was two ways to get to the reindeer. And they used, they had these catapults, uh, which were to throw snowballs, but they had put uh, melted plastic in there. And they caused a little cave-in, so one road was blocked. So all of the revolutionary elves uh, and the wooden soldiers have had to go through, like, a, which is beautiful. I, I don't know if you can buy property here, uh, but there's a little downtown, very picturesque. It's for elves only. I mean, it's not exclusive to elves, uh but it's designed for the elven co-workers uh, 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 in the North Pole. It's their elven town square, and it's 1950. So holy mackerel, you know, whoever would have, get your Saturday evening post and, uh, you know, send it to the North Pole and bring it back, you know, send Norman Rockwell up there uh, to do some drawings. Uh, maybe that's what happened. Uh, you know, so it has all these nice storefronts and... Uh, a giant town square, which is where uh, Ginny, Rolfine, Fiona, Donner Blitzen uh, have decided to make a, like to, to, to uh, well, I don't know, they're trying to uh, like block uh, uh, the progress of the revolutionary elves and the, uh, I mean, yeah, you're right, I'm labeling these elves revolutionaries. I really don't. Uh, uh, but I didn't like to undergrow. I, I don't know. N no label seems right. Uh, I mean, because there's so much more than anti-plastic elves. Uh, and it's also confusing because they're not plastic elves. These are real living elves. Also, it can be, I could call them Christmas elves, uh, but that would be hard to distinguish between the elves that are uh, uh, part of the resistance. And you say, well, what are they resisting? Well, change. But I guess we all are. And so, so that may be confusing as well. But these aren't plastic elves. These are like, these are anti, like, uh, you know, can you see what I mean? Can you see my logic? Uh, uh, but that's where we are. We're in the north. Now, I don't, you might ask, where's Reverend Molding and Reverend Molding Sheep? Well, uh, Jack Frost, uh, take it away. Uh, thank you, Scooter. And thank you to, uh, Soap Everywhere. Uh, soap, uh, comes like snow in flakes, uh, and welcome to another edition of uh, As the North Pole Turns. Uh, somewhere in the north, there's things happening, and they involve people talking about it to one another. And when they need to talk to themselves, they do it through me, Jack Frost. Welcome to another episode of As the North Pole Turns. Uh, Reverend Molding, you're here with your sheep, and you're trying to soothe them and prepare them. And w will they follow you, Reverend Molding? I don't think there's any doubt they will. But will the other sheep uh, follow you, Reverend Molding? Uh, where, who's leading all the sheep? Uh, and where are they all going? And in the end, Reverend Molding, will there be scornful looks or will be thanks? Uh, or will the sheep even notice where they've been led? You know, Reverend Molding... I know you've always wondered, what if, what if you really, like, led sheep to a new reverend to, to lead them around? Uh, what would happen then? But then you look at your sheep, uh, and as you calm them, it calms you, reverend molding. It does. 
Oh, yes, uh, here, let, let me, like, uh, make sure this uh, harness is on you, uh, Puffy Poo. Uh, don't worry, Blitzen has a plan, and it's going to be fine. And don't worry, I know this. these seem like things that uh, the GI uh, soldier toys would have. Uh, but there's no pressure. These are just toys. Uh, and, yeah, these things do, like, watch when I press this button, uh, that, that is... Uh, like, just like the Apollo 1 launching off your back. Uh, but it's just a plastic uh, and foam, which is made from plastic. That's what's on those fins. And Ba is right. Yes, it is, Fifi. Uh, I really loved how that flew through the air. It was so nice. And it's nice being here. And my sheep, I'm, I don't, I know you're not worried. Maybe I'm worried and I'm projecting it onto you. Uh, worried that the plan I had has changed and, I, uh, I guess I saw where the sheep headed one way and the sheep headed another way. And maybe I thought I was bringing one kind of change here to the North Pole and it ends up I'm bringing another one. And I, I don't know, I hope, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I like it here. And I want, like, just like you like to be all together, I like to be all together with uh, these people here. But I don't know if I'll be the one that they say, well, that was Reverend Molding's plan. I mean, I'm not an elf and I'm not a claus and I'm not a reindeer or a snow person. But, uh... You know, I had to change. I had to say, well, this was the change that I thought as a plastics consultant and a believer in the plastics industry. Uh, Farfel, can you come over here? Yes, Farfel, I did name you after that dog. Of course I did. Uh, but, uh, don't, there's no reason to worry, my little sheep. Uh, it's going to be fine. I'll care for you always. Uh, and, you know, no sheep will be, you know, unless, uh, and everyone here is nice. So if I end up, they say, Reverend Molding, you got to leave and head back to the world. You can come with me or you could stay here. But these, they, they seem like animal lovers here. What's that, Zeekipoo? Yes, I, yes, I, I did, I did not say bah, but I, was that an affirmative bah that it's going to be okay? Oh, your buying is so calming. It's making me say that uh, I could go with, uh, I can go and I can, you know, I can do it. You're right. Thank you for inspiring me. And you're right. We'll trust a Blitzen's plan for now. And then we'll trust that everything's going to turn out the way it's uh, supposed to be turning out. Uh, isn't it fun wearing these toys? Do you want to, does anybody want to fire a rocket at me? At me? Oh, actually, I, I have to press the buttons, and none of you can press the button. Well, what about a, 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 a Scrapple? Come over here. You press your. Yep. Oh, you launched a rocket, Scrapple. Great job. Yeah. Well, that one got blown by the wind. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's just uh, stuck in uh, ho 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 hose uh, hose uh, uh, fur. Or whatever. I know. I'm just nervous. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say you had fur. Ho, 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 ho. Uh, well, you're the youngest. That's why I named you. Got You were uh, named when we were at the North Pole. Uh, I could call you ho, 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 poo. 
my little, uh, you know, you're, you're one of my favorite. You're the newest sheep in, in our flock. Well, you're all looking at me. And also, so also we're going to have to do, according to Blitzen, they're going to buy the time. And then we're going to come in and Blitzen's going to put on a show. And then, you know, they'll, they'll see the sheep uh, and they'll say it's the GI sheep. And uh, they'll ask the uh, the everyone to stand down and to give up the quest. Uh, and that should buy enough time for everything. And I know you're all looking at me with your doe, your doe-like eyes, but does really have sheep-like eyes in my book. And yeah, maybe you're seeing that rusty truck that I had as a boy that I'll never forget. That uh, seems to have carried me on to this quest all the way here to the North Pole, all the way through all those uh, chemical. You know, I had those jobs and those like. Uh, learning about ionic bonds and covalent bonds and, uh, you know, other kind, you know, the, all those circles, those are the construction of atoms and all those other things uh, that I seem to have forgotten right now as I look into all your eyes and look back in time at that rusty truck that just wouldn't move. And mother saying, well, why did you leave your only toy outside? And I said, well, why would they make a toy from something that rusts, mother? Little boys leave their trucks outside sometimes. Sometimes we forget. Uh, and mother said it would teach me a lesson, and she was right. Uh, and, you know, we tried those paints, and they kind of worked. Uh, but it wasn't fair. And especially when I tried to move that construction arm and it just broke off. Uh, I mean, what kind of uh, uh, construction equipment? How do you have a backhoe without a backhoe? And who would, you know, I, I thought the truck, when you remember the day I got it, I've told you about it every night almost. Uh, and they said, I'm going to dig it myself and my family a swimming pool, mother. And she said, just remember to bring your toy in. And I did, but then I found how easy it was to dig in the rain. But then that time, it was a little chilly, and I just wanted to go in and get warmed up, and I left the truck out there. Oh, well, that's why we're here, my sheep, uh, so that never happens again. I mean, except in isolated cases, you know, where there's still, you know, those toys, we won't be able to, it'll take a little time uh, to rid the world of... Uh, uh, toys, but uh, you know, plastics is going to fix all that. In our new plan, it'll make it even better uh, because there'll be some, like a third, but you know, but we're going to be fine, sheep. Uh, so let's get ready to get going and we'll go on Blitzen's signal. Oh, Donner. Oh, Blitzen. This isn't Commodore Cupid talking. This is Jack Frost uh, talking in your ears. Uh, and Blitzen, you're in charge of all of this now. You've taken the lead. You've taken the reins uh, of this distraction. But you seem distracted, Blitzen, or something more than distracted. Like your distraction grew and grew, and when you talked to Donner about it, it became something more, something much more solid, uh, Blitzen. Uh, so what's uh, going to happen? And can you manage uh, this uh, distraction? We're going to find out, aren't we, Blitzen?
Okay, Blitzen, so go, so let me run through it again. I love your plan, by the way. So, I'm going to be, oh, not, no, no, I didn't mean the plan for today. I think I'm ready for that. I just have to stand here and, because uh, they're coming across the town square now and just invite them over to the the cocoa bar uh, where we'll, uh, you're going to do, who's going to do all the talking? Oh, Jenny will. We're just, uh, I'm just here to, but I was talking about your other plan. Well, you say it's a dream. It sounds more like a plan to me. Like I'll be behind the scenes of this place. Uh, like I'll be doing accounting. I, I, that sounds exciting. I've always loved things like that. And will I be doing ordering and logistics? You know what I'd like to try, to, like, to try my hooves at, uh, Blitzen, is uh, uh, negotiating. Like, uh, you know, what, what, what cocoa discounts and marshmallow discounts. Uh, uh, are you going to have, uh, how many different kinds of peppermint cocoa are you going to have, buddy? Well, I've been thinking a lot about it. Thank you. Uh, listen, we we got to focus, so, Donner. Uh, we got to focus on making this, uh, like, uh, here here comes some, as you see, they've already sent some of the, uh, these are some of the, if they're at yourselves, just like, hey, come on in. This is welcome to Blitzen's place. Uh, yeah, good to see you, uh. Yeah, we have some revolutionary new hot cocos, if you don't mind me saying. Uh, well, this is just a pretend Blitzen place we set up here in the town square. What are our, our mugs are made from ceramics? Yeah, we're going to put on a little demonstration for all of you. And, you know, we can't stop all of you and the wooden soldiers. Uh, we just wanted to say, well, if this is what's going to happen, if uh, you're going to, uh, whatever, you're going to take out the sleighs, you like, uh, we want to make sure our uh, all our other reindeer are okay, uh, so we are buying time, and they're going to leave. Uh, you, uh, you, you, oh, you know about the backup sleighs that Santa had. Well, these are the main sleighs here, so why don't you have a cup of cocoa before? Uh, you know that's like we can't keep you from doing what you want to do. We're just here to uh, uh, serve cocoa, and we have a little show for you. And, you know, we thought we'd have a little, we'd make the most of it. Uh, but this is also a prototype. I'm thinking about having my own place. It would be called Blitzen's, uh, uh, or Blitzen's Cocoa Bar, or Blitzen's Hot Cocoa, and smiles are free. Yeah, see, I got y'all. Yeah, come on in. Hiya, hi, hi. No, no, no. We, we, we're not, uh, there's no, there's no sleeping things in the tea, the, uh, cocoa or the tea. No, I mean, no, I'm not saying that ironically either. Uh, really isn't. Uh, I wish I would have thought of that, uh, because we would have done that if I would have thought of it. But so I just thought of it now. Too, not, not time enough. I did grind up some candy cane though, into candy cane dust, uh, and you could sprinkle that in there. We'll give it a. No, and this is uh, essential oil of peppermint. So we, we go easy on that. I can, you know, I'm gonna be the. I'm gonna get behind here. Yeah, we have a DIY. This is a DIY cocoa bar, but I can also make you this. Oh, what is this machine? It's a milk frother. No, no, it really is. That's really what it's called. Uh, uh, let's see. It's uh, from Europe. Uh, a long time ago, uh, we were on a trip to Europe, and uh, I saw this. It froths the milk. Uh, no, it's just really. It's just you. Just it's kind of like a fancy spoon with uh, like a between a whisk and a spoon exactly. 
Now, let me ask you a question while you're here. Like, are we buying time? Uh, yeah, till the show starts. Uh, uh, Fiona and Rolfine are going to be doing a show in a few minutes uh, to keep you entertained. And so you can rest uh, before, you know, if you're going to put it close to Christmas. Uh, you know, we still have some sleigh crafts, people. It would just be this Christmas. Uh, oh, all the sleigh. Oh, that was a trade. Even the apprentice uh, sleigh makers have joined your cause. Uh, another reason to uh, let, let me froth your coffee. Yeah, oh, yeah, so it's like a spoon and a whisk. Did I tell you that? Uh, yeah, look at this. See how the frothy that milk gets. Uh, oh, no, it affects taste and mouthfeel. And look, look at it as I pour it in. Uh, but what I was saying is, would you uh, come to a place like this? We could have, we may have music. Uh, tonight we'll have... Uh, a little performance, a test performance. This is their first show, and they just designed it in the last eight minutes. Uh, but, yeah, go ahead. Uh, sit in the snow. I made snow chairs out of the snow. I'm sorry I don't have real chairs, but uh, we did our best. Also, I have hooves, so it wasn't easy. Uh, but I would love to serve you in the future. Uh, no, 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 not serve your cause. I, I guess I'm uh, I'm a little torn myself about the whole thing. Uh, well, be honest. uh yeah, we're, uh, I don't like the idea of you putting a stop to, to the delivery presence if that's what you're trying to really do uh, until they go back, until Santa changes him, his, his mind and it consults with, uh, um, I guess I'm not even clear. So you just don't want plastics or you don't want Christmas. But, but anyway, I, I'm torn because I love uh, serving cocoa. And Donner here was going to be behind the scenes. Uh, we were going to open our own place. Uh, so I may be off the board anyway. It would go, you know, Rudolph, uh, Common and Cupid. Uh, listen, Rudolph, Red Rose Reindeer. You know, Dasher and Dan. Oh, Dasher and Dancer. You know, Common and Cupid. Uh, uh, you know, and they'll, you know, there's, uh, uh, flash, uh, that's what that one with the flat, like the lightning bolts and, uh, uh, Spotty McGee, uh, Edgar, uh, Louisa. Those are all, uh, those are the top four, uh, out of the academy. Uh, so, you know, and there is a retirement age. Uh, no, people couldn't take, uh, they, there are reindeer that do take on names of retirees. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I'm just glad you're here. Welcome to Blitzen's. Uh, make yourself at home. Make yourself at home indeed, Blitzen. Here's Rolfine and Fiona. Uh, can you hear me, Rolfine and Fiona? Can you hear me asking you a question? Can you hear me wondering, Rolfine and Fiona? Are you round pegs uh, trying to fit into a square dance or uh, square dancers on a round stage? I don't know, because when I see the two of you, I feel like I just see two lovers uh, dancing in the right place at the right time. Is that what it is, uh, Rolfine and Fiona? Is uh, everything coming together just fine? Uh, or is it time to swing your partner round and round and round? Yeah, no, you, that's what you say. You say swing your partner round and round. Well, the idea would be we would say, yeah, no, we would say, uh, we'll just get all the elves dancing. 
And then you say bow to your partner, left and right. Uh, these are all the only things. You can make it up, Rolfine. You're creative. Uh, think about all the drills you do with the reindeer. I don't know why you never introduced square dancing or any day. I did suggest uh, uh, I heard that ballet that some football players in the, down the south were doing ballet. Well, I know you don't think you can do it, but I know you can do it. Uh, I believe in you, Rolfine. And uh, you think about it like a competition because uh, we really do. Okay, everybody, thanks. Oh, they're, they're already, you're going to do great. Uh, hi, my name's Rolf, uh, my, sorry, I'm Fiona. Uh, this is uh, Rolfine. And uh, Rolfine, you, yeah, of course you all know us. Uh, oh, we are the North Pole's favorite couple. I don't think that's true, but maybe are the unofficially the fav- unofficially the favorite couple. Great, thank you. Well, thanks for stopping before you uh, like uh, get rid of all those sleighs or whatever. And thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time. We have had something that's been remiss at the North Pole, which is uh, square dancing, and it's a form of dance that I'm just becoming familiar with. And as soon as I did, I fell in love with it. And it, it, like a lot of, uh, I, I know, like, uh, you may have seen me on the news. That's why you're all kind of, I see a sparkle in your eye, even though revolution's in the air. Uh, I guess appearing on the nightly news, uh, really gives me an advantage. Uh, don't be starstruck. I want you all to be the stars of your own square dance. Rolfine, I forget that being a TV gives me authority. Uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to introduce you to this new dance. Now, it, it's the first time in a normal we, we would try to get dressed up for it. Uh, and it's a kind of dance uh, that uh, they say this is going to be the future. The Americans, they say this is going to be the future of physical education for children in America. They're going to introduce it as part of their physical education program for elementary schools. But it's also something people do for fun. Uh, so here's what here's the things you, you everybody break into pairs and just do it like uh, or you could try like uh okay wow you're really good at that uh i guess because you're in like uh you're part of the resistance maybe you do you already buddy up oh that's why perfect uh if only i had had like a trick on my sleeve we could have used that in the cocoa to put you to sleep and then figure out who's buddied up with one another but we didn't do that well, we're just buying time. So then you're going to bow to your partner. No, if you put your one hand on your stomach and one hand on the small of your back, it adds, doesn't that make it fun? Everybody's laughing. Uh, now you're going to interjoin your arms, just like Rolfine and I am doing. And then you're just going to follow Rolfine's lead. Uh, go ahead, Rolfine. Okay, everybody, welcome to the uh, first North Pole uh, hoedown. A square dance. It may be called a hoedown, but I'm not sure. And I'm going to take on here a little country. My name's Rolfine. So glad to have you here. Now, body partner left to right. Now swing your partner around and round. And keep swinging until you giggle. Uh, very good. Usually I do it in a sing-songy voice, but um, this is my first uh, hoedown. Thank you, everybody. Uh, now switch partners to the left, uh, other left, uh, there, uh, uh, spackle, little boy. Now bow to your partner on the other side. 
what, what do we do next? Uh, okay, swing your partner round and round. Okay, uh, now put your left foot in and uh, put your left foot out. And uh, okay, and now shake your shake the hand of the person across from you. And uh, if anybody wants to take square lessons, uh, Fiona and I are going to be giving them in the New Year. And we'll have an actual official first uh, square dance. Uh, thank you for participating. And it looks like there's, what, what are those uh, behind all your wooden soldiers there? They've just been standing silent waiting for us to, uh, uh, those are sheep. Uh, they seem to be weaponized to sheep. Uh, oh, no. Uh, is that the new North Pole Plastics Defense Force? Uh it seems like they're there to stop you. It looks like they have, like, uh, uh, some sort of harnesses on there. I hope, uh, uh Reverend Molding, what are you, uh, Reverend Molding's way back there, though. I don't know. I guess, uh, I'm going to have to, uh, I guess wait till the sheep get here. Do, do you want to all give up your mission of getting rid of Santa's sleighs? Uh, I don't know. Maybe we should hold for a minute. Maybe you should hold for a minute, uh, Rolfine and Fiona. And what is that coming across the town square? The wooden soldiers behind, uh, the sheep is Reverend Molding, but in front of all of them is standing under that tree, Ginny. Uh, seems like you had everything figured out. Uh, you already know what's going to happen, don't you, Ginny? Or has your brain not uh, realized it yet? I think the part of the brain I'm talking to has. Uh, and you'll realize it soon as he walks towards you. Uh, your long lost love. And the bond between the two of you is strong. Uh, not, uh, not as strong as his will, as his uh, stubborn ideals, as you told him once, uh, Jenny. Uh, he would never change, and you knew he was driven uh, to enact a change. Uh, so how are you going to handle the change that's coming, Jenny? Uh, hey, are you coming to give up? Because we have all those sheep there, and uh, Reverend Molding has them uh, pretty well trained. I don't know if you heard, that's a crack squad of sheep, uh, and I don't see a reason to ruin the wooden soldiers. Uh, so is that why you're here, or is there another reason why you're here? Or are you just going to look at me silently because you're not here to give up? Uh, you're here to hug me and to say uh, you're sorry, barely audible. Well, uh, I guess I could say I forgive you, and I guess I could say I'm sorry too. Well, maybe we should talk about that another time. And I've accepted that things changed between us and our past went a different way. And I'm sorry about all this change at the North Pole. The change, what do you mean the change isn't finished? Uh, I mean, why would you just uh, get rid of uh, the sleighs? Uh, have I noticed anything with... Uh, uh, Ed Donner and Blitzen. Yeah, I think they've had enough of delivering presents. Uh, but there's younger reindeer. Wolfine and Fiona. Well, they want to change too. I mean, their relationship is strong. And uh, they're flourishing with one another. 
and uh, sometimes when people flourish, they change in unexpected ways, and that seems to be what's happening. So, yeah, maybe their roles will change, but there's other people who want to report the news and, and train reindeer, so what do I want to do? Uh, I don't know that I want to talk about it right now, to be honest. Uh, go visit Blitzen if Blitzen starts a cafe or whatever Blitzen's calling it. Uh, maybe go square dancing. I just want things to work out, and I didn't know why. Wait a second. You really, you really are. We're, we're not buying time. You are, aren't you? Okay, so I've been the one that's been uh, fooled. Uh, the change was bigger than I thought. The, oh, man, how did I not figure this out? Uh, so what's going to happen? Like, Santa's going to stop delivering presents, isn't it? Uh, and then the reindeer won't have to deliver presents, and the elves won't have to make presents out of plastic or wood or metal. So the bespoke revolution, the handmade revolution, elves will still be able to make toys, and uh, Santa will still be delivering toys. Uh, well, who's going to give the children toys of the world? Uh, it's not sustainable. Giving away toys, uh, I know, I, I know that, I'm a, I'm a grown elf, uh, you don't have to explain it to me. I mean, I guess I was in denial, I mean, I realized this was going to happen, part of me, but then part of me said, no, no, no. Uh, the traditional role, well, I know it hasn't been traditional since the beginning of time, uh, but it's not like we're Valentine's Day, you know what I mean? I didn't think that... Uh, so Santa's going to be a figurehead. Uh, well, I, I mean, I also knew that. Uh, and was Reverend Molding behind this? Uh, was that the whole idea of transferring so that was real? Oh, so by uh, starting the transition to plastics, you realize that, uh, uh, so now everyone at the North Pole is going to be able to, uh, do it because they love it. Uh, oh, like, okay, this is making more and more sense. Uh, so you weren't anti-anything, really. You weren't anti-plastics. You're not anti-Christmas. Uh, uh, you're for uh, the holiday spirit. Uh, wait, one day uh, the elves will be able to share their... So there'll be more handmade toys. Uh, and then what'll happen with the toys? Oh, all the elves will go to, oh, craft fairs. Uh, so they'll go and sell them. Oh, through a third-party human intermediary. Okay. And we could sell them to one another. So no more mass-produced toys. I didn't, you know, I didn't like that anyway. These giant toy factories and... I mean, we did watch that Charlie Chaplin movie over and over again, and that did seem like it was starting to get like that. And I understand that you thought the plastics were going to be one more step further in that direction. Uh, but I guess I was always thinking of the Christmas magic, the holiday magic, the North Pole magic in the wrong way. Because uh, I guess, yeah, they say that the North Pole magic is right there in your heart. Uh, 
But then I thought it could fix everything, but I was seeing it in an all-or-nothing way, like uh, all of the toys have to be delivered uh, to all of the children of the world. Uh, and switching to plastics is going to enable us to do that. So that was the original plan. This wasn't a smokescreen. That's just what I really want to know, and I want the honest answer. So we were going to switch to plastics, and... Well, I know Santa Claus is get burned out. That's why we change it. Uh, but we got to keep that. Yeah, I, I would love for one day to be there to be Roberta Claus. Believe me. Well, that scientist, uh, uh, that's an interesting idea. I don't know if the world's ready for a Roberta Claus versus Santa Claus. Uh, but I do believe that I uh, even how I feel about you has changed. Uh and I thank you for sticking to your beliefs. I mean, I think we should remain uh, friends or whatever we want to call this between us. Uh, but, uh, oh, Reverend Molding's bringing the sheep into the square dance now. So everybody's, uh, the word's leaking out. Uh, it dawned on a lot of people, you're right. Uh, I don't know why it didn't dawn on me sooner. I felt like there was a voice in my head telling me that I already realized it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know that that could be, but, uh, like, uh, do you want to square dance? You could bow to me as my, you're my partner. Well, let's swing each other round and round, uh, and, uh, and turn round and round and round and round and round and round and round they go. It's just like the North Pole turns round and round. Jack Frost here. Uh, saying uh, good night to the holiday season here at the North Pole, uh, to Reverend Molding and Reverend Molding's sheep. I don't know if they'll be accepted at the North Pole. Uh, to Fiona, uh, to Rolfine, to Donner, to Blitzen, uh, to Ginny, and uh, to everyone at the North Pole. It sounds like it changes if it was, this was the 1950s and. Uh, Jack Frost is speaking to you in the uh, uh, 20, uh, 20 t t t teens, late 20 teens. And if you've always wondered, uh, those of you that are listening now, why Santa doesn't bring all of your presents, uh, why some of them you see in the stores, children, and you say, how come some of my toys seem like they could have been made by elves, but other ones you could just buy at Target? Now you have your answer. Things change, and uh, distribution production methods uh, change, and the North Pole changed and said, hey, maybe this isn't for us, this mass production. Uh, it's strange that it was uh, anti-consumerism that uh, triggered the consumerism of Christmas in some sense, but uh, the irony is not lost on Jack Frost. Uh, it keeps me warm. Uh, there's some irony for you. Uh, but that's uh, why nowadays you get your presents, uh, kids. Uh, Santa brings them still. But you get access to all the great presents of all the great mega, you know. You say, which one of these three companies uh, that produces every, almost every, like, uh, which, uh, this company makes uh, uh, food and uh, uh, toys. Uh, how do they do it? Uh, and how do I contain my joy? You know, saying I'd love to have a wooden choo-choo train, but I'd also like this electronic doohickey.
in this doodad. And that doll that I can assemble myself with Arduinos, uh, I don't even know what the heck that means, is uh, Jack Frost. Uh, but that's how that all happened. One year in 1950, everybody decided that one change wasn't enough, uh, that maybe it would be a two change. Uh, and they said, hey, let's see how this goes. Let's keep crafting toys, elves. Uh, but let's craft it for the love of making toys and not for the love of uh, making toy, you know, producing toys, I guess. That's what the decision came down to. And it seems like it worked out pretty work. It worked out, uh, worked out for me, Jack Frost, because he gave me a job to visit your ears this year. And I hope wherever you are, if you're listening, uh, Jack Frost, uh, it will be uh, gently blowing at your nose instead of nipping at it and saying to you and yours, however you celebrate or whether you just uh, take a warm bath and say, I don't like, uh, Hey, everybody, it's me. Happy holiday season. And I know that, you know, this time of year can have its ups and its downs for everybody. And, you know, but I also like to, you know, create some seasonal shows. Uh, like, uh, but so, so if this isn't for you, you know, that's why I try to keep the archives free. So if the holiday stuff isn't for you, that's, that's cool, too. Uh, but we're also in this in-between time on our series, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation, the sleep version, whatever I'm going to call that. That'll start in the new year. Uh, I guess that's an announcement, and maybe not everybody's heard. So so next year, I'll be, you know, because we just finished Metastas News, uh, or well, when I'm recording this, one more episode still has to be released. But, you know, when you're hearing this, it'll be over. And then for the holiday season, we'll do some holiday shows, uh, take one week off. And then we should start with Star Trek The Next Generation. And it won't be uh, totally whatever you call that, like in a row. I'm going to bounce around. But, uh, yeah, we'll be doing Star Trek The Next Generation, kind of like we did Game of Thrones. And uh, what was that other one? We just did Metastas News, a breaking board. Or bre- That's what I was going to call breaking board, but I never did. Uh, but so for now, we're going to be covering, like, so tonight, actually, uh, also, I just took my sweater off before I started recording this, in case anybody was in the intro. I feel good. I feel really good right now. But I was trying to think of, like, a different way to do a holiday, because we did the March of the Wooden Soldiers one, right? And I was thinking of, like, Christmas movies and, and then, like, ones, uh, because my memory's, you know, my my memory's not so hot. Not not that I, I don't know if everybody's is. But I was like, oh, if I was going to cr- pick a Christmas special, I feel like that's divisive almost. Like, oh, what's the best one? You like, are you a Frosty fan? No, I'm not. Okay, Scoots, so to talk about a buzzkill. But then you'd have to say, well, you got to go with, uh, like, Rudolph, or you got to go with Santa Claus is coming to town, or something more modern, so then I started thinking about movies, and there was only a couple movies, but there's one that's kind of, I think it may have gotten TV burnout because it was on TV a lot. But when I was young, uh, it was the Christmas movie because you'd watch it on tape or whatever, you, you like uh, a Christmas story. But then I was thinking, like, I think, it, is this a word, vignettes? That's what the word is, like, right? I used to think it was, vig- like, I thought it was, like, I would get vignettes and vinaigrette mixed up. And, and I'm not kidding, because of my dyslexia. Uh, 
Those are the kind of words that get tricky for me. I'm not even sure if it's vignette, but I think it is like, and I don't know anything about the backstory. At one point, I probably knew about the backstory of A Christmas Story, but I don't anymore. Uh, if I can name anyone, you know, and, and so this is, and this is again, just in case I got any, you know, if any knees are starting to get jerky here, you know, this isn't to make fun of a Christmas story or anyone involved in the production of it or of anything. I, I really don't try to do anything at anybody else's expense on this show. And it's something I love. Unfortunately, I'm an ignorant person. I mean, let's put that out there. I'm I'm ego-driven, so I can't only remember what's important to me. These are non-judgmental things. These are just, you know, so don't worry. I'm not trying to be critical myself. And But but I do like it. But also, I think there's something about, there's the one um, that I never saw until I was told just like last year or the year before. What was that one with the kid? Home Alone. That's more of a Thanksgiving special. But I think because the Christmas story became so uh, played on TV, and I, I don't mean this is a total negative, that it really got broken into these act breaks that would happen between um, commercials. And I guess it was really well suited for that because it was almost like a bunch of, it was a through story about my, Ralphie. I, right, Ralphie? Ralphie or Mike? I wanted to say Mikey. Scott Schwartz is in it. I, I love Scott Schwartz. I like saying Scott Schwartz. I hope that's that actor's name. He's one of the friends. But yeah, you're just like Ralph Ralphie's quest for the Red Rider. And then there's little stories about the family kind of interspersed. But I was also thinking, like, how much do I really remember? And so instead of like actually, like, so I said, so I have it playing, the movie playing right now, just started playing. But I can probably get ahead and fast forward to say, what do I remember about the order of the show and how wrong am I? So so I was thinking I'd just run through different parts of what I can remember about A Christmas Story in my mind and then, you know, see what the tape, you know, the tale of the tape, Christmas Story, a tale of the tape. And in my mind, okay, I think it takes place in Cleveland, Ohio, but that's not a, like a huge uh, part of the movie. And I was under the impression the first scene took place like at nighttime in downtown Cleveland uh, for a holiday parade. And that uh, like, uh, what's his name, Mikey Ralphie and his brother, whose name will, will come to me at some point, and his mother and his father were there for the holiday parade, and then they saw, like, they looked in the windows of Macy's or Bloomingdale's or whatever. And this was this is one of my favorite scenes of the movie, is that they uh, they look and he sees the Red Rider BB, BB fun 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 machine that he wants for Christmas. Uh, I, I, I think Mikey or Ralphie knows that it's, uh, he moved beyond, uh, Santa Claus and that, uh, you know, just this very nostalgic, fun thing. And then, uh, like, uh, the, then they go into Macy's, you know, so the snow's falling. There's, I don't know what year it takes place, 1950, maybe, I don't know, honestly. Uh, it definitely has a pre-Vietnam uh, feel to me. So I'd say into the 1950s or something. 
but but so then they go into Macy's or the department store, whatever the department store is. I think it was a like a a different one. And Ralphie is that his brother's name? What's his? I'll think of his brother's name. Hopefully, um, or I'll just turn the closed captioning on in the movie. But uh, so Ralph, like, so they wait in line to see Santa. The parents, they think they go to do some shopping or something. And then Ralphie tells, then the Santa was played brilliantly by, first of all, there's this kid in line who they say smells like tapioca pudding. Oh, and there's a lot of VO in the episode. I mean, the episode, the movie, which is uh, playing the adult my, my Ralph. Uh, you know, doing voiceover, it's just really, really well done. Uh, and really sets up a lot of the jokes and a lot of the action. And I don't think the movie would work. I mean, especially with like, uh, the, the, the acting in this is great. And maybe I'll even remember the actor's name, but I think his name's like Peter or maybe not, but, uh, that, that how, how good the acting is, the child, the young actors, uh, but the voiceover just helps, you know, like uh, supplement their performances. I think in a way that if it was just kid acting, it wouldn't wouldn't have been. I mean, it is a classic holiday movie, I would say. But so then they go to see Santa, and Santa is like very much like Billy Bob Thornton style. I haven't seen Bad Santa two yet, but maybe I do by the time this comes out. Saw Bad Santa one when it was in a movie theater with my whole family. Uh, somewhere, I'm not even sure where we were, we were, my sister was having an engagement thing. And so we were out of town in the country somewhere and we all got to the movie theater. Most of us got there in time for the movie, but my mom got there late and she was, this was like, uh, I don't know, whenever that came out, she was talking on her cell phone, like trying to find us in the movie theater. Uh, you know, it was one of those terrible moments. Uh, but so where was I? Uh, so the, the, there's this great scene with Santa where he says, you know, Ralphie says, uh, Santa says, well, what do you, it sets up the theme of the movie where he says, Jesus, what do you want for Christmas? He says, well, I want this Red Rider, uh, uh, BB fun thing. And Santa says, no, 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 you're not mature enough for that kid. Uh, said it's bad for your eyesight. And then Santa dismisses him and his brother's afraid of Santa, I believe, and it's really just a good, gruff Santa, not over the top, but just enough uh, of a weather-beaten Santa Claus. Uh, I just love it. That's one of my favorite scenes, that whole thing, from the outside shots to the inside shots uh, to the other kid waiting in line. That was a little bit odd. And I thought that was the beginning of the movie. Now, the, what's running in the background here, and again, I may have pressed the wrong button, is that, uh, like, it's Ralphie, and it may have looked away a few times, you know, because I'm recording this part of the podcast, but that Ralphie, uh, like, is, like, at home, and then he, he, there was a scene, I don't remember any of this, he, like, hides magazines with ads for the toy he wants, then he has a meal with his family, where I think they finally ask him what he wants, and he says, I want this, uh, Red Rider super fun toy. And they say, oh, no, 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 you can't have that. And then this recurring theme in one of the better ones where uh, 
Ralphie daydreams that this toy, and this happened, this was very relatable for me. And I'd forgotten about this scene. Uh, uh, but Ralphie starts to daydream that, uh, there's this Bart, this, uh, like a cowboy who comes to town and, and Ralphie's also a cowboy, like a sheriff and faces off against him in his daydream. And he has this toy, which allows him to, uh, like, uh, you know, to, 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 to protect the town, I guess their house is the homestead. And Ralphie like successfully, you know, saves his family, saves the farm. So I, I, I didn't remember that. I had forgotten that part. There's also this recurring thing with the dad in the furnace. That's kind of his futility. He has trouble with the neighbor's dogs, the bupkises, and the, their furnace, you know, their boiler or whatever, is always broken. So he's always trying to fix it to, to save money, I believe, or that he's Mr. Fix-It. I think. And then the poor beleaguered mother... She's she she because she, he's just a bit bit of a and again I don't know the the wonderful actor that plays the father. Uh, it looks a lot like my therapist, and you know that's not confusing at all. I didn't even think about that till this minute, but uh, but whatever. Those those are other themes uh, that are th- throughout the movie. But I guess the the next scene that I, I'm trying to remember. Uh, the next scene that I remember, I don't know what's going to come next. I said, well, geez, is it that? And then they go downtown to see Santa Claus. Cause that's my favorite. Like, that's the number one thing I remember. Uh, but there's a couple scenes at school. Oh, but here they go. I think they're getting ready to go to either school or downtown. Cause this, the, Ralphie's brother gets on this giant, uh, snowsuit. Uh, and at some point Ralphie says, you know, my brother looks like a tick about to pop. Uh, he gets on boots, but I don't know if this is a scene getting ready for school. It's like a lot of physical comedy with the mom trying to get everything on him. And he's got all these layers. He kind of looks ridiculous, but it is Cleveland. Uh, also very cute kid. He can't put his arms down. He's like so over puffed, uh, uh, but I, I don't know. If the, so this scene coming up next here, it could either be one where they go to school and they encounter uh, the Fark, Scott Farkas, who I remember for a few reasons. One, one of my neighbors had red hair and was tough. He wasn't really a bully, but he he like he looked a little bit like Scott Farkas. So we used to um, he wouldn't take he, he sometimes he would take me for one time he took me for a snowball snowmobile ride and I fell off the back. I didn't get hurt. It, like it was in a snowbank. Uh, he always had like motorcycle. He he was one of the cool kids. You know, he was a cool neighbor. Uh, but yeah, he had had. Uh, but he looked like Scott Farkas. But Scott Farkas and he, like a, a sidekick, uh, they throw snowballs at uh, Ralphie and his brother, and kind of you know mean to them. And I think in this scene, uh, maybe they. they uh, they emasculate Ralphie. I think maybe Ralphie and his friends, or maybe they like, uh, but, uh, Ralphie's left, uh, or maybe Ralphie was excited about something. So it's kind of like a, like a down moment for Ralphie and his friends and his brothers, uh, his Scott Schwartz and this other kid. And now if my guessing is correct, the next scene will be, they get to school and they're like in this, this I talked about on a podcast episode. I think that uh, people who make movies, uh, 
because Ralphie did a report, like they were supposed to do reports of like uh, who, um, like like oh, what do you, what, what do you want for Christmas and why? That was an essay, and Ralphie had done one about why he wanted the uh, super fun, uh, with a Red Rider super fun kit, uh, like a ma- ma- maker toy, and uh, like uh. Oh, also his brother, he falls in the snow because he, he, he's like he, he's like a beetle. He, he needs his brother to help him get up in the snow. And I had forgotten about that refrain of Ralphie, I can't get up. I'm stuck. I can't get up. And Ralphie, and that's when they think Farkas befalls them. Um, but let's see. Uh, so they get to school and he thinks he's going to get an A plus on this paper. Why I needed the Red Rider super fun maker kit. And he gets an F, I think, and the teacher says, you know, this is not a good idea for you to play with. Now, there's also, like, a lot of uh, Cleveland and Syracuse are similar places, so a lot of the scene. Oh, they play a practical joke on the teacher. I forgot about this. So that's, like, another scene at school. But Ralphie ends up failing his paper, and then he daydreams, you know, this teacher's against him. The students are kind of mean-spirited. I think they're like, uh, are they doing this to make fun of the teacher? They all have fake teeth. Uh, the teacher's teeth look normal, I guess. Uh, but the kids all put in fake uh, uh, teeth, uh, and they're all laughing. I don't know who was behind that. That's a lot of pairs of fake teeth to uh, trick a teacher with. Uh, but then, yeah, so Ralphie has another disappointing moment because he fails his paper because he thought the teacher would become an advocate for him. I don't know what he daydreams. I know he daydreams that she's like one of the characters from The Wizard of Oz, because the Wizard of Oz characters were also, this must have been when The Wizard of Oz had come out. It's set, set at that period. Um, but, it, like, uh, she she's one of the characters of The Wizard of Oz. I'm sure you can figure out which one. Lady Witchbeard would know. Hint, hint, hint. Okay, also there's a scene that I remember from the movie. I don't remember it being at this point in the movie, but I guess it is apparently. Is uh, like the children are positing, well, geez, if, if it's like if you're outside and it's cold, will something wet stick to a, a, a what do you call that, a flagpole? And they say no, and then they say yes, and... I don't know what this is, is supposed to tell us about Ralphie, but they like his friend gets dared to try to see if uh, you know that that his will his scarf if he if his scarf is wet will it stick to the tell uh, the uh, flagpole, and it kind of shows you know kids being kids, but it also kind of shows because uh, Ralphie doesn't stand up for his friend and no one wants to get in trouble. And so I don't know if it's supposed to show us some judgment or, or set up like why Ralphie is not ready to get his super fat, happy fun kit quite yet. Uh, but there is this scene with the flagpole, which is, uh, you know, not, not exactly Ralphie's like best moment, I would say. And, uh, you know, everybody's like, I can't believe that. And then I think the teacher in the ultimate comic sense, says, okay, who who put who did the dare? You know, if you're honest, you'll admit, in, you know, and take the consequences. They won't be so bad if you admit it. And even in the voiceover, you know, the kids kind of laugh at that. They say, you know, that, that that's never going to happen. 
And then is the scene, and now I'm seeing when they encounter uh, Scott Farkas and uh, his sidekick. And again, I think we see that Ralphie is not ready. I guess I don't know if this is like a, I don't want to overthink the storytelling here, but uh, this Ralphie isn't able to stand up uh, for his friends. And so him, they all run, but he actually runs faster than his little brother. And then he runs all the way home. And then there's the scene, which I saw, but I would definitely not have remembered this. Uh, where Ralphie gets home and, and gets this, like, this is the days of radio. So this is pre-TV when people used to, and now that we do podcasts here, kind of return to it with radio dramas. Uh, Ralphie sits in front of the radio. Like, he gets his little orphan Annie a decoder ring, which he's been waiting for. Oh, no, he checks in the mailbox isn't there. But I remember the scene, even though I'm a little early. And he uh, get, gets that, gets the Dakota ring and listens to the radio show. And then they're getting a secret broadcast from little orphan Annie. And Ralphie's so excited, like, I can't believe I'm going to um, figure this one out. Uh, you know, little orphan Annie, you know, maybe she wants me to recruit me or what is it? And it turns out it's an ad for Ovaltine, which is still, I think Ovaltine's like cho- like enriched chocolate milk drink. Or chocolate water drink. And uh, so Ralphie's a little bit disappointed because he says, what a ripoff. It's just an ad for Ovaltine. So it's another defeat for Ralph. And it turns out uh, after the Farkas scene here, Ralphie's doing his homework. And then his dad's coming home from work. He's having to deal with the Fark or the uh, Bumpkiss's dogs or the Bupkiss's dogs. And I don't know if this is when the dad... Uh, he says, geez, I won this award. It's coming soon, a special reward, like a sweepstakes award or something or what. But uh, then there's like a dinner scene, uh, and then the award comes. And I guess this kind of shows the parallel. Like this is one of the more memorable scenes. For me, this scene never really did it for me. I don't know why. But uh, this is like probably the most famous scene in the movie where the dad, he thinks he's getting this big award or big prize and, you know, that he won this thing and it ends up it's a lamp that's like a woman, like a mannequin, a light up leg, a light up leg lamp. And uh, the dad still wants to light it up and put it in the front of the house and the mom's embarrassed and humiliated. And the dad is like, like absolutely uh, ecstatic about the way it looks and uh, that he wanted. And he's bragging to the neighbors. Everybody's gathered in the street looking at it. And the mom's embarrassed. I don't think the kids are old enough to be embarrassed yet. Uh, that it's a stocking or fishnet stocking leg with a lampshade on it. And uh, but the dad, you know, he thinks it's like this great moment. And then, yeah, now is like, uh, now I'm seeing the uh, Ralphie's uh, fantasy about his teacher grading his paper and being so impressed. Uh, like that, that, like just like I was when I wrote that one paper. And then Ralphie gets his grade and it doesn't turn out good. 
And then the family, is this the downtown scene? Like, do I have it that confused in my mind? Okay, now they're going to buy a Christmas tree. Uh, so they're down at the Christmas tree lots, and uh, I don't know. A, 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 a Christmas Vacation is another movie I thought about doing because it has a good Christmas, has better Christmas tree jokes, I think. Uh, but you know, dad's trying to uh, debate with the Christmas tree salesman. Oh, and then this is a scene I forgot here. Uh, but they get a flat tire, and the dad loves changing the tires of his car. Like he pretends he's like a, like racing, like a race car pit guy. And the mom says, "Ralphie, you're almost a man now, so why don't you go help your dad change the tire?" And they start to share this father and son moment. At first, where the father, you know, there's like that moment where the father's like, "I don't know if I'm ready for you to become a man." And he says, "Okay, well, let's bond." And he says, "Okay, hold the lug nuts." And then there's an accident where the dad, like, reaches up and he knocks the lug nuts out of, uh, like, the uh, hubcap that Ralphie was holding him in. And the lug nuts all go in the snow. And Ralphie drops an F-bomb, uh, which, of course, even though the dad swears, uh, and the mom, I don't know if the mom swears, but then Ralphie gets in a ton of trouble. He blames, also blames his friend. Instead of saying he heard it from his dad, he says he heard it from his friend. So then he gets his mouth, he goes home, he has to wash his mouth out with soap, which my parents tried this a couple times. Doesn't work, I'll tell you. I mean, the only thing, I mean, I'm not kidding, made me identify more with cartoon characters and Ralphie in a good way. Like, I think it was almost like some sort of, uh, I don't know, I don't don't have a soap-sucking kink or anything like that, but... uh, it could, I could have, you know, I could have developed that. I didn't, but, uh, you know, so so it doesn't, it backfires, as w- what I'm saying. So, and then Ralphie has a cool, another daydream about, uh, and these are these are the kind of good kid, kid daydreams. It's like, well, you know, it would teach my parents for washing my mouth out with soap if there was some side effect of washing my mouth out with soap, and they had to deal with the consequences of it, uh, and, you know, they were devastated by that. So I, I think that's that was a funny one. Uh, and then it looks like there's a montage. A lot of great shots of Cleveland in the winter or wherever they shot the movie. And a Farkas chasing the kids. Uh, this scene I don't remember. It's uh, all the kids giving Christmas gifts to the teacher. Uh, Ralphie's giving her a giant basket of fruit and stuff. Maybe as a bribe for his uh, essay. So I guess that punchline hasn't been revealed yet. Uh, or maybe he, Ralph has a crush on his teacher. I'm not sure exactly of the... That was a scene I didn't remember. And I keep forgetting at what point Ralphie starts to stand up for himself. Uh, and I guess this, again, this is the after effect of just turning it on and watching it when it's on TV instead of sitting down and watching the movie, as we did a few times as a kid. But there are scenes, like, there are things that drag, like this scene with the teacher... Oh, he just winked and pointed at the teacher, so maybe it doesn't drag. Uh, so, but there are moments, I guess, that... Uh, and now there's another little montage with the far- Farkas chasing the kid, the boys. And then the next scene is the uh, Little Orphan Annie scene where Ralphie gets home and uses the Dakota ring. And the Dakota ring's like brass, and it uses numbers for letters. 
Ralphie's decoding it in the bathroom. I think he's too young for, but his mom still wants to know why he's in the bathroom so long, even though he's you know not in middle school. So, but it's, be sure to drink your Ovaltine. And then we have yet another dinner scene. I think the dad is swearing down with the furnace and emerging and uh, playing the blame game. Oh, wait. Oh, the mom knocks over the dad's lamp, which causes this. Uh, he, he says it was passive aggressive and on purpose. And she kind of says it was an accident. I wonder what scene's next. I keep waiting for the Farkas showdown. I don't know what scenes are left in the movie either. There's the there's Christmas Eve, there's Christmas Eve. Is there a Christmas Eve? I don't know. There's Christmas Day, which is broken into a few segments. But I'm trying to think what else we have coming up here. I guess Ralphie's standing up for himself against Farkas. Which is a pretty basic scene, but you know, Ralphie kind of like uh, gets very—he stand, just stands up for himself, but he really—you uh, can see that he's been repressing a lot of things. And then he kind of has this emotional release with his mom, and they kind of connect on that. And she seems to be very loving and understanding. Right now, the scene's still unfolding where they're arguing about the lamp. I don't know if this must have been like short stories written by someone. And now we have another scene of the boys going to school. So I presume this is when Ralphie gets his F from his teacher. And then my guess would be that's followed up with the Farkas scene. Because uh, Farkas is there at school and they're saying something to Ralphie and uh, something about not respecting them or something improper. And yeah, now Ralphie, so I kind of, so they strung out the Ralphie uh, essay thing. I guess they didn't string it out. That's critical of me uh, to three scenes. So now Ralphie's going home defeated, uh, sad that he failed his essay and that his hope of getting the Red Rider fun kit is coming to an end. And then he encounters Farkas, stands up for himself, also expresses his like uh, frustrations and then he gets treated by his mom, very calm and loving. And it's a nice moment. His, even his brother's upset that his that his repressed brother got so, you know, stood up for Ralphie. You know, his brother was just like, you know, never seen his brother uh, express his feelings or something. But I don't know, is the next day, maybe the next scene is the like the scene that I thought opened the movie. Or maybe not, maybe I missed the opening of the movie. But then there's the 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 Christmas, uh, you know, Chris. Oh, that was Ralphie crying. I guess because he didn't have his glasses on. Ralphie goes to bed crying, and the little brother is kind of upset too. The little brother looks a little bit like Nine from Stranger Things. I'm not being jokey either. Like, uh, it, I mean, I think that's. I think I can say that in a neutral, observational way. A little bit. A little bit. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's just an observation. Oh, but I guess I, my curiosity was... So the thing that I thought opened the movie is here, like two-thirds of the way through the movie, the Christmas parade, the holiday parade, the trip to see Santa, and this kid in line, Ralphie, Ralphie and his brother are dressed up in suits even. Uh, to go see Santa Claus, his hair is pa pasted and um, brillo creamed or whatever. 
And a lot of good voiceover, obviously. I'm watching it on mute, but this kid they're in line with is, I think they said the kid smelled like tapioca pudding. The Santa, his nose is very red. I don't know if that's a condition or makeup. And then there's a couple, like, interesting. And there's a slide. Like, so you went up the stairs. This was a dream of mine, I guess, as a kid to see Santa this way, to go up the stairs and, uh, and then you would uh, sit on Santa's lap and then you would go down a slide. And at some point, I think you'd get a candy cane, but, uh, just a very great, great scene. Like very, uh, I don't know. I love it. So I'm guessing the next day will be, will it be Christmas? So they go through the thing and now they're trimming the tree. And this is always something. And, and, and then, you know, of course they probably, they think the power goes out cause they overload the circuit and the dad, you know, he's very, very perfectionist. So, uh, and what you know, he overdoes everything, and the wife she, she tries to be a voice of reason. Yet there goes the power, just circuited out. Um, and I don't know. I guess that's a tradition in different things. Like when do you trim your tree? We I don't even think we called it decorating the tree. And I think we would just do it the night we got our tree, I believe. Uh, but I think some people do it on the twenty fourth. I you know I prefer. I mean, I guess I haven't had a tree, and honestly. Uh, Long time. I'm not a. Last time I tried to get a tree, I got into an argument at the tree lot uh, because the person wouldn't bargain with me. And I said, Well, I mean, honestly, it was embarrassment. Uh, I I was the embarrassment. I mean, I was looking at a small tree. I said, How much for this tree? He said, 40 bucks. And I said, you know, I said I'll give you 20. And he said, 40 bucks. And then I kind of lost my temper. And I, and I told him what he could do with the tree. So that was that was it for that tree lots. But honestly, I thought, well, can't you negotiate the price of a tree? Especially this was like probably the 20th. It's December 20th. You know, you can't be charging full price for a tree. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, I'm a hypocrite, too. I realize that, too. But, uh, yeah, now we have the boys that are dressed up. The fireplace is going. So I assume this is Christmas Eve. And then we'll get into Christmas morning in this anticipation. Maybe there'll be one more scene that I forgot about with, uh, what are they doing? The boys are excited to do something. Oh, to go to bed, I guess, for Christmas. Uh, but, uh, you know, the next question for the next day will be, will Ralphie get his Red Rider uh, fun kit? And that'll be, you know, that'll be carried out through the day. Oh, yeah, look at, like, what is that called, Boker or whatever, where the lights are out of focus, Brillo, when you take a picture. But uh, let's see, I see wrapping paper. I think there's a scene with the parents wrapping. No, this is Christmas Day. And I don't know how these kids are still asleep uh, when the sun's up. We would get up before the sun, me and my siblings. Uh, and I think we wouldn't go to sleep or we'd get up at like two in the morning. And my dad, you know, because we wanted to catch Santa. And if we didn't, we wanted to get the presents as soon as we could get them. Couldn't sleep. We had Christmas anticipation or holiday anticipation. And so uh, my dad would sleep at the top of the stairs. My house was a reverse. So the basement of the house was where the kids' bedrooms were. Uh, and then the top floor was where the kitchen and my parents' bedroom and living room was. But yes, yeah, so we have the scene with Ralphie awaking. 
And then I think we have like a little bit of a Christmas, uh, ooh, there's ice on the trees. It's beautiful. It looks great. Uh, and I think we, we have like a scene of like a, like a little bit of Christmas joy. And, and this, this is some, some relatable stuff, like, uh, where there's a slow present opening. Cause I think one person, uh, hands out the presents. I don't know how this works. I can't remember. Uh, but really a bounty, like, like these, these kids are lucky, you know, the, the, like, uh, and I was very lucky, uh, to have generous parents and, you know, that, that, that like, uh, you know, that save, you know, it, so this is a lucky situation that these boys have these, or idealized situation maybe. But they're kind of looking under the tree and then like it'll be a slow unfolding with the payoff of Ralphie getting these pajamas that his aunt designed for him or his grandmother. And then still, like, uh, all the presents would be open, and it's like, okay, Ralphie gets this acceptance that he's not getting the uh, Red Rider fun kit. And, you know, there's there's comedy in that he has to dress up like this rabbit, and he gets mad about that. For the most part, though, it's a very... Uh, nice thing, and yeah, now their mom's looking through the presents. I think the kid, his brother, whose name I never remembered, uh, gets a Zeppelin. The dad gets a bowling ball. Uh, there's a fire truck, I see. I don't know what else. Uh, uh, but, I'm, I, but then let me see if I can guess ahead of time. So then Ralph, he, he ends up, he, he, he accepts that he's not going to get the gift that he wants. So this is like a Christmas uh, present opening montage happening. But then, like, he then ends up that the father said, well, geez, you know what? Uh, I think there's a hidden gift for you. And this kind of, unfortunately for most parents, including mine, set up this unrealistic expectation that this is how parents did things. And so the one year I asked for the G.I. Joe hovercraft, I didn't get it. And that was like the one year, and it was expensive. I think it was like 40 bucks, which is expensive when you have six kids. And that was like the one year I was very, uh, like, it was insistent. That was all I wanted, and I didn't get it. Uh, but again, I guess that's an ego thing. Like, uh, my parents may have, like, been had such a long list uh, that they didn't know. There was also a year I asked for this one video game for the PC. We had the CGA PC, this this uh, kung fu game. Not the one you're thinking of, a different one uh, with a long, more story-based one. But about like a month before Christmas, I found that, and I opened, I opened the box and started playing it. I guess I must have uh, saved something on the disc because my mom had trouble returning it. She still was able to return it because I never got it as a gift. But she ended up returning that at again uh, like uh, before Christmas, so that was disappointing too. I mean, not my parents' fault, um, you know, but, but, and also mine. But now Ralphie's going upstairs to put on the pajama, p- 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 bunny pajamas. So a little bit more level of emasculation uh, for Ralphie, I think. Uh, his brother's getting another gift, and the mom's giving a, uh, the bowling ball to her husband. Um, but I wonder, so Ralphie gets the Red Rider fun kit, then goes to use it and realizes that the warnings that everyone gave him were true. 
And this also happened to me when I was too old. I asked for this remote-controlled car to race with my friends. Lobo 2, I think it was called. And the, the one warning about the thing was that if you can't, like, it had weak axle. And, like, I literally broke the axle, like, within 10 minutes on Christmas outside, um, which was de- depressing. And then I was afraid to tell my parents because I was afraid my dad would get mad. And so I tried to repair it myself, was never able to repair it. So that was like a, as a low moment. But, you know, uh, you live and you learn. Now Ralphie's in the bunny outfit. But I'm wondering how it comes back around. Ralphie gets to play with his gift and realizes that he's not at the maturity level for the gift yet or that it has, like, these side consequences and then I'm not sure what happens after that. So I'm interested to see. And then, but I will pay off the end. So that's one thing I'm not sure about. Then there's a huge, the mother makes this huge Christmas dinner. And a turkey, or maybe the dad's like a turkey expert. One of, one of them works really hard at the turkey. And I forget what happens that distracts the family. Maybe it's Ralphie. But I think he just covers up that he, he oh, because he breaks his glasses. I think he makes up in a lie. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if he ever does tell the truth, but he makes up a lie. Instead, his glasses get broke by his new toy. He blames it on an icicle. And now in the movie is like the uh, post-Christmas, like the brother's asleep with his Zeppelin. And I think this is when the dad gives Ralphie the gift. But then they have this Christmas dinner and uh but then they get distracted and the farkas's dogs or not the far the bump kisses bump whatever the dogs come mom and dad are drinking wine snuggles ralphie he's kind of like well i accept that i didn't get what i wanted it was a good christmas so very lucky he's being legitimate in both his acceptance and his disappointment and the uh, you know not being a brat uh, which i've done before as a child uh, but then the two, so then the Bumpkiss's dogs come and eat their uh, Christmas dinner. And then there's a scene where they go a little bit uh, playing in pejoratives or whatever, where they go to a Chinese restaurant uh, for dinner. But this is good acting. The dad says, geez, I think I see something stuck behind the tree there. Why don't you go check it out? And Ralphie can't believe it. And I don't even know if the mom can believe it. And now we have, like, uh, skipped ahead, so where Ralphie uh, um, realizes that he's not quite ready to use his gift. The first time he used it, and this is, I mean, you know, these are, everybody, this is why another reason why this movie's so, like, the thing with the school report and the other kids. Uh, these are some of the things that, uh, oh, but Ralphie's crying, which I think the mom hears, so then he has to make up a lie. Uh, about his glasses that he got hit by a icicle and she brings him inside and he's covering it up and the dad says geez what's the big deal here and Ralphie's going through some healing again with his mother and she's taking care of it and I guess I don't know if Ralphie I mean does this movie end in a lie yeah he just turned to the camera and smiled so uh, I think he's like, but I, I wonder, I guess, will he be so worried that he won't go back to his super fun toy 
because uh, he realizes, geez, I'm not ready to handle this or... I never understood the technology anyway, like how they had this in the 1950s. And the dad's sitting down with the paper. I think he's looking at the funnies, uh, the Chicago uh, Telegraph. I can't read it. Uh, uh, there's an ad for Pimble Cream. Oh, the dogs sneak right in while the dad's reading the paper, like stealth dogs. I think they're like uh, some sort of hound. And yet they're, they're uh, taking their Christmas meal. And it's not like one dog. The, the house next door has like 10 dogs or something. So it really, you know, they really blow, blow it up on the, on, the, on the dad. And they even knock over the table and then they all run out. So the dad's not happy at all. And I guess this is like usually how the movie ends. So like I don't like uh, I never, I don't know. The last scene I'm like, eh, I don't know. It seems like a little offensive but I always wonder what happens after it. So here they are still. They're in the kitchen. He's still upset about it. Mom is crying. Ralphie's giving his uh, the thing to his mom as a tissue that he was using on his uh, his uh, cheek. Uh, now there is the Chop Suey Palace uh, open. And uh, my bowling and son's... Uh, so they're they're going there for dinner, and I think they sing to everybody, and everybody's clapping now. But yeah, they, I guess they're having. Uh, they've got bow tie. The kids got the youngest kids got a bow tie on. Peking duck. I think they're having for dinner. Oh, and then it closed. Now it's the house again. And it's snowing. I don't remember this scene. Uh, the mom's coming downstairs. And uh, is it? She shuts out the lights. Is that the end of the movie? No. Now there's moonlight, and she's still walking, and she puts the radio on. I don't remember the scene at all. Holy moly! The Christmas tree is on. Snow's falling outside. Uh, the dad's waking up from a nap. He's sitting on the couch, and. Uh, and I think this is like the adult romance time. They just cheered their glasses. And I guess soon, you know, they'll be, uh, I don't know, you know, you know, do, I don't know what they do, you know, two of them. But he has his hand on her back. She's putting her hand. Uh, so very romantic closing scene. Is this the last scene? And it fades out. And Ralphie's in bed dreaming. His brother's in bed dreaming. Very picturesque. Does he have his toy? I think he has uh, his Christmas present in bed. His brother has his Zeppelin in bed. I don't know if Ralphie ha Oh, Ralphie has his gift in bed with him. And the camera's kind of scanning around. I think because his present also had a compass and all sorts of great stuff for camping on there. And we're just seeing, like, Ralphie's calm, uh, childlike face. Or chi he is a child, child face. If you have a child's face, I don't know. He's he's kid like dreaming face. I think there's probably voiceover going, you know, helping us conclude the movie. But I'm just uh, and now fades out to the outside, to the front of the house. The snow is falling again. Ice and snow in the trees. The trees lit up in the window, and it closes a Bob Clark film.
And yeah, I guess that closes a little holiday memory there for me of, or dismemory, you know, of, uh, a Christmas story. I guess it's Christmas stories, uh, tied together. But, uh, yeah, I hope, uh, you have a wonderful holiday with you and yours, uh, whether it's warm or cold. This podcast will be here for you to help you fall asleep. I'll be off for the week between, uh, Christmas and New Year's, uh, uh, but yeah, thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much. Uh, hey, welcome. Oh, good to see you. Good to be have you over here. So it's, I know, I realize it's, uh, you know, it is, this is the season when cooking, I know Thanksgiving already passed, but this, I, I, I decided to invite you over, uh, for, I guess it would be a side dish party, um, because I said, well, I, I, I thought I would teach you these two different things you could cook for side dishes for either Thanksgiving or Christmas or or for meals of their own. And, you know, I thought we'd have a little bit of fun. So uh, what do you say we get in the car here and uh, uh, head out to Trader Joe's, as we always do, and get a shopping done? And one is going to have a decent amount of ingredients, and the other one is going to not have a lot of ingredients. Uh, so uh, here we go. All right, so here we are at uh, Trader Joe's. Of course, I know you're going to ask if week before we go in. And no, I don't have a, I actually have been, like, what's, what's lighter than a crush? Is that, that's what being attracted to someone is, correct? Is that, cause I'm, you know, you know how I'm not, uh, I'm not able to interact with, you know, I'm, I have issues being a human. You're laughing again. Well, that's, I mean, that's true. Well, I guess I'll be honest with you. There's like I'm attract, like I, I feel attraction. Maybe that's maybe that's a sign I'm growing as a person. I don't need the protection of a crush. Is do you think that's an improvement, or do you think I'm retrograding or whatever? Is that what they call it? Am I retrograding, or am I uh, am I uh, because I I just say, well, geez, am I? Is it devolving? I don't know, but it doesn't matter. It's a, it, whether it's attraction or crush, you know, I keep, keep it to myself, just like Nana would say. Uh, oh, oh, boy. You know, so I just don't worry about it. I don't worry. Uh, you're not, you, you're worried the other way. Well, no, I'll, I'll be fine. You know, I, I'll be fine. I'm, I, uh, I don't need, uh, to be embarrassed, you know, I don't need any more embarrassment. I've got that taken care. Anyway, we're here to cook, uh, believe it or not. And here we go right into the entrance of Trader Joe's, not to speak of this again, uh, because we got here right on the right side is our, uh, pro, you know, our, this section, this particular tree. Now they have done some moving around here. They've expanded their frozen foods a little bit. And, uh, David, but so here in the first section here, the, um, spoilables, I don't know what they, what, what a grocery store is called. I call it the, I would say the spoilables, uh, we've got our stuff. So we got to get, uh, well, we should, somebody should get a shopping list. Why don't you go get, let's start easy to get a bag of potatoes. I think they're called russet potatoes, but you know, the potatoes, we're going to make mashed potatoes. And these are going to be very traditional foods. So go grab some mashed potatoes. Great. And while I think of the other things that we need, okay, celery. We need, we're going to make stuffing. Yeah. Oh, good. That was fast with the potatoes. So we need celery. We need sage. 
We need uh, parsley. Yep, right there. This, we're in the herb section. Uh, two, two yellow onions. Well, I think majorum. I don't know if we need majorum or the other one. We want it thyme or majorum. I mean, I need thyme, believe me. I don't know. So let's just get both, and then we can freeze whatever we don't use. And cross my fingers not to forget, we also need an herb that comes in a tube that's special to Trader Joe's. It's going to add a little delish to this. And two yellow onions, great. And we have garlic at home, so we don't need, we won't need an extra garlic, but we could get it. You're right. Yeah, you could do. Did I ever teach you that? Putting roasted garlic and mashed potatoes. These ones we won't. These are going to be the most unhealthy mashed potatoes ever made. Why? Because they're going to be good. That's why. They only have a few ingredients. Uh, I think that's it for, 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 uh, so we have celery, onions, chop, chop, and chop, chop. And then the herbs and the garlic. I think that's all we need. I may be forgetting something. And then grab some eggs. We're going to need some eggs right over there, right? Yeah, attraction. No, no, no. It's not, it's attraction. Yes, you're catching attraction, but that's not, a, that's different than a crush. What's the difference between attraction and a crush? Attraction, uh, crush, you think about the person maybe once in a while. You say, hmm. Where attraction, you say, whoa, my insides just said, I'm happy to see you, but I hadn't thought about you since the last time. Okay, maybe I do need help. I told you I need help shopping uh, for ingredients because now we need, we're going to get two different kinds of bread. That's one of the secrets of this stuffing. Thanks to Trader Giotto, in all their wisdom, they finally started stocking a dark rye bread, a pumpernickel style. So see that down there? Grab that. And then we're going to grab a sourdough wheat. Uh, you could grab like a regular sourdough next time, but that'll give us a little bit, you know, I don't think there's any way we could make this healthy, but uh, you could pretend. Now we're going to get two. Okay, great. great. So we have two things of bread. And I'll tell you what, this might sound crazy, but I also have these same things of bread at home. But if you were going to do it, if we were going to really use this bread, what we do is just rip these bread bags open a little bit. And we're going to get the bread exposed to supermarket air. Probably not the best idea, but this is just for, you know, this is just the magic of podcasts anyway. So those are expressed to the air now. Now we're going to get two two entire boxes of butter, whatever the heck they come in a pound. I don't know. Just two of those unsalted butters. Thank you. Great. And now, in in certain world, you know, in in the world of non convenience, we'd get heavy cream, but then we would need to, you know, then I'm not comfortable if we don't use all the heavy cream. So we'll just get milk. Uh, but heavy cream we could use, uh, but we won't get. I, I don't know. You, you surprise me. All right. So let me take a look. So we have butter, potatoes, and milk uh, for the potatoes. And then let's see, we have bread, celery, oh, broth. Okay, so let's go down this aisle here. I mean, we could go back down the frozen aisle. Uh, no, don't have any. No, we're not going to talk about that on the podcast. I think we did. Like, if I was going to, that would be the dessert section would be where I would, if I, was, if I had any charm in me. 
and it ran into anyone in the frozen food section, that's where I would want my charm to turn on. Yeah, my, my charm is frozen. You're right, you're right. Well, I just think desserts are just a like, uh, they show a meal has been completed, so that means things are going well. Uh, what dessert are we going to have for tonight? I don't know. I, 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 believe it or not, I have an idea at home about dessert, a non-consumption dessert. Or we could just drink eggnog. That's lately what I've been doing for dessert is having a half gallon of eggnog. No, I'm not kidding. No, don't laugh because it's not funny. Okay. Yeah, we'll do, eggnog doesn't have alcohol in it usually. I mean, when I would drink alcohol, I couldn't, I never... By the time someone would drink eggnog, I, I even would buy the ingredients, but then I'd say, well, I already got my drink. I don't need any friggin' eggnog. That's got a lot of junk in it. Clog me up. Um, but so, but yeah, like, so I, I drink a lot of eggnog during the holidays. Yeah, no, it's terrible for you. No, not light eggnog. I mean, why would you, I mean, I know it sounds judgmental, but it's like uh, if you're going to drink eggnog, you might as well go all the way. Um, okay, so where were we? We were talking about eggnog, milk. I was trying to, oh, broth. We need to, we could get turkey broth or chicken broth. Uh, I would say just get chicken broth. Uh, if we, if they did have bone broth, that would be great. I mean, I think most of your bone broths are better. Well, I guess a chicken bone broth would be good, or a turkey bone broth. What about just poultry, poultry bone broth? That's why is that so hard for me to say poultry bone broth? Doesn't that sound a bit like one word, like supercalifragilistic? Poultry bone broth. It sounds like something like a uh, country time lemonade. Like, I mean, that definitely doesn't mix with lemonade, but say country bone broth. Like, calm down and relax. Doesn't it? And that's what country bone broth would do. Maybe that could be our company, like by Menon. You say, get all your country bone broths. That would be like our little tagline country bone broths. You're right, I shouldn't make that whistling noise at the end. But yeah, come get our broth, the best bone broth there is here at Country Bone Broth. You like that? It it ring, It's a bit like a Tibetan bowl, you're right, but not. How about a Tibetan bowl of Country Bone Broth? Yeah, so delicious. But just let's get turkey broth. Get two things because they'll last. I'd never, I'm not good at calculating ingredient amounts and stuff anyway. And then let's just, since we're here, let's get uh, the, the, the iced tea. Let's get four things of uh, this, that, this kind of German mineral water I like. And then some country bone broth, some coconut water and coconut aloe water just for the podcast. You know, just might as well stack up while we're here. And yeah, I think we're all set. It doesn't really matter what aisle we check out in because I'm not, I'm not bluffing. No, I'm not bluffing. Uh, I'm not bluffing. I don't have a current, current crush. I, like I said, there's people I'm attracted to. That's called the world. It's normal. Oh, did I just say that too loud? Great. That didn't sound weird anyway. That's totally normal to be attracted to people that work at stores or other places. And just to keep it to yourself, of course. 
Okay, so let's just get checked out. Why don't you check out, and I'll check it, you know, because I'm blushing now. You realize I have to shop here all the time. Okay, let's go. Okay, and by the magic power of a podcast, let me chat home. Well, hey, great, great to see you. So here we go. I got back with the groceries while you were still checking out. That's podcast magic. And we're going to need to get right to work. Uh, so what I need you to do is I already washed uh, some of the uh, celery. So I need you to cut the cell, you know, cut the ends off and then, you know, the tops off. And then cut them in half, you know, down the lengthwise in half and then chop them. How much celery? I, I don't, you know, I don't operate with those kind of numbers. I would say uh, this thing is four cups. So let's say, um, I don't know, an equal amount of it to the onions, maybe three cups of celery, we'll say. And then we're going to chop. There you go. You chop, you chop fast. And then, um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to cook a lot of butter. So I'm melting butter in here, a whole thing and a half. Uh, so I don't know what that is, a quarter, three quarters of a cup or something. Yeah, a stick and a half of butter's in there. Yes, it's terrible. Wait till you see the potatoes. You've seen nothing. So that is melting in there, butter. And now you're going to chop that whole yellow onion. I don't know why I got two. We only need one. But you can never have enough onions. Come on. And yeah, see that? Let's measure that. It's about three and a half cups of whole onion. Well, by close. Okay, we're going to put all that in there, and I just need you to, we're going to slowly, oh, you want to stir. Okay, and then grab some sage, oh, rosemary, that was what we forgot, but that's okay. I have a rosemary bush, and so we're covered. So I'll, gra- okay, you'll grab the, ro- okay, so sage, okay, I, I, I'm getting excited, you're right. So sage, I'd say a tablespoon, like just a one handful of sage leaves, great. And then about the same of rosemary. I would say maybe a little bit and a half more of rosemary. Chop those up, right? And then chop up the thyme, maybe the majority of the thyme, maybe a teaspoon or a teaspoon each, not a huge amount. Yeah. And then uh, as far as parsley goes, let's see, one, two, three. Let's do three tablespoons of parsley. That's... Uh, yeah, a lot of parsley. Well, no, don't worry. Don't worry. And, you know, I prefer this curve. You know, I, I don't know why. It, what it, Sometimes the, the flat leaf parsley tastes oily to me. So that's why I prefer this other, uh, this kind of parsley. But I, I, I mean, I got nothing against it. And they're slowly starting to brown. The, the onions are, get translucent right now in the um, celery. This is like a roux. A roux would have uh, roux, 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 sweet pickles. A roux would have carrots, I think, and uh, then we'd add flour. So we're not making a roux right this moment, no. Okay, great. And then all the herbs are chopped. Okay, and then I'm going to put some garlic. Yeah, about four or five cloves of garlic. Just chop those up. Separate them from the herbs because garlic's going to go in as soon as it's chopped. Great. And then I have a cube of frozen basil or basil or whatever, and then maybe just a tiny bit of oregano. We don't want to over-herb it, but we don't want to under-herb it, you know. Okay, put the garlic in. Yeah, that smells good. Oh, boy. 
And we're going to keep stirring. Look at all that butter in there. Oh, boy, is that good. Oh, what's that other smell? That's the bread. I did before you got here. We got about nine to ten cups of bread. Fifty-fifty of the uh, wheat bread, sourdough wheat, and the pumpernickel, or the dark rye. You know, it's baking in the oven, cubed up, I guess. So I, I did do that with that. It's incredibly boring, even for a sleep podcast, to cube bread. And they actually have a cubing song, so I can't sing on the podcast. Uh, a song I wrote for cubing the bread. It just goes, it's more of a chant, cubing the bread, cubing the bread. I'm cubing the bread. It's a chant. I guess it's not a song. Yeah, you could check the oven. Just see, go ahead and squeeze a couple of things of bread and see if they're hard. Not yet, right? Not yet. Okay, let's get all these herbs in here with in the pot, and we're going to keep stirring. Just keep stirring. And we got this uh, big bowl here. Uh, so what we're going to do, yeah, we don't want to overcook the herbs for sure. Uh, but, yeah, keep stirring it, keep stirring. Okay, that's good. Pull it, pull it off, pull it off. And uh, pour it all into that bowl, all, everything out of it. Now you don't, you don't have to clean it. You got a little. This is where we save, save, saving of labor here. So get everything, all the herbs and butter in there, ninety percent. Yeah, very good. You got it empty, but there's still stuff stuck in the sides and the bottom. Now fill up that pot with water, almost you know. And put it on the stove. Don't turn it on, though. And then cube all, cube all the potatoes while this cools, this uh, herb and butter mix. And as you cube the potatoes, I'll check the bread. The bread's pretty much there. So I'm going to pull the bread out of the oven for us and put it up here. And the bread's going to cool off. And you're yeah, yeah, that's how I usually do the potatoes. I like to cut them in half lengthwise. And I guess technically we'll do smashed potatoes. I wash the potatoes, but I don't take the skins off. It's just too much. I don't see why, actually. I don't see, like, I guess if this is, so then, okay, we're going to put all potatoes and we're going to turn the pot on high here. Yeah, so the pot's on high and you you can put a top on. It'll take a while for that to go to a boil. And so while we wait for that to boil, we're going to take the bread and we're going to put it in the bowl with the mix, the herb mix, okay, and just start coating it. Yep, just spin, stir, stir, stir. Yeah, I do have a slotted spoon. That's why it's not a slotted spoon, though. It's a hold spoon. It's a spoon with holes. I don't know what a slotted spoon is. What's the spoon that has the, like, uh, things that make it look like it has spikes? Is that a slotted spoon? I don't know. This spoon has holes. I call it a slotted spoon because it's good for mixing bread and herbs. Keep going. Really toss, I mean, toss it without tossing anything. Want to get all the bread soaking up that butter and stuff. Keep going. I'm going to prepare uh, some chicken, some broth here. How much broth? A cup and a quarter of broth is how much broth I'm going to prepare for this. And then we won't be done with the broth, so we're not going to put it away. Okay, how's your time? Okay, so now take the broth and pour the broth over the bread and keep stirring it and let the bread soak it up, soak up that broth with all the other stuff. Keep going. Okay, great. Now keep this by the window here so it, stay, it keeps cooling. 
Why? Well, we needed to cool because what we're going to do now, you know, Amy Cool, K-U-L, is K-U-L-E. She's the uh, producer of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Bet you didn't know. You do know that because you listen to the podcast. Great. Okay, so in this bowl here that I have in front of you, we are going to take a quarter and a cup, a cup and a quarter, or a quarter and a cup of broth. About again, this is not a bake. I mean, we're baking, but not baker. You know, we're not making cookies. Well, it's pretty important because you don't want it to be too saggy or too wet. But it, dude, believe me, believe me or not, I know when it comes to this kind of stuff, I kind of know what I'm doing barely. So yeah, about a cup and a quarter, and then crack. You're gonna mix these two. You're gonna whip these two eggs in there. Yeah, just mix it up, mix it up. This is our binder. And, uh, yeah, keep keep mixing. Now, I pre- preheated the oven to 350, and but also magical 350. So we, uh, we can discuss that in a little while. But so in that, uh, the, the bread mixture actually cooled magically, too. So we're, we're going to do... Is uh, as the potatoes start to come to a boil. First, let's get this done. They're not boiling yet. Uh, what we're going to do is, um, you know, mix that, uh, pour that in with the uh, pour the egg and broth mixture in with the, and just yeah, just keep mixing with that slotted spoon. Good thing I'm of, of I've allotted the, the spoon of slotted for you because you're doing a great job mixing that up. You are. Yeah, so just keep mixing them, and I have this pan here, and you can buy a foil pan, or you could use, like, a baker, you know, oven-safe dish like this. You just get butter, you know, butter it up. Uh, I'm using the Trader Joe's butter spray. Oh, my goodness, you're right. We forgot an ingredient from Trader Joe's. Luckily, I have it here. You're so right. I told you to cross your fingers, and you forgot. It's this unami paste. Uh, thank goodness we remember before we put it in the oven-proof dish while you're still tossing. So we're going to take a tablespoon of tsunami paste. I don't know how well. Let's do a tea, teaspoon. I mean, yeah, you're right, not a tablespoon. But we'll do two teaspoons of the tsunami paste into the stuffing. It gives it, it has extra ingredients. It just will give, it, hopefully it'll give like a t- tiny undetectable extra layer of mouthfeel. Or just a, like a little bit of unami pungency, but barely detectable at two two teaspoons, and just mix that in. You can taste it; it does taste. It. It's it's good. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah. Well, if you look at the ingredients, then you might you're gonna overthink it when you eat it. I don't know fermented stuff. I I think maybe like uh fermented you know fermented things and non fermented things are in there in a good way. Oh, what is in what is it exactly? And they're fermented unami slugs. That's what makes the unami paste from the planted unami. Yeah, am I even, yeah. That's more charming than my dessert material. So I, sh- I guess I should hang around the unami paste then. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe I tried hanging around the ginger paste and then. They said, please don't stand by the pastes anymore, sir. And I said, okay, I'll just paste around these pastes, you know, uh, the tastes of these pastes, you know, is why I walk with haste. That's not charming. I really, anyway, we, we're in the middle of, so, just, so that's ready. So let's get it in the dish. 
you just start swooning in the dish. Now, I prefer, this is, I think, a decision whether you fall on a drier stuffing or a denser, more bread pudding stuffing or an even denser, more liquidy stuffing. I prefer just a plop like that. And then there's like the density will come from the settling. And you can see we got a nice liquid mixture, and the bread doesn't look like it's totally, it's absorbed everything, but not overabsorbed where it's, so yeah, I, I prefer my stuffing dense, but not too dense, and uh, light, like, it was, you know, I, I don't, but, but it doesn't matter, no one's going to care, it's, you know, I mean, I guess this one it will be, because I guess this is the main course. Uh, but just, okay, cover it up with foil, and we're going to stick it in the oven. No, it's great that you did perfect. Wonderful. Okay, now we're going to check the, the potatoes are boiling, so we're going to lower the temperature, leave the cover on, and we'll simmer those for like about 10 minutes. Oh, how long is the stuffing going to stay in the oven? Well, in, in a normal human oven, 40 minutes, but ours, it's... Uh, you know, I did the movies thing where I put, uh, I, 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 there's already some stuffing in there. I know it's real-time recipes, but it's not real, like, uh, can you imagine a real-time turkey recipe? Come on. Even the real-time, it's real-time, like we're really, okay, this is my podcast, I don't need you. There's two stuffings in the oven, so it doesn't matter. Okay, so 40 minutes, it goes in the oven for about 40 minutes. Oh, you want to check it to make sure, yeah, it's cooked, but I don't know the temperature. I, this is just a, this is a, you know, fictional recipe that could be non-fictionalized, but at your own risk. I don't know. You want you do want to make sure it's cooked, that, the, that it's totally cooked. What I like to do is at 40 minutes, just take the foil off and see if the stuffing's starting to develop. And if not, you can leave the cover off. Uh, you know, and you can see what your liquid, like how dry it is versus how dry you like your stuffing. So it could take a couple generations of stuffing to say, well, this is, this is the best stuffing I've ever made. Okay. And, and to get our potatoes ready, it's pretty simple. We're going to get a, a calendar here in the sink over a bowl that, that other bowl will rinse out the one that had the, uh, well, we got, you're right, we got to wash it out because it had eggs in it. So we'll wash that out. We're going to wash, wash, wash that bowl, wash it right out of my hair. So we'll have that ready, and then we're going to put a stick of butter into this big bowl that we'll also wash out first. You're right, I guess, yeah, because it had eggs too. You're right. Yeah, so we'll wash that out, and... um yeah, so those bowls are washed, and the butter is in there. So we'll melt this butter. That's just one stick of butter. We will be using many, many sticks of butter, but in a certain manner that I like to release my butter. So let's melt that, and then we have we got a few minutes, so I had an idea I'd run by you. Oh, so what are we going to do today? We'll see what I have here. If you close your eyes, I have a surprise. The year was 2014, and my intention was to buy something and follow through on it, Which, and then the year was 2015, and my intention was to use the thing I bought in 2014 
uh, maybe an, an ironic date like the 4th of July, and then it became the 2015 winter. And I purchased another one of these, and then it became, then it, so so I have two gingerbread kits uh, from Trader Joe's. Well, that's why we didn't buy one this time. Uh, no, yeah, I'm not kidding. I wish I was. This one is from 2014, and this one is from 2015. They look identical, except that I did open the 2014 partially, and then I couldn't find the will to say, well, she's got to clear off a whole table for this. And so we'll make we'll make one of these. And maybe our guests, if we have some guests come, they can make the 2015 one. Oh, well, what, what, which one? You can't possibly, you don't eat a gingerbread house anyway, do you? We can make one of them could be a gingerbread fairy house. Well, it could make the animals sick, you're right, but it could make them happy. They'd say, you know, we could be creating uh, the woman from Hansel and Gretel on a smaller scale. We'll give her a gingerbread home. Well, what you could just take it home as a party favor instead of leaving it outside. How's that sound? Great. Okay, so here's a big Ziploc bag. We'll use that as our icing thing. And here's the box with the icing, and you just mix, say, have lemons, and you just mix, uh, I'll mix up one egg white here. And then Koa, good news, Koa, you get a egg yolk, so we'll fry this egg yolk for Koa. And yeah, if we have guests, we'll make another batch. So, Koa, you will get two egg yolks, good news. So, yeah, just mix that up in there. And, uh, yeah, the, the, so that'll be, that's your icing pack. And then I don't know what guests we have coming, to be honest, because you, you didn't invite any Trader Joe's workers. You invited two. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay, well, who, which, which two? Oh, you invited more than two. Oh, boy, they're, hey, hey hi. Oh, yeah, I, I do. You do. I, I have seen you before. Yeah. Hi. Oh, hello. Yeah, you're good. I guess you're in charge of the samples, I noticed. You were doing a great job with the tapioca with the uh, cinnamon in there. I loved that. Well, yeah, this is my friend. I hate to spring a Trader Joe's. You might be Trader Joe'd out, but these are actually vintage. One of these is from 2014 and one of these is from 2015. Oh, how do I know which one's from 2015? Yeah, you're right. The boxes are identical, which doesn't exactly give me great. But I guess gingerbread material, as long as it's sealed, can last forever, huh? And plus, you don't eat it. So, yeah, this is the one. And then you could, why don't we break up into teams? Everyone can go out, out in the back there, and I'll lay out, because I'm cooking co of these. Oh, you're going to stay and help me. Oh, that's a beautiful name. Yeah, I know, yeah, I do spend a lot of time in the produce section. Okay, well, my friend, okay, so we're going to have a little contest. Yeah, because they have little gummies. And what are those, like, fake M&Ms? Are those mint? Those mints? Okay, and then little sprinkles. Those are cool. And little people. Are those made from marzipan? Marz, a marzipan family. Maybe that, that, that I like the, how that sounds, a marzipan family. You're laughing. You think I'm funny, huh? Yeah. Do, do, you, do, you, find, do you find people more charming near the pa pastes or the desserts, right? The desserts. 
How do you feel about Unami? No, no, not Tsunami. Unami. Unami. Oh, that sounds like it. you've said that before. Unami. See, maybe we don't have the... Oh, we do have the oven on. Okay, so the, let me check here on the potatoes. Yes, we're making mashed potatoes. Yeah, they they about five more minutes. On, and then stuffing. Yeah, we're having uh, stuffing and mashed potatoes for dinner. Turkey gravy. Did you bring turkey gravy? You did. Oh, that's great. And ginger, the the ginger, the ones with the pop, the the pop top ginger sodas. Awesome. Well, I just realized this kit comes with its own uh, icing thing. I didn't realize even though we made our own. Well, yeah, it's an interesting marzipan family. So there's a dog. The dog's name is Rolf. And then there's a Helga, that's what this person's name is. Yeah, they're the older, that's why they have a cane and a hat. They're older and wise. And neutral, they don't know. They're, they're, it's just Helga. And then these two are the Gorf twins. You had Gorf, G-O-R-F, the Gorf twins. These two marzipan children are the Gorf twins. They live with Helga. Well, you haven't heard The Adventures of Helga and the Gorf Twins? It's a very famous gingerbread press, uh, uh, 2029 gingerbread press, uh, Helga and Gorf Twins. It's a new, like once people forget about Cam Jansen and Geronimo Stilton, and then they start to have those kids, those adults that forgot about them, and then they have children. That'll be around 2029, I think. Well, maybe not. Yeah, I guess so. And that's when I'll start my series, uh, Helga and the Gorf Twins. It'll be, well, maybe I'll just buy up the, do you think, when does the uh, things expire on um, uh, Geronimo Stilson and Cam Jansen? Or Encyclopedia Brown? I mean, they could write my own, I mean, Helga and the Gorf Twins, that writes them, they could just have candy-based mystery, the candy mysteries. Does anybody do that already? You don't know. Oh, why are you you're leaning against me as I... Okay, I don't know what to say. Helga and the Gorf Twins. Oh, that's what I was talking about, yeah. Oh, what's Gingerbread Press? It is my fictional imprint. Yeah, it's the publishing arm of a fictional part of my brain that doesn't exist. It's an imprint, like a publishing house for fiction? No, 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 close, very close. It's a fictional printer of fiction. And non, some nonfiction, actually. Yeah, it's an imprint from a fictional. I don't know what the publisher would be, but it's an imprint, Gingerbread Press. Uh, it's my publishing, fictional publishing arm. Like I said, it publishes fiction and nonfiction. Oh, don't I mean imaginary? Well, I guess you could mean, I could mean imaginary. Um, But I prefer fictional. But but yeah, so that's where that that'll be the publisher of Helga and the Gorf Twins. Yeah, I'd like it. I do. Uh, And I guess like the secret they'll all hold is that by solving the mysteries, they're really saving themselves by saving each other and solving the mysteries. You know, one of those ones where they're feeding some deeper needs, but we don't need to know that. That'd be subtextual, ideally. Uh, why did I choose Gingerbread Press? I don't remember. 
to be honest, it was probably uh, probably the uh, tons of gingerbread I have around here, you know, in store because I was storing gingerbread. Like, you know, do I? Uh, how did you know I was writing erotic knock fiction? Well, I don't know if I ever need any help. You, you're pretty fun. I think I, I'll be honest. I'm. Uh, you're very. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else. Oh. Everybody's coming in with their gingerbread houses now. Great job. Oh, boy. Is that a gingerbread yurt? That is nice. So we have a gingerbread yurt, and what is that? That is a gingerbread a gingerbread commune. I like it. I like it. A gingerbread yurt should be on a gingerbread commune. And what is yours? Oh, gingerbread. That's a gingerbread tower. Yeah, Tower of Commerce. That's great. So very contrasting. Oh no, who wins? There's so everyone wins when you, uh, as long as you don't eat eat the gingerbread house. Because again, they're from 24. I wasn't kidding when I said they're 2014, 2015 models. Oh, we seem to be getting along good in here. We we are. Eh? I mean, so so the potatoes are ready. So so um. So just everybody knows, don't eat the gingerbread again. It can't be, don't, don't do that. Those we could, I guess you could, uh, yeah, I guess I'm getting a bit heady here. So, so we're going to, um, mash the potatoes here. I didn't realize it would be such a, like an audience event, but it is an, this is an event to behold. So gather ye round. Oh, was I, uh, Helga and the Gorp Twins, uh, once upon a time, this is who I learned this uh, how to churn uh, butter, mashed butter potatoes. I don't know what else to call it. So, yeah, we're going to just strain the potatoes, and then we're going to strain into the bowl so we just have a little bit of potato water if we need it. Now, my lady, if you could have another stick of butter at the ready, even cut it in half if you wish. And then have another stick of butter at the ready after that. Oh, yeah, three sticks of butter minimum. Okay, so good draining. So then we're going to put them in this bowl with the butter. And then I just, I don't have a potato masher. I just have this giant fork, and it's a very stiff, big fork for, like, salad or something. It's great for mashing. And, yeah, just start crushing everything. Yeah, and right now it, it, it's not very it, 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 so. Just crush it into the butter, and mash and mash and mash and mash, and the butter's getting absorbed. And just keep mashing. Yeah, you're breaking up. See, the, we cooked it the right amount. See, there's no uh, uncooked potato in there, so that's good. And yeah, there's a little bit of the herbs left, a tiny, tiny bit from the first cook we did. You know, take out your papers. In your trash, uh, but, but, hey, potatoes, we're about to mash. Okay, let's put that other stick of butter in there because the potatoes are still hot. We could switch it up. Yeah, it does get tiring. I'll do a little mashing. Oh, you're going to mash. Oh, boy. Mash away. Mash. No, no, no don't do, do gentle mashing. Yeah, gentle mashing. No. And, yeah, just start folding, and that butter's going to melt pretty fast. And I don't know, if how's everybody feel? Like, what's your comfort level with... Uh, like communal eating, because I I do like to start to taste right out of the thing, but normally no one would see me, and, and then they wouldn't tell them. They would just eat it. 
but I can do something fancy, you know, like, okay, that's good that you're honest. I'll just take a spoon and eat off the spoon and then wash the spoon. Is that comfortable for you? Great. So glad we have this atmosphere of honesty. Do you, you must live in a gingerbread yurt. Maybe that's what, where Helga would live. You know, if I had a podcasting studio, I could do a yurt. It wouldn't, what's the difference between a yurt? Uh, like, I guess, like, is a yurt cheaper? Well, I guess I don't have anywhere to put a yurt anyway. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, good mashing. Okay. So, uh, no, I, I think let's do another half stick of butter before we add any milk. Uh, yeah, because see, the potatoes are still like, yeah, they're not going to get whipped yet, but they're getting more and more buttery. And just keep mashing and mashing. That, that stick of butter. And now I'm going to add some milk. I don't know how much, a quarter cup, just to start. And keep it. Yeah, now you'll do a little bit more whipping as we get to start to get this uh, better consistency. We're still a ways away, believe it or not. Uh, still a ways away. But you are good. Okay, I think we're probably using another quarter of milk here, but not yet. Let's do, I'm going to do two finger fills of salt, so just two pinches of salt. And I'm going to take my first taste. Oh, boy. You want to put a spoon? Wow, I don't think it's ever gone this well for me. The guests just come over, we've ever hit it off like this. I'm going to spoon mashed potatoes right into your mouth. It might be too weird. Anyway, it's how. What do you think? Good. Let me taste. Uh, it's um, it's getting there. It's getting there. And that definitely needs some milk. It's tough to. Heavy cream would give it a richer flavor. But we're going to do that by butter. And then remember, we're going to get a salty. Oh, good. Thanks for putting that uh, turkey gravy on the stove. Yeah, we're going to get a salt kick from the gravy too. So we will. We've got to be careful about our salting, but we don't want to under-season, but we don't want to over-season. Okay, so the second thing is, so we've got about a half cup of milk. Let's put that next thing of butter in and just keep mashing. Now I'm going to put some uh, uh, pepper in, black pepper. Yeah, I would use white pepper from time to time. Maybe not on mashed potatoes just because actually the uh, black pepper actually gives it, uh, you know, visual uh that looks nice. It gives a little bit more light, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it's not mashed potatoes, it's a sleep podcast, you know. What can I What can I say? What I overthink is not, yeah, twice a year it's useful. And the stuffing is looking good. I just checked the stuffing. It is looking good. Looking good? No, looking good. Looking good later. Wow, you're very forward. Um. So, okay, so let's, so we now, let's see, we should be very buttery. Um, let me get another taste. You know, I would go with another half stick of butter. Just keep whipping it, keep whipping it. We still have the temperature. And why don't you pull out the uh, stuffing because, uh, you know, they add time to that stuffing, the second stuffing to be done. And just see how this, see how the steam's coming off? That's good. That's a good sign. And we have a little bit of crust on the top, but it's not, yeah, oh boy, we are in business. And that gravy's going yippee-ki-yay, as uh, John McClain would say. And yeah, let me taste it. Why don't you taste it and tell me, does it, 
It's strange. Okay, that's good. So it's strange, almost like there's butter infused into the potatoes. Yeah, it's about, we may be at a 50-50 ratio now, so that's where we want to be. So just keep whipping it, and then we'll go straight into serving. So we're going to serve. Everybody's going to get a plate of stuffing and a a scoop of stuffing, a scoop of mash, a fork of mash. And then, yeah, let's make a little pocket in there. And that's the thing, we don't have to add butter. The butter's all in there, so we'll just make another reservoir for gravy. And you could go, yeah, there you go. Oh, boy, thanks for the teamwork grinding that pepper right on there. And so here we go. We all have our plates of stuffing and potatoes, thankful. Then now, see how hard, easy that was, too, uh, and we could make it again. And these are two traditional styles. You know, you can always whip up, you can add apples or any amount of different things to the stuffing to mix it up. And then the potatoes, you can also, uh, I find this to be anti, you know, this is a simple, it's not healthy, but but because of the amount of butter. But I think this is preferable. I mean, sometimes a Parmesan or even a little blue cheese or roasted garlic or, or other things added to the potatoes are good. But in some cases, this traditional butter style, I think it, it, it gives it a richness uh, and it plays off the flavor. Oh, boy, everybody's digging in now. And I'm thankful for my new friends. Uh, maybe this new friend here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, you don't have to feed me. That will uh, kill you. Yeah, that'll kill it fast. Thanks. I don't like to be fed. I don't know why that is. But and I'm glad that people felt comfortable enough to tell me not to eat off of their food. That's great. And I'm just glad everybody's having, I hope everybody out there, you know, the holidays are a tough time of year. And to remember that uh, you can make something like this. And also that, yeah, we've repurposed these ancient, I like these gingerbread houses. You did great on these. But, uh, yeah, let's just remember to put put one, you know, sometimes keep it simple. Just butter, some salt, some milk, and some potatoes. And other times, you know, you bring together all these different flavors and ingredients and, you know, stir them and let them rest and then stir it some more and let them all come together um, and eat with friends. That's, I think, the moment is... uh, uh, so I'm glad to thank so much for taking me to Trader Joe's and inviting these people over that you decided to invite over. And they do, oh, you're asking, do I have any eighties people coming? Do yeah. Usually when we cook, we have people from the eighties. We do. They think they're just running late. Like, they're coming together. Do you hear that noise? That's like a motorcycle pulling up. Does it not sound right? I think I know why. Yeah, is it, that is a man on another man's shoulders coming down the driveway. That's uh, Michael Winslow pretending to be a motorcycle. And that's Bronson Pinchot on, on the back of Michael Winslow. Yep, hey, what's up, guys? Come on in. Well, Bronson, man. It's so, such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for taking Michael. Robot, okay. Spare change, there you go. Is my kitchen is a little bit small for sound effects, I'll be honest, Michael. You're great. You're great. Oh, just key. Okay. Yeah, if you could turn. Does he turn it off, Ronson? It's good to see you, though. Uh, 
not only are you a perfect stranger, perfectly not a stranger anymore, but what are we having? We're having stuffing and potatoes uh, with gravy. Uh, so, yeah, let me say goodnight to everybody. So that's goodnight, everybody. You got Bronson and uh, Michael here with our new friends. And I hope that, you know, if you need a recipe for the holidays, uh, those are a couple of easy ones. Uh, and I'm thankful for all of you on this long winter's night. Good night. All right, hey, everybody, Scoots here. And I was thinking of, uh, like, it's the holiday season, right? And you got your holiday specials. And I always seem to miss out on the holiday specials, the TV specials from when I was a kid. I think most of the TV specials that were on when I was a kid were ones that were older. And, you know, as we had, we saw with, uh, what was that one, Charlie Brown, I had, like, mixed feelings about The Great Pumpkin. And as I did grow a new level of appreciation watching it three times. And I kind of struggled, to be honest, with what I would do about, uh, like, the holiday specials because I said, well... And then there's this, this is a strange one, as, as you know, you, you know who's talking. Uh, but without controversy, I believe, the, the, the subject matter, well, yeah, without controversy, if you said to me, you can't watch any, like, this would be easy, this is like no debate, and you'll probably be surprised at the answer. But if you said to me, uh, What's the only, like, if I could take away every holiday special and you can only watch one, this would be the one it is. And it's not technically a holiday special, though it's associated with the holidays. Or check that. For me, it is. And also, when you, when I, you know, one of the luxuries of making this podcast is really being able, I think I've overused parse out stuff lately, but this really gives me an opportunity to dig my hands into the loamy sto- soil that is my experience as a human being and take a look at it and wonder why. And as I wonder why I have such an affinity for the special, one of the interesting things is that because it isn't a holiday special, I don't think it's tied to very much nostalgia. Uh, because the, the actual nostalgia it is attached to as I rewatch this, this special multiple times and I pay, bought it, uh, and we'll talk about that in a second, but uh, is that the only nostalgia I have is for the exact reactions I have as an adult watching it and saying, I remember watching it as a kid and appreciating the same things. So, so it's not a, it's not a, I don't know, a lot of times with nostalgia, it's like a, the memory associated with specials falling into a slot for something else, like whether it's security or pleasure or something not directly associated, I guess in my way, kind of like projection, like when you, like, uh, you're projecting something onto the special in associate or association, this special, I just like, and I, as a kid, I just liked it. I, I think, and I think love maybe, I, I agree. I have great, great, great affinity for this. And it's, and even if the thing is confusing, cause it has two titles, and I always knew it as Babes in Toyland, but the technical name of this movie or special, it's not a special, it's a movie, March of the Wooden Soldiers, Laurel and Hardy's March of the Wooden Soldiers, Babes in Toyland, is I think the technical special. And, and so, like, uh, and you, there are places to watch this for free. I don't know if it's in the public domain or not. And I did purchase it. Now, unfortunately, like I was going to purchase, I was going to try to put, purchase a colorized version 
it just add another layer of debate, but I purchased the black, the original version, but that's just, that's great. I'm glad about that. Uh, cause the only reason I was going to buy the colorized version was this extra layer of, um, something or other. And I can't remember the first time I saw this. Now, you know that I'm a great fan or maybe you don't, um, of Laurel and Hardy, but I don't like my, my mind doesn't create memories uh, the way probably people with good memories does. So I can't remember all the Laurel and Hardy I watch. And then the Three Stooges. I'm not a huge Abbott and Costello fan. I can't tell you why. I do appreciate them. Uh, but as far as comedy teams go, I'll take a look. Like, I, I mean, the Three Stooges is, I guess that's a team, but that's more of a threesome. I mean, if I had to, to take Laurel and Hardy versus Three Stooges, I don't know what I would do. That would be, you know, a dilemma. But if you put it up against comedy duos, uh, for me, unless there's something I'm not thinking of, it's Laurel and Hardy all the way. And I think, it, like, I realized in this one, it's because, uh, like, Stanny and I, I mean, we, we, share, we share a lot. I mean, including, they look a lot like him, I guess, it's at times, I think. Uh, so that's the special we're going to be talking about. And depending on the time... Maybe we'll explore some of the thematic stuff, but mostly we'll just be going through a run-through. And I'm going to do it the same way I did the uh, Charlie Brown one for Halloween, which is that I watched it twice, and then I'm going to be watching it. I'm going to be doing a, like a like a pausing and playing it, which is another luxury of buying it and then being able to download it. Uh, so there you go. Get a digital, you know, there's a tip of the week. Get a digital, I think I could probably link to affiliate link to this special too, but, uh, you know, do a download. I don't know who the money would go to though, in this case, other than, but whatever, you know, with Stan. So, so let me see, just for anybody. So this is really old. This episode, this movie predates me. It's a black and white movie. I have no facts in front of me about it. And I'd rather just get into the, the the meat of it, and then maybe we'll talk about the facts later. But it stars uh, people that are in the credits and Laurel and Hardy. And Laurel and Hardy, um, are the, the, I guess they're technically, I guess they technically, are they the stars? I don't know. You don't want to get too technical. And I don't know if this was like, uh, if they carried the movie. There are other versions of this movie. There's one with Annette Funicello that I've never seen, I don't think. And then I think in the 80s, there was another one with a lot of famous TV people. Maybe some people that are like ultra famous now. I don't know. I didn't Google it. But there was another version that I that I, I watched, I think, even the first time it was broadcast. But uh, for me, I don't know. Like, I really, like, looked at this as neutrally as I could with, like, and uh, I'm not saying this is perfect. I mean, if you get into the plot and the story, but I, I did find, for the most part, my attention did not wane. It rolls in at, a, like, a brief, like, hour and 10 minutes or 10, 17 minutes, maybe. Um, one thing, I might as well talk about this up front, that I was blown away by, and this is out of ignorance, but, like, is the sound like when I know how hard it is to record a podcast and this is like whatever year 2016 uh I don't know a lot about the movie sounds in these the black and white days 
but how they get to the sound of, of the of the dialogue, I don't know. In the singing, there it, it's not a musical, but there is singing and wonderful, wonderful music. And uh, this, like, uh, this does have some um, things in it that will, like, that, that I wonder. Uh, are they like I haven't had time to investigate? That would be the second segment of this podcast if we have time is to investigate some of the things like uh, you know they maybe it may have been like uh, insensitive at the time. I don't know though. I haven't investigated deep enough to say either way. And some of these may prey on some deeper seated uh, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, so, this is a kids' movie. But I, I don't know what age. You'd have to judge. There's not really any adult themes, but there is, uh, like, stuff that would stir a kid up, but we're an adult. So I wouldn't, I don't know if you'd watch it at bedtime. And But the level of comedy in this, especially the physical comedy, and just some of the jokes, and I don't know, this was like, again, I don't, I wish, like, I got to listen to, uh, uh, you you must remember this just to like see like I guess to rehash my knowledge of these period of movie making. Uh, but this was a, like one of these spectacle things because it seems like most of it was filmed on like one giant set, uh, like a giant giant soundstage, like almost a theme particle level soundstage. Uh, but let me pause it here because this is going to be a tough one because I have two sets of notes. And I'm going to be playing the episode, so so I'll be doing my best to keep the paper sounds out, but I'll be right back. Okay, as with all things with this podcast, for some reason I can't locate half of my notes, so I guess this won't be linear, but that should be fine. That'll give us some even more stuff. Uh, but the music starts, with this, which is one of the more famous parts about this, and of course this isn't a music podcast and music wakes people up, but it... Uh, it's like fanfare type music, which uh, is one of the great, th- one of the reasons to love this. So the music starts, then there's like a, uh, then there's like the MGM lion, but also to the left of the lion is an NRA symbol. Uh, not for that NRA, but I don't know what the National Recording Agency maybe or something. I don't know. And then we get uh, like a hint of what we'll see at the end of the movie, which is these toy blocks that say Hal Roach presents Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. And there's two toy soldiers. It kind of looks like a nursery room or a playroom, two toy like British, like the Beefeater style soldiers. And the music's playing. I think this is, I can't listen to the music, obviously, and, and do this at the same time. But at some point it goes into this March of the Wooden Soldiers theme. Then we see this book comes, or no, it's a box. It says Victor Herbert's Babes in Toyland. So I'm guessing Babes in Toyland is the music that preceded this. Oh, yeah, because it's composed by Victor Herbert, and uh, the books and lyric are by Glenn McDonough, and the camera pulls in as the credits start, and more credits run. And then pretty soon, it's playing in front of me, but the Babes in the Toyland book will appear. And then we see, I thought it was the old woman that lives in the shoe, but I think it's Mother Goose. I don't think it's old Mother Hubbard, uh, but I, you know, I don't know all of my uh, nursery rhyme women. Who's on Cleet's book? Who's on Cleet a book? I don't know what that says, so I'll have to keep an eye out on that. 
Oh, who's on the cover of the book? There are two toy soldiers on the cover of the book, Drew. And she comes out of the book, but a real human. And she's singing, When you've grown up, my dears, and are as old as I, you'll often ponder on the years that roll so swiftly. A beautiful singing, by the way. Beautiful. I don't, I don't know the credits, of course. By my dears that roll so swiftly by. And the camera's pulling in, and she's singing to the camera. In all the many lands you've journeyed through, this is the closed captioning I'm using, you know, a little behind the magic. Oft recall the best childhood land your childhood knew. And she's such, such lovely singing. Now we get this high tech, like, we get high effects here because uh, she opens the book here and there's like a, a movie screen or a TV within the book. And I mean, this is a long time ago. And this also marks a very important part for me because this song, you want to talk about an earworm. I'm not even going to come close to singing it. But also like a song, if you want to improv it, uh, like uh, the song Toyland as in Mother Goose or whatever. And she's also wearing a witch's hat. I don't understand that, but I think it's probably good for the rain, like a conical hat. But we have this. So the first person we see is a little Bo Peep who lost her sheep, uh, and like I said, this is uh, picture in picture. Before, I mean, I don't know what year this is. Like, and that's how ignorant I am. I don't know if it's 1920, uh, 1940, 1950, 1960, uh, but it's old. And uh, Mother Goose is singing. or no, She's not Mother Goose. Maybe she is. Then we see Tom Tom, the Piper's son. So we get the, uh, the love story. Then the little old lady who lived in the shoe, she's the uh, motherhood, the uh, matriarchy influence, and she has all these kids. Then we have the villain, Silas Barnaby, the meanest man in town, and he just goes, walks right up to the camera and stares right into it, and he's very good. Then uh, tertiary characters, Hey Diddle Diddle, the cat and the fiddle. It's a life-size, human-sized cat playing a cello, it looks to me. And then an imitation Mickey Mouse, which I have not investigated what it is, probably because it like uh, it's just but the, the mouse we'll talk about a lot. Three little pigs, Elmer, Elmer, Willie, and Jigs, and they're dancing. They seem very happy. And then our heroes, uh, Stanny Dumb and Ollie D, like to sleep as you could see. So this is the perfect setup for the sleep with me because they're in bed together. They both sleep on their backs, and they seem like they share the bed well. And they're doing the old effect where they sleep, and there's a feather going up and down, and they're breathing in, and the feather's going back out. And the second time I was watching it with a nine-year-old, and she was saying, oh, I wonder if that's on a string. I said, oh, thanks for ruining that. Uh, but the feather effect is they snore, and then at some point Stan swallows the Stanny in this movie, f- swallows the feather, and he starts, like, giggling in his sleep, which wakes Ollie up, and then the Toyland music is still going. And then what we do is we cut to the town dancing. We see these cities, just a lot of stuff, city gates. You see windmills. You see people fishing. You see school caps. I don't know what that means. And then Mother Hubbard. Then my pen ran out of ink. Mother Goose battling ballad bio or something. Little Miss Muffet. Then some garden girl. 
I don't know uh, what she, she what nursery rhyme. It seems like a lot of the characters are from nursery rhymes. Uh, then we had the kid, Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater. I, I don't know if it was him or, or it was a kid that had stuck his thumb in a pump pie. Oh, but now you can see the set. There, there, it's like a setting in the mountains. I think there's a maypole, and people are, is that what that's called when you have the ribbons around the maypole? And there's still singing going on. There's a pond and a little, there's, oh yeah, there's like this strange uh, character in all the fishing, and the, all the kids are gathered around uh, cheering on the fishing. Oh, then the uh, cops say, everybody in school, get on your way to school. Uh, and, uh, oh yeah, the school is like, uh, even everything's themed, even the school it, uh, has a book, a book. There's somebody that lives in a, uh, oh, there's a balloon man going off to work. He sleeps, he's got a little balloon-shaped house. Oh, there's little Miss Muffet sitting on her tuff at eating her curds and whey. Then there's this garden woman, I don't know her, and then the guy sticks his thumb in a pie. I don't know if that's Peter Peter Pumpkin Meter. Then a great rockabye baby on the treetops. I can tell you this for sure. No boughs will be broken in the making of this movie or this episode. It's all good for the baby. Uh, then crumpets. Is there a crumpet character? Someone leaving a wood, wood windmill with her crumpets. She's got candy cane fence. And then this freaking cat and mouse. Now, the mouse, I don't, like, this was one of the things that boggled my mind as a child was the mouse. Then the three pigs, it looks like the three pigs are going to school, but they live independently. One of the pigs is brushing their teeth, the one that lives in the straw house. Other pigs are saying, come on, let's go, let's move it here. And they head off to school. And they kind of shuffle, and you want, I mean, this is the old days, so, and then two mimes, are, yeah, mime clowns, they're jumping over each other, uh, a milk person, and then now we have the old woman that lives on the shoe, in the shoe, sending the kids off to school, who's afraid of the big bad wolf at some point, I don't know what that, maybe that's just a song, oh yeah, a Jack, two Jack in the Boxes, Two leapfrogging people that we talked about. Too many kids at the old woman's shoes house. She's Bo Peep mother. She's calling Bo Peep. Your children will be the death of me, she says. And then Bo Peep says, oh, mother. And then she says, hey, don't lose your sleep. And then the villain Barnaby shows up at the front steps of their house. And he's got the villain song. I don't know if it's from Peter. Oh, no, wait, he doesn't show up here. My notes are wrong. She's getting her sheep. Oh, no, there's Barnaby with flowers. And first he says, hey, Miss Peep, how about I date your daughter, maybe marry her? Uh, he says, she's charming, little Bo Peep, Miss Bo Peep. And he, he said, can I pay my respects? And she says, uh, she's tending her sheep. She ain't home. Hit the road, Barnaby. And he's kind of like the crooked man. Like, he takes his hat off. He's got flowers. And this this is really, really good dialogue. I'll probably say it to He offers flowers. He says, a fragrant token of my deep devotion. She says, good. She's very polite to him. A fragrant token of my deep devotions. And she says, thank you. She's polite but cold, uh, trying to maintain her boundaries. And she says, well, I got to get to work. You know, I'm dealing with the sheep. And he says, nay. He goes, I've gazed out with wonder on you. 
and uh, he's, he's kind of being a sleazeball. And he said, in short, I'm asking you to become my wife. She takes a breath, a deep breath, and she says, I'm sorry, Mr. Barnaby. You know, I hope you don't take this as ungrateful. And he says, well, I'm rich, by the way. Did, did you know I'm rich? And he, he tries to do the old uh, building rapport by touching her arm. And then he says, you know, there, he goes, he goes, I'm going to win my wife. And she goes, I wouldn't marry you if you were honest, which you never were. If you were about to pass away tomorrow, which is too much to hope for, and something else too. And he says, well, you're going to be singing a different tune. And then the sheep uh, bee, bee bleats, and he goes, bah. And he like almost like bah humbug and storms off. And Bo Peep looks a little, uh, and then she can't find her. She's fleecy or curly. She calls for a sheep. And then Barnaby goes back to the house, and he says, you're late on your mortgage. You know, that's his other means uh, to her mom. And he says, you better get on, on top of it. I'll be back. You know, uh, you know, I'm manipulating the uh, your socioeconomic conditions. Then the siren at the toy factory blows. Two whistles in the mouth of a a big face, and uh, which is really cool. I'd like to, like steam whistles. Uh, we see it's almost 8 o'clock, and Mother Goose, or who, old woman shoe, my mother, uh, she calls up to the boys to, for work, and then we see uh, Ollie first. Ollie comes down. He says, good morning, Mother Peep. She says, good morning, Ollie. He's got, like, a lot of patches so he's on his clothes, so we see, okay. And then we hear a crash, and we get our first dose of comedy because Stanny's falling out a window off screen and has to knock on the front door. And he comes in. We see he's also got patches, and he says, uh, How'd you get down here? He goes, oh, went out the window, by the way. He says, hey, Mom, what's up? I think it's never established that they're her kids. And then he, he goes, Stan goes back upstairs. This is like this kind of uh, this repetitive thing he's got, which is amazing. This is another reason just to watch the movie is these uh, these peewees. But then also Ali sees Mother is sad. And she says, well, Barnaby's, you know, trying to foreclose. And he says, well, she's, I got some savings upstairs. Stan, go get my my money jar. He goes, I'll uh, pay off the mortgage this month. So I don't know if they're actually her children or they're like they bore, you know, they they live there. But this is like, uh, I always thought Ali was mean-spirited, but he he's grouchy, but he's very generous. So he says, I'll pay for it. Don't worry. Uh which maybe why I don't I don't know like uh, I guess I always kind of thought of him as having a little bit more but I guess that's uh, Shemp or not Shemp uh, Mo, but then Stan comes back down and and this is a funny part uh, that I won't reveal but he brings the money box down well I will reveal it he says uh, and it's empty of course and he says uh, I owe you dollar forty two I think let me see what it says. But there's humor, dollar forty eight. I was close, Stanny Dumb, D U M. And he says, Yeah, I borrowed it. He says, I know you borrowed it. Uh, what'd you borrow for now that we don't have anywhere to live? He said, Well, I need some more peewees, which are these things. I've never seen this toy before. But it's like you hit it with a stick and it's kind of like a boomerang. Uh, it's amazing. Just in, in some of the way it's used in the movies, worth watching. 
And on the rewatches, you know, they're, they're probably using some camera tricks, but also you see that Stan is actually hitting these things. Like you hit it and it flies up and then you hit it again like a baseball. But Stan, then we get some more comedy because Ollie says, hey, I'm going to go I'll borrow the money at work. You know, I'll ask the toy maker. You know, we work at the toy shop. I'll, you know, we're, and you get some good, real good to jokes in there. And and then that's like the audible jokes are topped out with more physical humor. And then they get out front and then we get a little comeuppance because he says, what's this peewee business you've been spending all your money on? And man, just watching these two physically, it's really, really great. Uh, and so Stan puts it down. And this is really impressive. Like, wow, I don't know how they would have. Oh, maybe it was on a string, maybe. I mean, when it's doing the boomerang, it's clear it's on a string. But uh, good physical comedy. It's also like uh, just watching their stuff going on in the background I just saw. So uh, whatever that's called where, uh, you know, there's visceral stuff or whatever. And then Ali says, well, whatever you can do, I can do better. Uh, so, and Stan's like, yeah, good luck. You got to hit this thing on the ground, bounce it up and hit it. It's not going to happen. And then there's so much in here. I can't even reveal the different funny things and just watching. And if you've got a kid, if if you have a nine-year-old daughter, there's really a lot of giggles. So it's another level of visceral enjoyment, laughing with your child while watching and it pretty much stood up. I mean, she mostly, I think she did pay attention through the whole thing. We took a break in the middle. And Ollie can't do it, which kids like when the know-it-all tries to do something and it humiliates themselves. And non-publicly, it's just the two of them. And he gets really mad uh, that he doesn't have the same physical skills as Stan. And then Stan says, well, let me show you how it's done. And uh, then he, uh, he accidentally knocks Barnaby's hat off. Uh, let's see, peewee business, physical humor galore, knocks off Barnaby's hat. Barnaby comes, he comes after them. This is when he goes into the camera. He catch, catches him at the toy factory, breaks the peewee stick. Uh, he blames Ollie instead of Stan. He removes half of Stan's, uh, Ollie's mustache, which is uh, uh, terribly rude. And then they're late for work because uh, they've had so much, you know, they've been trying to help and then they were playing around. And another funny thing, and this is stuff I do all the time, when, you, when you're late and you try to sneak in all smooth and then they knock like a bunch of stuff onto uh, a drum of all things. So then the boss yells at them, says you're late again. And they work in Santa's toy shop. Uh, probably like Santa's like subletting these because this couldn't be, this is a smaller operation, I guess. But this is Toyland. But maybe there's multiple Toylands. In their job, they're painting uh, a bunny. One of them is painting a wooden bunny. Another one is painting a wooden horse head. Like for one of those horses you would ride around and pretend, I think. And then they they have a little dialogue exchange where Stan's pressuring Ollie to ask for the money. But, you know, the boss is in a bad mood, so Ollie tries to use, the, like, the old opposite rule on Stan and say, well, he likes you better than me anyway, so Stan then it backfires. Uh, what does this mean? Toymaker has a gate home to shut them up. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh... uh 
His toy maker has a gay tome to shut them up. Uh, but you, Stan goes to, Ollie goes to ask after Stan entraps him. And then he says, no, 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 no. Get back to work. And then Stan gets so nervous. Like, while Ollie's asking, he's playing with a toy train, which he drops when the toy maker gets mad, which knocks paint off and spills on the toy maker. And then, of course, the toy maker's wicked annoyed. Uh, then we see Bo Peep who can't find her sheep anywhere and she's looking and looking and then she's kind of sad and defeated. And then we see Tom Tom, he's singing, oh, no, just some singing dude at first comes and, and is it Tom Tom? I don't know. In these notes, it's not clear. And they ask Jack and Jill and then they ask Red Riding Hood and the more I watched it, the more I like appreciated this song and how it really grows. Because uh, Bo Peep's looking for a sheep, and the the, the uh, chorus of the song go, goes, "Don't cry, Bo Peep, don't cry." And then this community comes together to help her look for the sheep. Slowly, characters and characters uh, come together. They seek low and high. Uh, Mother Goose, Miss Moffat, never mind Bo Peep. That's another chorus part. Uh, really, really great music. I guess I got to look and see if I can listen to it online by itself. Uh, but you know when the musicals and the chorus is hitting hitting it together, it's really good. The whole town at some point comes together. Even the mime clowns are participating. And then they have this thing where the soldiers are going, ba, ba, ba. And everyone's calling for the sheep, and uh, like the the they go they walk to the pond at the center of the town, and the voices are going back and forth. Uh, excellent, excellent musical stuff. And then there's uh, a little comedy, like because it's like this thing, this ongoing issue she has with how long it takes her to find her sheep. Uh, and then what happens is then what's his name? Tom Tom. He makes he he, he says. Uh, he says, well, geez, you know, uh, you need some help finding your sheep. It'd have to be like uh, uh, the most unusual, resourceful, energetic, uh, uh, have a way with any mouth of practices. Uh, but it's really cute, actually, because uh, he's trying to, to kind of seduce her. And she's playing off like, nope, not interested. And he's like, not even a little bit. And it was really fun with my daughter, too, the second time, like, because uh, they're crossing their arms and looking away. And you know what's going to happen. And uh, they ba- they look back, and then they kiss. And then it actually was really, I thought, I thought at least it was, uh, I think he says something to her. I'll have to find my second notes or wait till. But then they kind of like, uh, I mean, I think there's an intonation, even though it's public and in the center of the square. He says something somewhat alluring, and she says, yeah, it sounds good. And then we see just her toes kind of rubbing together, you know, like her toes are curling of the toes. And I don't even know if in the 1930s, you know, just, uh, I mean, I guess a big kiss can can curl your toes. Oh, and I watching them walk through the town now again, singing Mother Goose is right with them. Uh, but then it, like, uh, they pull by the camera, she sighs and they hug after, you know, like a post-coital thing. And then the sheep are there and like the camera pulls back and the whole town's there watching them. 
and uh, everyone's laughing, and uh, she kind of shames the sheep. She says, she's, what are you doing? And then Tom Tom says, hey, this is the future Miss Piper, by the way. We're going to get married. And then there's this big party because uh, everyone's celebrating. The Three Pigs band's playing, and the cat and the fiddle are playing. And even the cat shakes the mouse's hand. This is at 36, this is tw- oh, 26 minutes. This this is the WTF moment for me. 20, if you only watch anything on this, it's at 26 minutes. Because uh, I still don't know how to make any sense of this, even as a child and as an adult. Uh, and I, I think it's probably unfortunate. I said, geez, did they stuff some sort of uh, primate into a mouse suit? Uh, but, but if you like, seriously, this is like a, there's like a couple of gifable moments or jiffable moments in this. And this is one of them. So do yourself a favor because you can get it on YouTube. 26 minutes into this one, uh, the cat's playing, the mouse is clapping and then the mouse just starts rolling around on like laying around and rolling around on the ground. And uh, it just doesn't mean it just it's just mind boggling. And it's kind of funny and strange. I mean, because they could have cut it out of the movie, obviously. So I didn't, like I still didn't know if it was a special effect or as a trained animal. Uh, but it's just, it's just awesome. I mean, it's just awesomely strange. Even my daughter, this was the second time she saw it, but it's been a few years. She was like, "Kay, what's what's happening? And this is in front of the Toyland Inc. company. And then the mouse, like, does what mouse and cats do, like, just like Tom and Jerry, throws a brick at the cat. Uh, then Santa comes. Santa's, this is when you get your ho- a little dose of holiday. And Santa's mobbed by the kids. And he, he, Santa says, well, I got to see the toy maker. Then we see the cat is chasing the mouse on the roof uh, as Santa goes into a, a toy workshop. Okay, I'm watching the cat and the thing. I still don't know what's happening. I mean, the cat is definitely human. And the cat's really jamming on the fiddle. Uh, But I don't know what is happening with the mouse. And uh, it's like the mouse goes into fugue state in some strange way. Okay, but then we have Santa at the shop, the the toy makers, you know, and he says, I'm here checking on these toy soldiers. I want to see the ones I ordered. Is everything on schedule? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Ollie and Stan show Santa the wooden soldiers. And then we have the great music, the March of the Wooden Soldiers music, as Stan and Ollie bring, or Ollie brings out a life-size, uh, like, toy soldier, like, six, seven feet tall. And Santa says, geez, I ordered 600 soldiers at one foot, not 100 soldiers at six foot. And Toymaker's like, who took that order? And Stan's kind of like, ooh. uh." Which brought up the issue of, like, how does Santa call in orders? You know, like, uh, is he calling there? And saying, ho, 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 I need a, which would be hard. I mean, you're on the phone with Santa. That's going to be stressful. Um, But, yeah, like, uh. Yeah, that's, uh, let's see, that's like, uh, let's see, so they get fined or Anston, oh, they get fired. Man, my handwriting really went off the rails here. Santa, oh, like the soldier even knocks into Santa, and Santa falls into a drum and laughs. Then they get fired, 
a disaster. I think maybe that's another, this is another mess, fine mess you've gotten me into. He doesn't say that, but, uh, he says, uh, this is another disaster or mess. Oh, this is another mess you've gotten us into. He does say that. And the soldiers on the loose, which is foreshadowing alert. If you're taking notes, oh, then Santa laughs and falls in a drum. Oh no, Santa's laughing the whole time, I guess. Is the toy shop's totally destroyed by the soldier, and then the boss. This is a good one. He calls them blithering idiots, uh, which was great. And then Stan goes, uh, "Ali, aren't you going to ask him for the money?" And he goes, "Oh boy." And then. Uh, you know, then we have Bo Peep at her mom's house. She says, good news, mom. I'm marrying Tom Tom. My may nothing uh, happen to mar your happiness, I think she says to them. And then dun, 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 Barnaby shows up to ruin the day. And the mom's pretty confident, though, because she's like, he's like, hey, I'm here for the mortgage money. She goes, oh, the guys are just getting off work anyway. So she's expecting Ollie and Stan to save the day, and they roll in, and she goes, well, I got the money, haven't we, boys? And then uh, Ollie made a mistake. He says, uh, oh, Stan says, Ollie made a mistake. He said, him and the toy maker are just like that. Uh, uh, Ollie tries to pick Barnaby's pocket, but there's a trap in there. He says, big bait catches big rat. Uh, And he says, uh, like... uh, Oh, Ollie and Stan uh, also say, we'll get that old buzzard after Barnaby leaves. And then, like, Barnaby's listening while they're talking trash about him. So then Barnaby uh, kind of, uh, uh, I guess clunk, that's not a bad word, but, like clunks a Stan. And this is Jiffa Giffable moment number two, 33 minutes, right around 33 doubles, 33.30. This one I watched, I could watch it a thousand times. This is so good. It is such comedy gold. And I don't know if this was a happy accident, how many times they shot this scene. Uh, but this is 33 minutes into this movie, 3330. Uh, like, so Stan's been hit on the head and Barnaby leaves and Stan wakes up and then his Stan says, uh, open, you know, they're talking about they've been defeated by the villain. Stan says, open up that window. And he picks up a rolling pin, and then he kind of does the thing he was doing with the peewees with, uh, I don't know what it is. Let me get, let me forward it here. Uh, but Barnaby's walking away down their thing. Yeah, so he grabs, uh, oh, a spoon, a big spoon, and then uh, like a rolling pin, and he whacks it out the window, and it, it, it clips Barnaby, but Barnaby falls like so perfectly. I mean, you want to talk about, I don't even know what pratfall means, but uh, one of the greatest pratfalls I've ever seen, like, just takes this uh, great comedy dive because it, like, he totally wasn't expecting it. I mean, I was feeling like a shod and Freud, uh, like for my schadenfreude or whatever you call it. Or, yeah, schadenfreude city. I mean, I was laughing at it. Then Stan does this famous move where he itches his head with his whole hand. Uh, which is always funny, scratches his head. Then the scene cuts, and then we have this sneaky sound at the warehouse, and Stan is in disguise, and he brings this big present, which has Ollie in it, and he says, uh, take me to Barney's house, uh, Barnaby's house. It's like this big Christmas present. 
And this was just funny because it was ridiculous. Like, Stan rings the bell at the house, and Barnaby says, who is it? He's got, like, a candle and a stocking cap, and he says, oh, Stan says, me, Stan, I got a Christmas present for you. And Barnaby says, I'll be right down. And he says, yeah, bring it on. He goes, well, this is nice of you. And he says, yeah, we want to apologize. Uh, but then there's a reveal, which you should just watch for yourself, uh, which gets Stan and Ollie busted because, uh, uh, like, for burglary, they, they get sentenced to dunking in exile. And Stan, Ollie says, good night, Ollie, because that's how Stan... When Stan was leaving, the whole idea was that Ollie was going to steal the mortgage. He was hidden inside the box. Once Barnaby went to bed, it said, "Do not, it's July. Do not open the present till July, Christmas. So he would sneak out of the box, get the mortgage, and then Barnaby would know until the holidays, you know, how they got them, you know, or maybe, I don't know. Uh, but they get busted. There's a old King Cole is, I guess, I think that's who was in charge of this village. Uh, what are we waiting for? Says the king, uh, king with the pipe. And then, so they're going to dunk Stan and Ollie in the lake or the little town pond. And, uh, so Ollie goes first. He says, Hey, Stan, hold my watch. I don't want anything to happen to this. And then we have a pretty long sequence of Stan, of Ollie getting dunked and like just physical comedy, which is really good with Stan's reactions. Uh, it's pretty over the top and then, but in a good way, especially for kids too. And then uh, Stan's, then, then, but then uh, Bo Peep's so upset that they would be exiled that she says, do you know what? I'll marry Barnaby if you don't exile my brothers or my you know, friends, uh, she says, I'll become Miss Silas Barnaby. Uh, oh, also, so the, the comedy though at the end is that like, so Stan was holding Ollie's watch and then as Ollie gets out, you know, they say, well, you don't have to get dunked then, uh, Stan. And Stan says, Ollie, have a drink. And Ollie just goes to have a drink. Also, Stan's eating a loaf of bread the whole time, which is strange or more just, just hilarious, I guess. Not strange. Uh, but you know, then like, so, oh, so I guess I'm trying to explain this joke, but Stan, Ollie pushes Stan into the lake because, you know, he's mad that Stan's not going to get dunked and that's when, but Ollie has, uh, Stan's watch. Okay. So then, uh, and then Ollie just raises his hands Then it's wedding day. So it's this wedding day comedy with Stan and Ollie eating and Stan's kind of talking gibberish. I don't know what that means. Uh. And Ollie's going to give Bo Peep away. I don't know if he's the best man or what. And Stan's so upset about it. He says, he says I'm so upset I'm housebroken, which was uh, funny. And he says, you can't turn blood into a stone. And he says, to Mother Goose says, I'm going to go talk to Barnaby. And he goes, well, you can't, you know, it's pouring one ear into another or something. It can't be done. I don't know. It's, you got to watch this movie. She's so good. Uh, the mom goes to plead to, to Barnaby, like, uh, please don't marry my daughter. You know, she's got a shot at happiness and he calls her fool, which isn't, you know, not very nice. Uh, but then it's wedding time. Ollie shows up at the, uh, the, the bride. Tom Tom's watching through a window and, you know, they, they go through the wedding and this time to kiss the bride. 
And then they say, have you forgotten something? And then Barnaby rips up the mortgage, and it's revealed that Stan's the bride. And Ollie laughs, and he says, big bait catches big rat, which was a great you know payoff from the other earlier joke. And, you know, Barnaby says, the king will hear about this. What does that mean, Olio? Uh, but the whole town, they start to celebrate. And everybody's dancing. And Tom-Tom uh, uh, Tom climbs the shoe to kiss uh, his lady. And then Ollie still dresses a bride. Stan still dresses a bride. And Ollie says, goodbye, Stan. And he says, what do you mean goodbye? He goes, well, you married, uh, he goes, you married him. So, you know, you're going to have to, uh, you know, it's good knowing you. It's just so funny. He goes, I don't want to stay with him. I don't love him. It's just really funny and genuine and not an offensive way. Like where you just say, geez, are they going to make some kind of uh, like offensive joke here? They don't. Uh, it's honestly like to stand. He's like, well, I can't marry this man because I don't love him. Uh, it's just hilarious. I, I don't know. Like in the, just the physical comedy, uh, don't have to worry. What does that say? I think that's Tom, Tom to, cause he tells her, Oh, he says, we're going to run away to some place, a castle in Spain. He sings a, a song on the side of a hill by some G city. My daughter said, well, the, now Barnaby will know where they live. Uh, he plays like shoelace guitar, which was cute. Oh, side of the hill by Granada. And you know, Barnaby's mad. He's muttering into a mirror at his house. He says, so they think they can outsmart Barnaby. Oh, there's got to be something, got to be something. And then he actually, his, his uh, house worker hits him in the face with a mop and then yells at the guy. And he says something about pigs. And he says, oh, wait a second, pigs. And he decides to frame Tom Tom for pig napping. And this was part as a kid I didn't really like, but he goes and the goes to the pigs and the, I don't know if the pigs have short memories because he's really like the pigs don't like him, and they try to hide. He can't get into the brick or the wooden house, so but he blows away the straw house, and he plants evidence at Tom Tom's house, and the, but then the pigs forget because they're just sad and they're crying with a reef in front of their brother's house, and then we just see a proclamation: Tom Tom guilty of. Uh, you know, pig napping, and he's going to, like, be, uh, like, King Cole signs that it is King Cole, um, that he's, he's, he's exiled. And then Stan and Ollie are sitting in front of the police station. They're sad. They're talking. The cat's listening in, and they're talking about, uh, you know, stuff that were archetype. Like, this is a lot of archetype stuff. Like, they're like, you know, about exile. I don't want to get too deep into it. You know, it's a silly podcast, but, and the cat's listening in. And then the scat and Stan, or Ollie, kind of play on Stan's fears. And someone even says, Tom, Tom, how could you? I think the king says that. And he says, I didn't do nothing. And he goes, well, what about the evidence? I don't know. Some day, since this was predating its time, like DNA, this, this is all planted. And then we, this strange thing happens. The police station, one of the cops goes out and kind of shakes his behind, like uh, like shakes his tail feather. Then he leaves the evidence with Stan and Ollie, and Ollie's like kind of like asleep, and Stan's kind of eating the sausages, which were planted as proof. And Stan's like a sausage, like both these two are sausage experts, I guess, because Stan knows, he goes, this isn't pig, it's pork. 
And, uh, but Ali tastes it. He goes, yeah, it's, you're right. It's beef. And then he says, I smell a rat. What does this say? Barnaby, lots of quiet jokes. Uh, but Bo Peep's begging for Tom Tom's release. Oh, I think just, uh, Barnaby's, you know, saying bad stuff about Tom Tom. And then Tom Tom's escorted out. They get on a mossy raft and they go into the swamp and, uh, uh, you, you see different creatures that live in swamps, nothing, you know, nothing like, you know, like, uh, nice ones, like cuddle bears and stuff. And then, Bar- oh, then Barnaby talks trash about, uh, Tom, Tom, then Ollie and Stan come with Elmer. He was, they say he was in Barnaby's cellar and then the uh, city, uh, you know, everybody tries to mob Barnaby and then the king says, I'll give you 50,000 Yeti or something to whoever catches him. Uh, Bo Peep heads out to the exile to save Tom Tom. Uh, Stan and Ollie uh, go after Barnaby. And then the, Barnaby goes down a well. Secret pass. Oh, he has a secret passage in the well, though, but Stan and Ollie don't know that. So they wait him out at the top of the well. Uh, then Tom Tom and Bo Peep find one another. And they try to find their way out there in these kind of stalactite and stalagmite caves. And they start singing to one another. I think I saw a cypress tree. And then he sings like a lullaby, go to sleep, Bo Peep. And she falls asleep. And then, like, uh, this really weird sequence happens that uh, still doesn't make any sense. But these transparent... uh, like, like, uh, I didn't know if they were like supposed to be like, like, what is that movie? Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. I don't know what it was like or gnome, like garden gnomes uh, or something. And then there's like a wizard. I don't know if it was the sand man, like it throws like sand over them, magic dust and Tom Tom falls asleep. Uh, but it just didn't, I don't know. I was like, what does this all mean? And then the wizard just, they all run off. And I was like, WTF, double question mark. Uh, then Stan, we go to the well, and Stan and Allie are asleep at the well. And they're like, did he come up? And they're like, no, 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 no. And then so Allie says, well, I'll just take him, take him out in the well, put him to the big farm. So he throws a giant thing down the well. And then they go down, and there's no Barnaby. And then we see Barnaby, like, uh, defines the sleeping Bo Peep and Tom Tom. It says, hey, Bo Peep, come with me. And then kind of him and Tom Tom have it out in a, like a little action sequence. Uh, Tom Tom lands this like glass jaw move, which was pretty good on Barnaby. But Barnaby's got a cane and then uh, Barnaby falls on a web covered in dust. And then Barnaby's so mad that uh, like he starts banging on stalactites with his cane or it's like, yes, yeah, it wouldn't stick. And then uh, all these Care Bears come, but they're not, the, they're like the Care Bears. Like, I remember there was one Care Bear, maybe it was a Care Bear movie. What are Care Bears? Good question. Caring Bears, but these are bears that no longer care. I guess these are like the apathetic ones. The bears that used to care, I guess. Care Bears were big, like when my sister was little. Like, they were bears they cared for you, whether you, you know, if you needed like a smile or whatever, they, they were there to care for those because they lived in the forest of feelings. These apathetic bears, they don't care. The bears, they, they, and they might be careless. There might be some of them that are careless, too. 
Uh, but Barnaby raises his club and says, let's, let's, let's not care. Let's be careless and not care. And leads them off. And then Stan and Ollie go through the passage into the caves in pursuit of Barnaby. And then you get kind of a classic chase sequence where you're running around corners, like, uh, and people are crossing paths and there's all these different passages and, uh, everyone meets up. Stan and Ollie run into, uh, Tom Tom and little Bo Peep. And then they hide and then they sneak back through the well and then they've escaped. And then everyone's in their pajamas when they get there, the whole town. Oh, maybe it's, it looks like children. I'm looking at the gnome sequence now. And, oh, but the wizard was flying. But the lizard, wizard does have a stocking cap on. So I guess it's like me. That's the, it doesn't make sense why the sequence is there even now. Uh, but everyone's in the PJs and they're so happy that they're returned. Lots of nightgowns. Everyone's in a nightgown. But Barnaby and the bears that no longer care. They Barnaby grabs this torch and they all have their torches and they say, we're going to go to the city and we're going to be careless in this city of caring. You know, we're going to counter the care with care. We don't we don't care and we're careless. Uh, so we'll see how you all fare, you know, without our care or something like that. I don't I can't, you know. Uh, oh, but before they get there, Allie's bragging, like, oh, boy, did we do these Care Bears in. We showed them how to care. They were careless. We tied their shoes. They didn't care. We taught them about the issues, you know. Uh, they were apathetic, and we appealed, you know, we appealed beyond uh, thought and, and, and to their feelings, you know, to the stuff inside. And he goes, we're heroes, kind of. And then they arrive, and Stan and Ollie run as everyone tries to run and hide. And this is kind of the pinnacle of the movie, uh, because all the careless bears, they come with Barnaby. They're up to no good. Stan and Ollie run into the toy shop, and the careless and the bears that don't care, they don't care. Uh, But you get a lot of good physical comedy. Stan Stan and Ollie grab some darts, and Stan does the thing with the darts with a stick. And he's doing so many, you can see it's kind of a camera trip, but he's still hitting the darts. And then the mouse uh, steals a Zeppelin with, uh, like, these, uh, like, extra-strength torpedoes. And then they start just taking, they they just start in, injecting caring into the, they start tying shoes, I guess, for the care bear, careless care bears or the bears that formerly cared or whatever. And there's a lot of special effects, like the mouse flying the Zeppelin is a cool special effect. And the mouse saves the cat who's stuck on a windmill. And Stan is like total money with this hitting the uh, the, the darts of caring. That's an injection of, I don't know if it was, whichever the empathy hormone is. And this, this is, I mean, it's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of visuals in the sequence, uh, uh, mouse at some point uh, Stan accidentally pops the zeppelin and the mouse has a parachute. Uh, mother's mother goose's shoe or whoever the old woman's shoe is under siege. We see some pig teamwork, uh, and then Stan gets the idea for the wooden soldiers. He said, "We've got all these wooden soldiers back here," and then we get to one sequence that doesn't quite fit, but it makes sense. They have this stop motion sequence with all the the kind of special effects and a split screen, which is kind of advanced. Like there's spot stop motion 
uh, going by live action. And the wooden soldiers come to town and they take, they take, they say, if you can't care. And I guess this isn't, you know, this isn't about right or wrong. This is just this movie. They say, we'll escort you out of town. I think it was more about the carelessness, though, than the not caring, I think. Because they said, well, yeah, because there's kids here. Your carelessness is, you know, danger to the kids. So they say they escort all the careless bears out of town. Uh, also, I'm looking now, the mouse, and even the mouse has pajamas, which is funny. Um, and the great music is playing. Uh, and then they chase everybody out of town. And then there's one last comedy scene because they have a cannon full of darts of... Uh, the empathy, uh, what did I say that was a hormone? And they say, let's give him one parting shot. Uh, and actually, the parting shot ends up stands in charge of it. So it, of course, gets Ollie. And Ollie has so much empathy now that he can't, he can't even be grouchy at Stan, which was, you know, wonderful. And then it says, and they lived happily ever after. And it's, I think that's the end. And I guess the movie clocks in, it looks like, at around 117, 118. And uh, I've been talking for like an hour, it looks like. Uh, but yeah, I'm just going to watch the end. Is, uh, uh, it's just like a lot of everyone's laughing. And it says, yeah, and they lived happily ever after the end. It shows Mother Goose flying on a goose uh, over something. And then it says the date. Let me see. I just rewind. Like, uh Oh, 1991. That was when this version came out. Oh, that was the color version, which this was not the color version. But anyway, um, and that's uh, March of Wooden Soldiers. Uh, Laurel and Hardy's and March of Wooden Soldiers. Good night. Uh, hey, everybody. This is uh, your buddy Scoots, and we got a little time for, you know, it's, it's, it's the holiday season here. Uh, actually, I mean, I'm just in, when I'm recording this, it's Christmas creep season. It's or whatever you call it. And it's not Halloween. It's not Thanksgiving, but you know, I'm getting, I'm laying the track here. And, you know, I did some digging and went down to the story swamp and I said, what, ha-, you know, it's important to me. I just almost said a Halloween, but what holiday tales have not been told? You know, that's what I am always in search for. The ones that they say, well, that story doesn't make any sense. Or no, you know nobody that doesn't have a, like a, the right. And they say, well, those are the holiday tales. I mean, do, do you have? A, a, there's no store, and I think if I opened the store, untold holiday tales, they'd say, well, those are untold for a reason. And I'd say, well, no more. You know, if if you know, I live in a world where I defy those kind of rules. Uh, and this is a, this is a treat, you know. You're in for a treat to to sleep. You know, if you if you sleep through this, you're in for a treat because you'll be asleep. But otherwise, uh, this is quite a story. You know, one of those ones that defies all the odds of being told. Uh, but this is a story that that has a place close to my heart, uh, and it's called the Christmas tree that took a walk. And so it is a Chris. It is a holiday. I guess Christmas is it a holiday? It's not a holiday tree. It is a Christmas tree, I believe. Uh, but I think Christmas trees symbolize more than just. Uh, I mean, don't they? What do they symbolize? I'm not sure. Okay, this is a material. I don't know what a Christmas tree symbolizes. I know it's a place to put presents under. Uh, back when I used to go out, you know, and, and hit, hit it, if you know what I mean, it would be something that about four in the morning I would come and contemplate as I wavered being able to stand. 
I would soak in the Christmas tree. And sometimes even I'd sit down and just observe it. It'd be pitch dark and turn the lights of the tree on. It's a place of, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to generate nostalgia. But I mean, I'm not kidding when I say, okay, so it's evergreen. So, so is it a Christian symbol? I guess that's what I'm contemplating. I mean, I went to Catholic school, so all the nuns, luckily, they're, you know, yelling at me from another dimension, so they can't get a hold of me. But, uh, and once again, I'm not doing this to be funny or irritating. It is an honest question. I mean, I would assume it's evergreen, so that might have something to do with it, but we've cut it down. So that kind of defeats the purpose. You know, if a tree could t- I'd say, well, why the heck did you make me evergreen if you're going to... But I don't, you know, uh, I don't want to get into the... the I don't want to speak for the trees, because that's what this kind of story does. Uh, but the, like, uh, and, and this was a story I just happened to be a witness to, kind of, you know, indirectly. But, you know, when I was a lad, uh, you know, my, my mom, she likes Christmas tree ornaments. I mean, hey, Mom, uh, hopefully you're asleep. But, I mean, in a good way. And that makes it easy for my mom to shop to when, you know, I can step outside of my own anxieties and worries and think, geez, what would my mom like for a Christmas present, a holiday present? It's normally would be a person, you know, a personalized or, you know, now that I have a daughter, somehow a Christmas tree ornament involving some of that. You know, it maybe even also be treated with uh, dignity and respect by my son. I think we've gotten to that point, right, Mom? Now we're, we're there. We've made it a visit. I, okay, I can hear you. Now you're in my brain. That's probably, but yeah, okay, I got it. I'll, I'll come visit soon. Uh, but so the Christmas tree, uh, like you got lights. I don't like um, I don't know. I probably shouldn't speculate on this. What the symbolism? Like are druids involved? Were, were like druids the original Christmas tree? Like isn't that where it all comes from, or is that just my uh, thing? That my misinterpretation of the facts. Uh, but this tonight's tale takes place at Christmas just like any other, uh, which is to say, like just like any other imaginary Christmas, but this one uh, took place in, in the city. It was so nice, uh, you can give it a short nickname, the Cuse. It took place in Syracuse, New York, 315 uh, area code, just in case you need to like dial information and you know, say, uh, is this story true? And they say, I'm sorry, this is information. And you might even say, put me on the phone with, uh, you know, the the Christmas tree. I think one of my cousins had thought about opening a Christmas tree farm. I don't know if he was kidding or not, or maybe he has one. This is unrelated to that, though. But, yeah, this is the t- tale of the Christmas tree that took a walk. And it starts, <laughs> I guess I already tried to start it, and then I like, uh, but, you know, I don't want to start with the, the stuff like the, it one, once originally this tree was growing. And just like humans, trees, especially trees at Christmas tree farms, in order to survive, you know, you need to use some cognitive dissonance. And, you know, as humans, we were pretty good. At, I mean, well, I, don't, I can't speak for anybody else. I'm great at it. Holy cow. If they're. If you could, I guess you can. There are certain careers that are based on cognitive dissonance. I guess like a, telling a sleep podcast, 
I guess that's the definition of cognitive dissonance and some resonance. I guess I'm trying to go for a little cognitive resonance or maybe cognitive, you know, anyway, enough, enough. Uh, but just like humans, just Christmas trees and Christmas tree farms practice, uh, and a lot of it's like subconscious or subtextual or just, uh, you know, we got to adjust, you know, and sometimes we maladjust and sometimes we can do yeah. Well, you know, Chris, like, I guess like the way, just like human beings, I think a lot of our cognitive dissonance, we can learn from these trees. The trees know they're going to be cut down when they get to a certain size. And so they create like different mythologies. Now I'm not partial, like I'm not partial to all the mythologies. And these are a little bit different than belief systems or religions or anything. This is just like the things that trees, as little trees, start to yearn and hope for. And I think I'm telling you all this not to explain, you know, the you know the belief system of trees. That'll be out in Gingerbread Press for the holiday season 2028, the belief system of trees. And that is a pending title because it could use some tweaking. But it's to say that when trees, when the trees, when the holiday time comes and it's time, the trees have adjusted. So they're like, it is not like in the movies uh, that have never been made about trees and how, what it's like to be going from a tree just in a Christmas tree farm or a forest. Uh, you know, now, now if you take a wild tree, that's a whole different story. But these are trees that, uh, they're prepared for their fate and they've like, uh, you know, they've created a system of, uh, you know, anticipation so that when it time comes time to get cut down, we'll just, let's just put it out there. Uh, for the majority of trees, it is not pain, like it's not painful or traumatic. It's, it's a time for celebration. Uh, you know, like it, at least initially, because that's the only thing, the downside of cognitive dissonance is it's not a, you know, you kind of, kind of got to re-up or rejuice it. And there was this particular tree named Daryl. That was the tree. This is uh, the spoiler. That's the tree that took a walk. The Christmas tree that took a walk was named Daryl. And Daryl, like a lot of the other trees, had something going. It said, I can't wait to get to, get to Christmas, the Christmas that I get chosen, you know, and that it's a big deal. And Daryl came. Now, Daryl was on a tree farm where it wasn't cut your own. Uh, so, you know, Daryl got cut and all the other trees got put in a truck and they were chit-chit-chattering, chitter-chattering, oh boy, truck into the big city. And it was, it was a beautiful time. Like, uh, it was dusk and the snow was falling and Daryl couldn't believe, Daryl's like, this is the year I finally got a, a chosen and here I go. And, uh, like, uh, I don't know what the trees told themselves. They could have known about Christmas. I don't know how that would have got back to the Christmas tree farm, though, unless they speak human languages. But, uh, you know, so maybe they thought they were going somewhere else, like Aruba or something, or wherever a tree would want to go. I don't know. I guess that would be hard because trees don't reproduce like human, you know, so it's not going for someplace where it could practice re reproductive acts. So it's not that... Um, so I don't know what would, again, I, sh I guess I should have found out, but it would probably be boring. It'd be like, uh, you know, I think maybe love and connection. I don't know. This is just speculation. Let's just say that because that's easy for us to relate to, uh, that Daryl finally said, whoa, I'm chosen. 
And then if I, I guess this makes sense, a little bit like the old, I guess this is a little tropey, but true, you know, like a pet in a pet, pet, pet store, pound puppy. Like when a pound puppy, not the store-bought ones, but actual, like says, you're the one for me, pound puppy. Uh, Daryl was waiting, and Daryl then Daryl arrived in this Christmas tree lot. And this was a good one. It had candy cane colored Christmas, you know, like they took the time to paint the wood that was holding the trees up. And they had music and they had lights and, uh, you know, they had the different types of trees, which I'm not familiar. You know, you got your, like, the, I guess there's two. Is, there, is Blue Spruce one of the Christmas trees that you buy or not? I ask that every year. Uh, but, old, you know, Daryl couldn't believe Daryl's like, and Daryl was in, like, in that perfect range, like the six to seven footers or whatever. I don't know. Is that the perfect range for a tree? And Daryl had great, you know, even when Daryl was plucked, they said, wow, look at this, like, uh, look at the balance of these branches on this tree. You know, Daryl's uh, thistles or whatever they're called tree, quivered with delight. And then a family came, a family with uh, six kids. They came to the lot, uh, a father, a mother, an old, oldest boy named Andy, who was a giant, you know. And the kids ran through the lot and started hiding from their parents and one another, arguing. You know, and then they got to Daryl. Finally, the parents were able to find most of the children. Uh, little Sheila, they they find little Sheila they couldn't find, but she was at she was getting hot cocoa from somebody. But they, they, they the boys, you know, led by little Andy, said, "Well, we need a bigger tree than this. This 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 tree." You know, they were at the sixth, and they said, "No, no, no." Our ceiling scanner, you know, what are you talking about? I said, yeah, just like we needed a giant tree, giant tree, uh, more room for presence. And then the parents said, you know, no, no, this is the height of the tree. We need six to seven feet or whatever it is. I don't know. And Daryl couldn't, you know, Daryl, like, uh, we've all had that feeling in our, somewhere on the, like, a diaphragm of our stomach where you're just, you're trembling, you're shooting with delighted, delighted anticipatory joy uh, that this is going to be, this is it, uh, like, uh, like, this is it. And then the family said that we'll take this tree right here. And the year was like 1980-something, and uh, Daryl was, you know, plucked up, and uh, I don't know what a Christmas tree could cost back then, let's say $40, and they gave the person 50 And then Daryl was tied to the top of a station wagon with a fake wood side. I think it's a Chevy station wagon, if I could picture it, maybe a Chevy Caprice uh, station wagon. And all the, the noise was going, but it was also school night, so they had to get home. And then the kids, led by Andy, decided to, to try to, because Sheila had gotten a hot cocoa, because she had ran into her friend Vanessa and her family, and they bought her cocoa. And Andy was incredibly jealous, so then the Andy tried, tried to talk his parents into stopping at the BK. Or in Mickey D's to get hot cocoa. And Andy was all the way in the way back. Poor little Ted was in the middle of the front seats. 
Uh, I don't know who was stuck next to Andy, but I, you know, whoever, maybe little Ted was stuck next to Andy and little Kenneth, baby Kenneth was in front. Uh, but it does, doesn't matter. Cause then Andy started saying, uh, you know, he tried to figure out a chant and then he said, you know, Andy, Andy, Andy was always a little bit, uh, so he started saying R-H-O-A and then clapping. And then finally his siblings fell in with him. And then Ted said, what does R-H-O-A stand for? And little Andy had seen uh, the the Christmas. I think he he was confused about, he had never had Ovaltine. Uh, he said it stands for rights for hot Ovaltine uh, for Andy and, and all of you. R-H-O-A. And then they said, what's O? And he said, will they have Ovaltine in a Christmas story? I think it's like hot cocoa, so but they just want hot cocoa. And then, you know, the poor parents of these kids, six six kids, so the oldest being Andy. Oh. And it was a school night again, and most of these kids, it's led by Andy, you know, faked brushing their teeth. I don't know why. what, what made Andy stop brushing his teeth, uh, uh, but he did. I don't, still don't know to this day. But somehow, you know, they relented and they stopped for hot cocoa, which took forever because the hot cocoa was so hot at these restaurants, you know. Uh, but, you know, we, there was a brief moment uh, when the kids, before, actually, before the kids, this was the 80s, started throwing the BK, uh, what do you call those, ashtrays at each other, like uh, Frisbee Stars of Doom. And then little Ted did get ashes in his, you know, not cold ones, ice cold ones, you know, and then the hot cocoa got dropped and then uh, it, it, no one got any, it, it just splashed on little Kenneth's uh, powder blue with a rainbow stripe across the chest, uh, like one piece uh, snowmobile suit. Uh, it, it's, you know, hot chocolate kind of stained that uh, snowmobile suit of Ken, little Kenny's. Uh, but meanwhile, while this was going on, a snowstorm had befallen Syracuse, New York. A uh, combination of lake effect and the jet stream, wind chill, but it was a sudden one. Some would say magical storm. And it settled on the city. And, and for these kids, it was really a dream come true because this was like school night one. Uh, and uh, like uh, school was immediately canceled. The only time in history it's happened. Two, they got stuck because there was a snowdrift action in the Burger King. And they were the only customers uh, except for a couple, you know, mall walkers that were, you know, uh, already asleep at our tables, and so uh, you know. That, 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 but that's another story. Now outside at the station wagon, old Daryl. You know, Daryl didn't know how. Like Daryl could sense that Daryl's new family wasn't there, and then Daryl felt the car start to rumble and wondered, "Is this the earthquake?" And then Daryl tried to self-soothe by saying, "R H O A." Uh, R-H-O-A. And Daryl thought, you know, that, uh, like, Daryl wondered if this was part of the, like, Daryl didn't know what to think. And luckily Daryl didn't get cold, but if Daryl could, it would. 
And soon Daryl's binds the wind got so strong that Daryl started shaking, and uh, and soon the the the, the cheap dime store twine that was holding Daryl on the roof was broken. And I think this was Onondaga Boulevard, I believe, was the road, but I'm not sure because even though I lived there, I can't even remember. But uh, Daryl was swept up in a swirling, swirling wind. Uh, up high, and Daryl flew by the BK, flew by Wegmans, and I think it was uh, Faze. A new place called Married to Med, I think it was uh, like a new Mediterranean restaurant they were attempting to make uh, out of the old Ponderosa restaurant, and then it flew by over Lorenzo's and Bryce Chopper. Overburned dairy. Daryl flew into Daryl. You know, Daryl just assumed this was all part of the wonder of being a Christmas tree. Uh, but it was also exciting. And then Daryl was up in the sky seeing the lights of Syracuse. And this is beautiful stuff now. We're talking about a city, twinkling city lights with the holiday lights. And somehow, you know, this is early in the season. Uh, masked by uh, snow flurries and snow blowing. And if you have the distance in the, you know, the, the fact that you're a tree, that you don't see, you don't have a nerve ending. So you say, well, this is great. I'm spinning around in the wind. And Daryl almost thought Daryl could hear the laughters of the kids in Burger King, but they're actually crying from sugar crashes from too much, uh, uh, like uh, hot cocoa that they're finally able to drink because they put tons of that whipped cream on there. You know, the kids would sleep on the floor of that Burger King with their heads on, you know, pillowy sesame seed buns. Uh, but Daryl swept higher and higher above Burn Dairy, watching the yin and the yang type sign of Burn Dairy spin. Up above whatever side, like whatever side, west side, I guess, uh, up against it above Burnett Park, uh, Daryl flew higher and higher and spinning and spinning. Strange, you know, strange because the jet stream was hitting the lake effect where, you know, I think it's because of the temperature of the lake and moisture and stuff uh, deep in the snow belt. Uh, Daryl flew, and then the wind stopped, and Daryl started to descend. And Daryl thought to Daryl's self, okay, this, this can't be right. The, the proof that even holiday trees have uh, common sense, um, that Daryl heard the voice of the person at the lot say, oh, what a, what a span of uh, whatever branches they said. And Daryl uh, inverted Daryl's self, and as the air, you know, the whatever drag, Daryl's descent was slowed and started a slow helicopter-like spin. And Daryl crashed into 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 the part of Burnett Park that uh, no one had been in a long time back like with there's these trails of this old city park with old rock walls that one time had water features that have long since dried up or so they said 
But Daryl hit one of those water features. Now, luckily, with the uh, base of Daryl's tree, and so Daryl was uninjured. But there must have been some magic in that old rock wall in the old water feature, because uh, Daryl actually knocked to some of this this old water feature. Like they said, it was broken, but it was really just malfunctioning. And the water sprayed out just for a split second, obviously, because it was so cold. And then the water started to freeze. Uh, but as they said, there must have been some magic in the, this, this water that Errol ran into. Because uh, the way the water sprayed out, it sprayed across the, the, I guess it's the shaft. It sounds so racy, but it is true. And gave Daryl two legs, and it was magical. And so Daryl, who was already sentient, which you know some people may have a problem with sentient trees, but I don't. I do not. I know of a few. Barky, the tree god, tree beard, like a tree. I don't even know what tree beard. Tree beard's a wise tree. An ant, some would say. And we've got Groot. So there's a history of sentient trees. Daryl was not the first nor the last. Uh, but Daryl, like, uh, was also, once this extra level of sentient came, because Daryl now had legs, Daryl realized uh, that Daryl was cold. And uh, there was an oak that Daryl saw that, that it had a den in it, and, 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 and like, uh, that looked like like carved out in the thing, and Daryl went into the den and went inside the oak and, and stuttled there for waited out the storm. And Daryl slept for a while, you know, slept there in the, the heart of this oak tree. And oak tree, the strangest thing, I don't know if there was a language barrier, but they didn't communicate, but Daryl stayed there and stayed warm. And the sun rose, and Daryl slept. They think also, like, the, it was Daryl's legs adjusted, ice legs, magical ice legs, if you want to be factual about it. And then night fell again, and then Daryl awoke, and Daryl set out, stood up, and stepped out of the tree. And said, she said, I don't even know where I am, but I know... Uh, I'm not supposed to be just sitting around here. I got to go find my family. And uh, they remember they were at a BK, not, really not that far, but for Daryl, all Daryl knew was thousands of millions of miles when really it was like about uh, like five, eh, 2,000 feet maybe. I don't know. I'm not good at distance. But Daryl just happened to set out in the right direction, and Daryl walked to the end of the trail and ran into a street. And then Daryl took a left. And it was, again, another cold, stormy night. Not as stormy as the night before. And it was late at night, midnight, one in the morning. So cold, so cold. But Daryl was rested and determined to find the, the family that Daryl had lost and, you know, save their Christmas, one would say. And then Daryl, like, spotted the uh, sign from the burned dairy, and Daryl's mind started. And then Daryl saw the price chopper sign and said, wait a second. Uh, and I think there was a place called the West Side Inn or something. I don't know. The Westwood Inn, there was that one. And 
Another place, and Daryl said, I think I flew over those things. One smart tree, if you ask me, the sterile. And Daryl put one icy foot in front of another. Now, there was this was not an easy trek, as you might think. Daryl had to make it through snow banks and snow drifts and slush. Uh, just to, to, this is Daryl's first full day with legs. Uh, look, they were magic, so I think they kind of you know, had some self-balancing going on. And then Daryl had to navigate the streets. Now, the streets were more or less empty. The only people on the streets should have been driving, probably. Little Andy might have been in one of those cars. And the cars would do the things, like those of you that seen, this is when, this was thick, thick, heavy lake effect coming down now. And the roads hadn't been plowed uh, since the day before. Uh, you know, they said, let's just wait this one out. Or maybe they had been plowed and I don't know. So cars were were going slow anyway, and they had that slush and heavy snow on them, dropping chunks off. And Daryl headed towards the neon signs of grocery stores and bars and grocery stores and uh, drug stores. And then Daryl saw a sign that Daryl had seen before, before, but it was blocking. Daryl just happened to be in this corner where Daryl didn't have a view of the Burger King because blocking the view of the Burger King was the sign for the two-screen movie theater, Genesee, I think the Genesee Cinemas, maybe. And But Daryl, something in Daryl's mind said, a head towards that sign... In the two movies that were shown, I never even heard of. One was called 90 Day Finance, and the other one was called uh, Bud Black. And uh, I, think that, I think that was an ad for some sort of new Budweiser that they were trying out. Uh, this might have been before Dry, but Daryl headed towards that sign. Or maybe it was a movie. Maybe that was like the Spuds McKenzie movie, but that was a different, but... uh. And as Daryl got close, Daryl, you know, the, the signs of the movie theater, the blinking lights, the spinning lights, uh, the, the you know, the, the smell of popcorn lured Daryl towards a movie theater that wouldn't, you know, those days were numbered just like a Christmas tree's days were numbered, you know, uh, well, maybe not exactly like that. Uh, but Daryl headed towards the theater, trekking through the snow. And somehow the theater, some would say, uh, you know, by some sort of uh, a miracle, it stayed open uh, to show films, you know, despite the nasty weather for people that didn't have cable television. Uh, the theater had stayed open also to host, uh, I mean, because it was in the middle of the night, obviously, to host uh, everybody that had eaten all the stuff at Burger King and then the other places. And actually, the people in the movie theater were begging, especially this one particular family, but other groups would just go, well, can't you just walk to your house during the day? But this was a different time. This was the 80s when people were, uh, I guess they, I guess they were the same as they were today. They'd be, there's more movie theaters. So then the movie theater said, well, we could probably recoup this cost from the city or something. And plus, people way preferred sleeping in a movie theater uh, to... Uh, you know, the floor of Burger King. 
and uh, so so the, there's families there, like uh, storm refugees, I guess you'd call it. But Daryl didn't know any of this. Daryl only knew that something was calling Daryl towards the theater. He didn't know if it was a Bud What's a Bud Black? You know, that's probably what Daryl was thinking. Uh, but right as Daryl like, was about to, uh, to mount the steps up to the theater, uh, Daryl heard the uh, old H thing, and Daryl turned to the right and saw the Burger King drive-through had been, you know, and then outside of the back of Burger King, somebody was giving Daryl the old head tilt, hey, come on in here. And then Daryl headed over, and this uh, person was standing outside the back of this Burger King. They say, hey, what are you, a tree? And Daryl, you know, Daryl doesn't have vocal cords, so Daryl just nodded. And I said, you want to buy some lights cheap? You want to get some lights cheap or what? And Daryl did a shrugging of Daryl's, you know, tree shoulders motion. And, you know, I guess this is possible. Like, the guy said, well, my name's Melvin Gordon. Uh, how you doing? And Daryl, I don't know how Daryl acquired some of these skills, but Daryl reached out a branch to shake Melvin Gordon's hand. And they went into the Burger King, which was now empty. And this particular Burger King had one of these signs, uh, it kind of signs you see a lot of things, a red a, a dotted sign that usually uh, has a crawl that says, hey, this is what the lotto is. Now, at this particular moment in history, this sign was the, the cat's pajamas. I don't know if that's a thing, but of, of electronics, you know, that said, hey, buy a Whopper, get another Whopper, whatever, you know, get double cheese on this thing. F the McDLT, that's what it probably said. And I don't know if this was a spirit of Christmas goodness, but like that was also taking stuff from the Burger King, this Melvin person, but uh, they ripped the sign off of the Burger King, you know, signs. Also put the Burger King crown on Daryl, and this sign just shoved it in the middle of Daryl's trees. And the cord was hanging, and then it just touched Daryl's leg and fused with Daryl's legs, and the magic of Christmas powered up the sign, and the words that crawled across were, thank you. And then Daryl walked out of the store and uh, he started to you know, head back towards the steps up to the movie theater. Uh, but then there, something else has struck Daryl. Daryl's a smart tree. He said, check the parking lot, Daryl, of the Burger King. And uh, Daryl headed back to the front of the Burger King, uh, where not long before they had expanded with a sol- solarium room, which was just like a, like a, whatever you call that, like a, gla- what do you call that place where you grow plants type front on the Burger King? Greenhouse, I think they called that. But Daryl saw that the station wagon was not in uh, the parking lot of the Burger King. But Daryl saw the tracks, and he saw the tracks headed towards the movie theater. And so Daryl followed those tracks. But then Daryl saw the tracks again, went off and went into the streets. And Daryl wondered, should I... 
uh, followed and then Daryl said about my sign. So Daryl climbed up the steps and there was a young man uh, uh, sleeping at the popcorn thing and Daryl tried to, like Daryl was unable to open the door and then finally Daryl was able to bang and wake the kid up and then the kid saw a Christmas tree with a sign, you know, whatever you call that, a light up, a crawl sign. Uh, LED, I think these were the original LEDs uh, back when they you know, were cutting edge. You could, you, you could buy them at Radio Shack, though. Uh, but who knows what the poor owner of this Burger King paid for this sign. But the kid looked at Daryl, and then Daryl said, Have you seen a family with a station wagon? And the kid laughed. And then Daryl said, a family, six kids, one oldest kid, really mean look on his face all the time, bowl cut, and elastic waistband pants, uh, suede shoes with velvet. And then the kid nodded and laughed, and he said, he pointed, they were gone. And so Daryl set off, uh, you know, in pursuit of the family, following their tracks. You know, I'm the case, just like FBI Director Comey, you know, like, you know, track, you know, tracking it all down or maybe not like that, but it, whatever that was on the trend. So, yeah, Daryl uh, said, you know, step after step. And, and this was how smart Daryl was. Daryl quickly learned how to scroll things across Daryl's sign and see the sign would light up the snow and learn to the pattern of the tires of the car, radial snow tires. So Daryl took a right out into Onondaga Boulevard, four-lane road, and took, took a right out of the movie theater parking lot and followed it about 200 feet to a mobile station where the car had gone in and obviously either got gas or tr- probably not, though, probably just tried to get the, some of the slush off the car so that the car could handle Velasco a hill. Uh, it usually is pretty well plowed, and in this case, you know, underneath the uh, the snow w- was some good uh, salt, and this was it, the lake effect had uh, a density and a wetness to it that you could actually get some traction and so after the family had pulled out of the mobile and gone right up Velasco, Daryl started his trek up the hill, one foot in front of its other. Now you might be asking what kind of, I mean, at this point you probably already have it in your mind, but uh, what kind of feet does a Christmas tree have when they're magical Christmas tree feet? And I would say they're a bit like chicken feet, three toes and then one toe in the back, but bigger and denser than chicken feet because it's got to support a tree. But definitely spread out, you know, like so easier for Daryl to kick, a lot like chicken feet. Makes it easy, like with even with toes, like uh, what do you call them, claw, like almost claws. So Daryl trekked up this hill, Velasco Road. Only one car passed it. And it was somebody, you know, that had already seen enough strange things in their life not to stop at a tree trekking up Velasco Road. And then the wind really started to pick up again. Daryl realized that Daryl would have to pick up the pace because the the track of the car was slowly getting filled in. But Daryl got up to the first intersection 
and saw that the car had turned right. And uh, you said, what is the name of that road? I don't know, Onondaga, but not Onondaga Boulevard. Maybe it's called Bellevue, but I'm not positive. I think Bellevue Ave, and uh, Daryl took a right on Bellevue Ave, maybe. I hope that's, I don't know if that's the name of that one. But that's where Daryl turned, maybe, or maybe that was, maybe Bellevue's way up. Uh, anyway, Daryl took the first right and tracked, and, you know, Daryl hadn't walked a lot, so Daryl tried to pick up his pace, but this was a longer road, and, uh, like, at some point, I think it intersected with Glenwood, and that's when the snow got so bad that the, the Daryl lost the path. And then Daryl ended up wandering through the woods. And then Daryl wandered onto a golf course. And, and this is a long part, so I won't, you know, make you endure it. But Daryl wandered for night. You know, this golf course was, you know, it's 18 holes. And then Daryl walked back and forth. And this was a hilly golf course. And Daryl started to lose hope and fell into a, sand trap and cried like a man you know at least mentally cried it curled up against the side of the sand trap to stay warm and then daryl you know the next day the sun woke daryl and daryl said come on daryl let's do this one for christmas and then daryl picked his spirits back up and headed a walk to the top of the golf course uh, to the tree line, top of the hill, and Daryl could see back down to the movie theater and the Burger King and the the other stores. And then Daryl just uh, took a right because he knew that uh, to its left lay Velasco Road. And Daryl had it, and said, Daryl said, well, I'll just go, until, you know, I'm going to go until I go no more. Uh, but Daryl still tracked, you know, even though the sign, and then Daryl heard the, the sounds of children and Daryl said, my ears must be deceiving me, but they weren't because soon Daryl went up a hill and, uh, like, uh, as it crest, as Daryl crested the hill, saw kids sliding down the 18th hole of this golf course. A majestic, majestic hill for sledding with so many different unbelievable options. You know, because I think in golf they have like three different tees, and the one tee is up high, so you, so many options for unbelievably steep hill, great sledding. There were jumps, there were kids laughing, and Daryl saw a patch of orange hair on one boy, and then he saw a boy with it. Despite his hat, he could see the bowl cut and the boy's thin, thin hair and grouchy face. And the kids running around and kids going off jumps and wiping out and arguing and a harried-looking uh, father watching on. And then the father looked and, and made eye contact with Daryl and Daryl uh, sang, said, Hello, I'm your Christmas tree. And the father first fell to one knee in shock. And then called the kids, 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 holy cow, look at it, it's a tree. And the tree said, hello, kids, I'm Daryl, your tree. And everyone started jumping for joy. And uh, like a feigning fact, the kids that were just roughhousing earlier were hugging each other. 
in holding hands and jumping in a circle, giggling, and soon they were circling Daryl. The father was hugging Daryl. Uh, Daryl signed and then introduced the kids, Andy, Sheila, Ted, Carl, Daniel, Kenneth, Ken, you know, Ken and Kate. And then they said, everyone, no one could believe that they had a, like a living, a tree that was once living that had, you know. Uh, but Daryl also told them, you know, my, you know this, is, this is my season. And then they took Daryl in the house. And, you know, just like a lot of Christmas sacrifices, Daryl's legs, you know, were made of ice. So then th- that stopped working. And then, you know, they plugged in Daryl's sign. And for a while, Daryl could communicate. But soon they decorated Daryl. And Daryl couldn't believe, like, uh, like you know, then, then the, you know, the Christmas joys went on for Daryl. You know, there was a train with scented smoke. Uh, there was small, there was even bubble lights at one point and, uh, and, you know, the little blinking lights and the big bulb lights and different, you know, themed Christmas ornaments and kids pretending ornaments were like, you know, throwing them and, you know, breaking them too. But Daryl couldn't believe, uh. That this is what Christmas was for a tree. Now, now to Daryl, this was the normal Christmas for a tree because nothing out of the ordinary had happened. So to Daryl, like the fact that Daryl grew legs and went for a walk and picked up a sign and had to struggle to get to this house, uh, and the kids they would lie under Daryl and laugh hysterically. And then Daryl was there for Christmas, you know, and I don't know if that was the year of the gerbils or not. And then Daryl was able to teach, you know, the kids. I don't know if the kids, you know, the life lesson that trees don't last forever. Well, was Daryl, you know, Daryl's my, you know, is Daryl, you know, the circle of life took Daryl. Daryl would never forget uh, what an unexpected, like, joy. It was so much different than what Daryl had anticipated which I don't even know what that was, but it wasn't that, uh, even if it had anticipated a normal Christmas, this was, uh, this was much, 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 much different. It was, you know, the, and this was, you know, it was all because Daryl didn't give up. Daryl walked, uh, cause it's a tree that took a walk. So, you know, that, uh, that's a pretty special story for Daryl. Uh, and you shouldn't tell other Christmas trees about it cause you don't want to set their expectations. But Christmas trees don't quit. I'll tell you that much, ladies and gentlemen. If there's one thing I've learned, you know, Christmas trees, they get caught up in a windstorm and then, you know, magically get ice legs. They don't quit. And I'm glad Daryl didn't quit on uh, Daryl's, you know, whatever whatever it was. Uh, so uh, Merry, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. You know, maybe there's a lesson there. You know, maybe you don't need magical ice legs to keep going one step at a time. Uh, you know, slowly and deliberately through the seasons. Just stay calm like Daryl. Just put one foot in front of the other. Even if you you feel like, you know, sometimes the holidays are giant snow banks and, you know, a tundra-like golf course of uh, feelings or whatever it is. And you want to curl up in a... Uh, sand trap, uh, 
you know, you can, you did Daryl, you know, maybe just picture Daryl saying, saying, happy holidays. Daryl loves you. And Christmas trees don't quit. Uh, I mean, in this story. So good night.